I remember my childhood in Brighton When dear old dad would bounce me on his knee He'd say, son, there ain't nothing as exciting As exposing beasts to inhumanity That's why I'm Happy to be king I'm proud to be the lord of the old I love collecting things with grotesque features It makes me feel like some Chaldean god Oh, I trapped my first tiger before I could speak Killed me a bear when I was free I finally have a full menagerie Hit it, boys! That was from Sam and Max Hit the Road, a computer game from 1993. Actually, a very funny and entertaining and just all-around fun-to-play computer adventure game from that time period. Uh, A graphic computer game, not like those Infocom games where you just typed in text. This is one where you, you had guys that are going around... Uh, trying to complete some adventure, and you'd you'd enter things as far as what they would do, but you'd also click on the screen, and it was a uh, it, it was kind of more advanced than you'd picture for '93. It's still from '93, but uh, I think you can find a version online to to play or to download. I believe you can still find it. Sam and Max hit the road in case you're bored and want to play an old but fun adventure game from 1993. That was a song from uh, Within the Game. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This is being broadcast live and recorded live on May 2nd, 2020. The time right now, 8.44 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We have a free roll, $60 this week. It started already 14 minutes ago, but you can still get in. You can get until 8.55 p.m. You have 11 minutes left on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Click on the No Fraud Online Poker button near the top of the screen. But if you've never been there, you won't be able to play tonight because you need a validated account on the poker room, which does take some time. It's either uh, me or Belly Buster who runs the room, who does the validations. So that will take uh, at least till the next free roll. Also go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, to understand the rules to win the free money. It is cash money we pay you in a variety of methods, whatever you want. could be Zelle, could be Cash App. I even have Venmo now. I can even pay you Venmo. That's a new one. Venmo, uh, Bitcoin, bank transfer, and uh, one other method that can be used to pay for things online that's been around for a very long time. I can do that one as well. So that's uh, every week we have a cash-free roll. This week it's $60. That's 30 for first, 18 for second, and 12 for third. 30 for first, 18 for second, and 12 for third. The money came from uh, three sources this week. One Marley One gave $10. 10 
$10 came from Landon Mark, who I confiscated uh, winnings from June that he never claimed. Uh, that meant to go to last week, but then I forgot to add it into the pool. I said it was in the pool, but it was not in the pool, so I moved it to this week. It was, last week I said it was a $55 pool. It should have been 65 but I didn't add it right. So I took that $10 and moved it to this week. And then $40 from our co-host, Trader Ruski. Thank you very much to him for that. So that makes $60 tonight. And Eric Benzimokin even offered money for tonight, but I said, you know, he's given enough for now. I'm going to quickly go through the agenda stuff. For those of you that want the agenda to be short, this is a good week for you because we have a call coming in. I'm not calling it. It's calling me. Uh, the person is very particular about that. So we're going to have an interview tonight with Kevin Davis, who I've mentioned over the past two weeks. He, like me, is a scam buster. He's someone who likes to call out scams and likes to call out people who scam and likes to bring attention to scammers. And he has been focusing on uh, YouTube gambling scammers, where uh, this is the second one he's doing uh, with Christopher Mitchell, we've talked about the last two weeks. He also did it to another one that I hadn't followed, but I've been catching up on, named uh, Michael Morgenstern, who's currently in uh, jail, not related to anything scamming, Related, He's actually in jail for something uh, having to do with a violent crime. But uh, he was going after that guy, and now he's going after Christopher Mitchell, both of them uh, because he believed that they were uh, gambling system scammers and wanted to bring people's attention to what was going on. So we're going to have Kevin Davis himself, the one who runs the YouTube Scam Exposers channel, YouTube scam exposers. You can go see his videos. You can see right now they all have one topic, which is Christopher Mitchell. But a lot of people have asked, why is Kevin Davis doing this? Why is he so into exposing Christopher Mitchell? I mean, we do it too. We've been uh, giving time on this show to the Christopher Mitchell situation. There's a thread on the forum that a listener created about that, which is actually what brought my attention to it. So we've been doing it too, but not with the vigor that uh, Kevin Davis has. Uh, we we've we cover a whole lot of different types of things like this, and Kevin Davis has been uh, hyper-focused on Christopher Mitchell and prior to that, uh, Michael Morgenstern. So people have asked, uh, why why does he focused why is he focused so greatly upon people like uh, Christopher Mitchell and uh, Michael Morgenstern? What what is motivating this? Why does he want to put so much time into it, so much effort? I wonder that too. And we're going to get an answer tonight. He says he's going to answer this and other questions. He's going to tell you guys about the Michael Morgenstern thing, which, truthfully, I don't know much about yet. I know there's something about him having a blackjack system and it being a scam and he was promoting it and uh, Kevin Davis was exposing it and Michael Morgenstern had some uh, violent crime in his history and is currently in jail for a more recent violent crime. So I don't know much about him, though. I will admit that I only know kind of peripheral things about that story. Uh, I know much more about Christopher Mitchell because I've been following that situation closely. That one's more interesting to me because it's ongoing. It's happening right now. The Morgenstern thing is over, at least for, for now, because he's in jail. So I've been following the Christopher Mitchell thing very closely. The Morgenstern thing I've never talked about before on the show and didn't know about until a few weeks ago. But uh, Kevin is going to tell us about both of these situations and why he has taken upon himself to do this. And uh, we'll try to find out some more about him. I know he's somewhat secretive, which is understandable if you are going to go after scammers that uh, you don't necessarily want them to have all your info or otherwise uh, they can retaliate against you. So I'm not uh, criticizing him for being uh, secretive, but, but he is somewhat secretive. His face hasn't been seen on these videos. 
Uh, and not that it has to be, but uh, we're going to ask him all these questions. We're going to ask him why he's doing it, why he's being secretive, which I think I know the answer, um, to tell us some stories about Michael Morgenstern and uh, Christopher Mitchell and uh, just anything else he'd like to talk about. So that'll be the first thing we do tonight at 9 p.m. Pacific, 12 o'clock Eastern, which is coming up in 10 minutes. And he's going to call here. I said, how do I call you? He says, let me call you. So he said, I said, okay. And I gave him the number. I gave him both the main phone number, 775-372-8355, which is also known as 775-FRAUD55, and the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808. You can call either of these numbers if you want to get through. And uh, maybe even he will take some calls. Uh, I won't take calls during the interview until we get to the taking calls portion. When I say we're going to take calls, then you can call in and ask him anything. And I'll throw you guys on there if you wish to call in and uh, inquire. Uh, we, let's see. Uh, let me go over the agenda quickly of what we're going to be doing tonight besides that. By the way, there is a call to listen line. Don't forget the call to listen line, which is a phone number you can call from anywhere at any time, does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require a computer, the internet. No, 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 none of that stuff. You just need a phone that can dial. And it never freezes, never buffers, no matter how bad your connection is. 641-741-1095. 641-741-1095 is the alternate number. I did it backwards. See what I did there? And the main number is 605-313-0736. 605 0736. Those are the two numbers. Call either one. That's the call to listen line. Not to reach the show, but to listen to the show. You can use that as a way to listen. If you want to listen in the archives, we have all the popular methods available. iTunes, Google Play, the TuneIn app, the Stitcher app, the Bullhorn app, which is lesser known but nevertheless works. You can also download the MP3 or play the MP3 directly from PokerFraudAlert.com, which most devices can just do without any kind of external player. You can also uh, use Amazon Alexa to listen to the last episode by just saying, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Say that, and it will play the last episode. No way to listen live anymore. They took that away. There used to be, but they took it away. Okay, the chat room, you have to have a forum account in good standing, meaning it's validated and not banned. And you need a flash-enabled device. You can't get into the chat room if you have an iPhone or iPad. It just won't work. I wish it did. It does not. But you can chat there if you're listening during the live show. If you're not listening live, then don't bother. Remember, the show streams reruns when I'm not live. So we've been on every Saturday night recently. That's what I'm going to stick with for the foreseeable future. But keep in mind that uh, when we're not on, which is most of the time, the show runs about, well, recently it's been running about eight hours. But uh, I'd say about four to eight hours is the expected time frame of the show. But other than that time, we're not live, but we're always running something. So it's always picking to broadcast one of our more than 350 episodes we've done since 2012. Just picks one at random and runs it as if it's live, and then picks another and another until we come back. You can hear that uh, either through the TuneIn app. You can hear that on the Call to Listen line. You can just go to the radio tab and listen there. So there's always something playing on here in case you miss Poker Fraud Alert Radio and don't want to wait until the next week. And you don't feel like picking an episode from the archives. You, if you want one, just pick for you, which I actually like. Sometimes I'll listen to that. I will listen to myself sometimes. 
And I I don't like picking an episode to listen to myself, but I actually kind of like listening when it picks one for me. And it's just going. And I just join it in progress. Okay, quickly the agenda. Then uh, we'll probably get the call from uh, Chris, from not Christopher Mitchell, though he's welcome to call too. I'd love it if he called. I, get, I put in the forum he can call. I'm sure he reads the forum, at least the thread about him. And I said, Christopher, I'd love for you to call in. Especially with Kevin Davis on the phone. But even if, without Kevin Davis, if you'd like to call by yourself and defend yourself, then you're welcome to. I, this is not a one-sided thing. I, I want anyone who's accused of anything here to be able to defend themselves. So definitely Christopher Mitchell call in. But uh, Kevin Davis is calling at 9 o'clock, which is in five minutes. So we're going to have that. Uh, after that, we're going to have uh, four topics prior to talking about the coronavirus stuff. Nevada Gaming released guidelines for reopening the casinos. And poker is going to be limited to four-handed, at least until the coronavirus threat has lowered. So that's going to pretty much kill live poker, <laughs> unless they're going to run four-handed games. A lot of people do not like four-handed. I actually do like four-handed, but uh, most people don't. And I will tell you all about the different regulations that are now in place for reopening during the COVID-19 times. Mac Verstandig, who is a, an attorney that covers poker matters, uh, not covers, but that he does lawsuits related to poker matters all the time. You guys know he's the lawyer in charge of suing Mike Possel, two different lawsuits against him. Possel attempted to oppose the lawsuit and uh, said that he wanted uh, the whole thing dismissed in a filing that uh, he definitely had an attorney to help him with. Verstandig has now applied for Possel to have sanctions against him for using an attorney to ghostwrite his response that he represented he was representing him that he represented he was representing himself and was not so we'll talk about that i'm going to have a don't be this guy segment this is about a bovada player who attempted a dumb scheme that was worth a whopping 100 dollars in bonus money to get a duplicate account and lost over $4,000 because of it. So in an attempt to make an extra 100 by manipulating their bonus scheme, he lost over 4000 and is out crying foul. I will read you his post on 2 Plus 2 about it, and I will tell you my reaction to it. Remember, I'm not always on the player's side. I'm usually on the player's side. Usually when it's player versus poker site, I look and I go, yeah, the poker site's acting shady. The poker site's screwing this guy. That's usually the conclusion I come to. But I'm not a knee-jerk, always-take-the-player-side guy, and I will look, and sometimes I'll say, you know what, the poker site was right here. This is one of those cases, and I'm going to explain why I feel that way and why you should not be this guy and how not to be this guy. Phil Galfond is up against what was thought to be his toughest opponent in the entire Galfond Challenge, Action Freak, who's said to be a lot better than Vinny Vitti, the guy who was crushing Phil, and then after a break, uh, Phil crushed him back and slightly beat him overall. Action Freak was seen as possibly the toughest opponent Phil would face. Doesn't look like it. Phil is crushing him already. So we'll talk about that match. Then we have a number of coronavirus topics, as we always do, and we will finish with a Bart Hansen topic. Bart Hansen listens to the show, in case you guys don't know. Uh, Bart Hansen is uh, friends with Cal Watt, who is a sometimes co-host on this show. Uh, Bart and I have always gotten along. Nice guy. I, I see him at the World Series every year, except this year I probably won't be seeing him at the World Series. But uh, uh, I've always gotten along well with him, and he was actually one of the commentators last time I was on Live at the Bike. 
That's what he's best known for is his Live of the Bike commentary. He also runs uh, Crush Live Poker, which is a training site. And this that's what this topic's about, that he got a call during uh, – he does these sessions where people can call in to talk to him about poker hands. So he got a call during one of his uh, Crush Live Poker shows from an angle shooter who just – Blatantly admitted that he angle shot and wanted Bart's advice, and Bart was none too happy with this guy. So I will play you Bart's answer to the whole thing. The guy's explanation of the whole thing is very long and drawn out and very boring. Like it, it's a video Bart posted, and the first seven minutes of it are really boring. It's just this. Uh, it's it's actually a guy from Mexico discussing. And the, the the call connection wasn't very good or whatever. It's kind of hard to understand him, and the guy is very slow in discussing, like, what, what he did on this street and that street. So I'm going to very quickly tell you what happened leading up to the angle shot. Then we'll listen from there. I'll save you seven minutes of listening to that guy drone on. The good part of the video is seven minutes in. So we're going to start there, and we're going to analyze it and uh, – I'm sure Bart will hear this because he listens to this show. He's one of the people who uses the show to go to sleep. I will admit that. There are people who listen to the show to go to sleep. And the poker pros that you know of, names that you'd recognize like Bart Hansen, like Matt Lance, unfortunately, they listen primarily to fall asleep. And they've, they've assured me this is not an insult. They said it's just relaxing. But I, I don't know. I guess I have to be happy that there's some recognizable names in poker who listen to the show regardless of uh, the reason that they listen. As long as it's not listening to induce vomiting or something, then I'd have to say that's where I have to draw the line. I'd prefer you use something else, some other show. You know, use the, use the uh, Dat Poker podcast for that. To fall asleep. Okay, that's fine. So it is 9 o'clock. Hopefully we receive a call. Let's get Traderuski, and then we will get uh, Vinch to one if we can find him. He said he'll be on tonight. Traderuski, hello. What's happening, Jeff? How you doing? I'm good. Waiting for a call to come in. See, this is why I like to call them, because then I don't have to wait. I, I feel like uh, a girl waiting by the phone for a call for a guy to ask me to prom. I'm just waiting, 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 and the, and the call isn't coming. It's very sad. But we're going to try to reach Vintage One while we're uh, waiting here. Drop, you go to prom with me? Oh, it happened. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yay! It's so good. Life is good. So we got Vintage we got One this vintage. week. Vintage One, you, we, we tried to reach you last week, and uh, just MIA. I tried to call. Well, I thing, waited so. as long as I could, then you got into all the crazy stuff. Well, the whole show's crazy stuff, but okay. That's yeah. a, I, I hope Kevin Davis calls in. I mean, we've uh, I built this up here. He, oh, he's coming. Okay, he's calling in here. Kevin Davis, hello. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Well, I'm glad to have you on the show here. Uh, we have two co-hosts here. Uh, we have Trader Ruski. We have a Vintage One. And a what's welcome up, to- my brother? Hey, what's up? <laughs> so, well, welcome to Poker Fraud Thanks Alert Radio. Me. Yeah, and and thank you for coming on. Yeah. And you know, uh, we've talked Thanks about for you. Me. Thanks I, for having me. I know you've heard our broadcasts about Christopher Mitchell, where you've been mentioned several times the last two weeks because you graciously went and took uh, our show and put it up on your channel, which, as I said, I'm fine with. And uh, and I, I hope that uh, whoever follows your channel that's listening tonight, I hope that they enjoy this and that they, they want to stick with the show and listen to it in the future if they have any interest in uh, talk of uh, news and scams and scandals in the gambling and poker worlds. So uh, I first came upon you when uh, Jeff Dime, 
a listener to the show, brought the Christopher Mitchell situation to my attention by posting it on the Poker Fraud Alert forum. Prior to that, I'd never heard of the guy. And and immediately when I started watching these videos, I go, wow, this is hilarious. This is like this is very entertaining. It's disturbing that people are buying advice from this guy and that they're buying his system and losing a lot of money and all that. But but it's 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 a very entertaining thing in the way he goes about all of it and and all the and then the the it got way more entertaining when I found your channel because the way I found your channel was I Googled him, and and your channel came mm-hmm. up. So then I. I watched your channel and I go, oh, this is great. So it's not only just some scammer with a, with a really obnoxious presentation on YouTube, but there's a guy who's just very, very dedicated to exposing him that's hitting you with like new videos every day and then and then Christopher's getting all riled up about that and he's responding to it. And he, so he, that's, uh, and, that's what obsessed psychopaths do, you know? They, they, <laughs> they dedicate <laughs> Well, it's funny because he can't help himself. Like he, like almost every video he makes, he brings you up in some way. And a lot of scammers, they have the ability to just tune out those who are who are calling them into question. He, you've gotten under his skin so much that you get mentioned in some way, sometimes by name, sometimes not. Uh, and, and he gets in his videos, which which is very stupid if he wants people to not question his system. He shouldn't bring up that this is happening at all, but he can't help himself. And uh, so uh, one question that everybody has had about this, and uh, we're going to have you discuss this. In fact, maybe we'll have that as our first question for you, is uh, why are you doing this? What has brought you to have an interest in putting a lot of time and effort into exposing Christopher Mitchell? Uh, Being in the gambling industry for many, many years and seeing a lot of people hurt just by gambling, not even scams. We're talking people misinformation, people addictive personalities going down serious holes. I mean, I had to help my friend's wife move out of her house and do a shitty apartment because my piece of shit friend at the time lost almost all their money, you know? And uh, so basically she got a restraining order. I had to help her out. So things like that, you know, plus my dad was an addictive gambler. So, Mm. um, and I learned, I learned quite a quite a few things from his, from his lessons, uh, and implant, implanted them into my, uh, 28 years of uh, gambling, you know, and I, I've screwed up early in, you know, early in my days, but, you know, by learning my lessons in gambling, um, you know, that I, I, you know, became very, very experienced. Now you said you see. Let me ask you. Let me first stop for a second here. You said twenty-eight years in gambling. Are you saying that you've been gambling for twenty-eight years? That puts you like late forties, or or that you're twenty-eight years old? No, twenty-eight years of experience. Okay, so so you're probably I, you don't have to say your exact age if you don't want, but I'm guessing you're probably somewhere near my age then because I'm, I'm forty-eight. So I I I could I've been able to legally gamble for twenty-seven years. So I, I assume you're somewhere mm-hmm. near that age. Would that be correct? Uh, eh, you know, age is age. You know, we don't need to. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to divulge too much. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have. A, I'm gonna have a five million dollar lawsuit on my hands here pretty soon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. You can give away. Then, you can give the info. You all I need give. to do is bring up. All I need to do is bring up Colt Studios, and they'll get dr- dismissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, so okay. So you've so you've been in the gambling world but, for a, for a long time, and and so you're and and you're, you have the bad well, experience with your dad having issues with compulsive gambling. So you're you're saying that you're you're doing this just because of uh, seeing gambling uh, being destructive, and that uh, when the scammers come forth and say, "I have a system that can." Uh, turn that, addictive yeah, gamblers that, com- and- that compounds it. That compounds it. But how how I got into the exposing was this. We'll get, we'll get into that later. Mike Morgan's turn. That was a uh, three years ago, and he was a blackjack. He did the a blackjack scam, and I had a lot of people fooled. Um, I watched one video. I'm like, oh, this guy's a fucking joke. So I'm um, sorry if I swear. Sorry. No, no, you can. You can swear all you want here. That's fine. All right, so I said, so I was like, this guy's a joke. But I, I watched, you know, he had, he had a video in a casino when when his then girlfriend, she seemed sweet. So then I started, you know, getting back into the forums of blackjack, and I, I saw, you know, a lot of on blackjack the forum and stuff how he had uh, beaten her up in front of her kid and uh, got arrested for it. And he was still in jail. Meanwhile, he had said he was a multimillionaire. You know, like I said, he Christopher Mitchell's following this, his playbook by the teeth when Michael Morgan starts. So when I found that out, I was like, okay. So then uh, once he got out of jail and I knew he was bullshit, so I was like, I was just going to troll him, you know, because he did live streams where people could call in. And when he saw me calling in, he knew it, well, who it was. And then uh, he wouldn't take my calls, you know, because I, I, when I went live, I immediately started making him look like a fool. He hung up. Well, then he started uh, – doing research on me, finding out who I was and, uh, you know, finding out all kinds of stuff and trying to, you know, make basically passive aggressive threats while doing live stream about me. So it, it, I have a video up and, uh, kind of documenting it, documenting it, the history so far. But when I called in, uh, we and him went toe to toe and I was basically saying the FTC is going to bust his ass. Um, what do you, you know, because what he was doing was definitely a marketing scam similar to Christopher Mitchell's. And so we got into a uh, altercation and basically, uh, he hung up the, he slammed the phone, right? And this is all on live stream and he slams the phone and he looks in the camera. He's like, I got $5,000 for anybody that can find his information. And he basically was wow. threatening me and, 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 and anybody that knows me, you don't, you don't threaten me that they know my background. Uh, you don't threaten me. You don't threaten me and get away with it, let alone you threaten my family and you don't get away with it. Well, let, let me stop. So the let very me, next let, day. Let, let me stop for a second yeah. here. I, um, I want to tell the audience here. So, so he's talking about Michael Morgan Stern, the first person he went after prior, you know, Christopher Mitchell, that's an ongoing thing. Michael Morgan Stern, this goes back a few years and he was a, uh, a, a yeah. guy promoting a black justice system. Uh, I saw looking into the history of Michael Morgan Stern, who I didn't know much about until recently, that uh, he had uh, kind of a rough past, like he had been arrested for bank robbery in the 90s. And uh, so this yeah. this was someone who, who did have some violence in his past. And uh, so so th- there was w- – were you concerned when he was making these threats to you that this wasn't just some internet nerd threatening you? This was a guy who had shown that he was willing to be violent and go to jail in the past. Were you a little concerned that this, this guy was threatening you? Not at all. Not one bit. And that's, that's, that's how he got his scam because uh, once I started exposing them and I started making more videos, people were reaching out kind of like they're doing now with Christopher Mitchell wanting to tell me things, uh, you know, they don't, you know. So um, I had kids emailing me saying, you know, they spent four or $500. Uh, they, try, you know, they're threatened, their lives were threatened if he tried to charge back 
you know, and he always said he had, you know, he used his bank robbery and I got ties to gangs and you don't want to mess with me and, and stuff like that. So then I started getting more and more emails about that. But then he had a form and people from his forum started reaching out to me and started feeding me information. Um, and uh, so I started putting that on videos. But my, by that time, the threats, the death threats uh, towards wager towards me and my family uh, intensified, um, you know, as well as he had many documented death threats towards people in his forums. They sent me emails. They sent me uh, video recordings, you know, basically telling them he, he's going to kill his entire family, but leave them alive, leave that person alive so that they have to live with the mistake of ever messing with them. Wow. Um, so basically, you know, because of my past, I knew, you know, I, I wasn't saying I was the right guy to do the job, but because he threatened me and my family, I was going the distance. I was definitely going the distance with him. And it was a lot of education and that will we'll definitely, you'll definitely want to discuss, especially how law enforcement handles this, people like this. And, uh, Many, many people, like I said, so many people, were th their lives were threatened. Uh, many people lost a lot of money from this guy. Um, so basically, I have my own form, and I went the distance with Morgan Stern. So people started posting videos in my form about um, this guy, Christopher Mitchell. I, they were like, you got you to gotta go after him. You got to watch it. And I was like, I watched one video, same thing. With Morgan Stern, I watched one video. I was like, I, I'm not doing it. You know, I can't be world sheriff. Well, let me, let me, let me stop. Let me stop you for a second before we get to the Mitchell thing. Since you are on the Morgan Stern story, let's let's uh, kind of get there. So, so the Morgan Stern stuff. This was first happening when, like, 2017 or something. It happened. Yeah, April is when I got involved. April 2017. Okay, so and then it lasted. Yeah. Yeah. So, how long did it last? I'm sorry. Uh, two and a half years. Okay, so so it lasted two and a half years, and uh, so he got arrested. What what was he arrested for, Morgan Stern? Uh, recently, yeah. He was recently arrested because he he snuck back in. I uh, was going to get into because he fled to Mexico because of me, and the FBI was on him. He snuck back in. He got back into the states, which I was told by the FBI wasn't going to be allowed to. Um. But he snuck back and met up with one some girl that that knew him from back in the days of casino. Uh, they hung out. He held her at gunpoint, beat her, broke her eye, orbital wow. eyeball, or yeah, orbital. Held her at gunpoint. Held her, beat her, broke her nose, broke her eye socket. Um, he tried fleeing back into Mexico. He got picked up in Texas and uh, transported back where he's back in prison now. Why, why did he attack that girl? Uh, I don't. I that I don't know. So he, I, I don't know. So so he, he did she willingly meet up with him, or did he go come back in the U.S. to track her down and beat her up? No, 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 no. He no. She was a friend. Oh, so, so I don't know. So he, she willingly he, met up he with just him. Had a violent temper like that. Oh he wow. A, he he's he like I said. He beat up. How I got involved was he beat up his girlfriend uh, in front of her kid. Then I looked. And he had three other prior domestic violences with women. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he's definitely had a problem with women. So, but I, he met up with her. He knew her. I don't know what happened. I don't know. You know, all I know is I, her, her pain and suffering. I gave her, I, I told her everything. I sent her all the emails from the FBI, all this. 
and the United States Attorney's Office how her pain is, is because they botched their uh, their job. The United States Attorney's Office dropped the case as soon as I said because it was taken. We're going on almost a year and a half now, and I kept I keep being threatened by all these people because he had a sixty three thousand sub base, mostly a bunch of punks and stuff like that, threatened threatening to kill me, and I'm just like, I'm not I'm not hard to find. I'll meet you. I was like, I'll I'll fly you guys down, you know. <laughs> and uh, he kept he kept threatening me. You know, he kept threatening all these people. Kept threatening me, and I kept telling you know. Oh, whenever something comes up, just let us know. The FBI, just let us know. It's a, it's a, it's you know, it's a, it's a patient. You got to be patient. I'm like, so how the United States Attorney's Office finally dropped the case was, I lost my patience. You know, I just told the FBI, I said, look, my family means more to me than anything. I don't care what happens to me, but when their their lives are being threatened and they're being contacted at their work and all this other stuff, then I'm going to find the threats and I'm going to kill them myself in self-defense. And the United States, I got, the, I, I, I can read the email to you. And I said, forward it to the United States attorney's office because I'm running out of patience. Well, so, know, let me because, understand what's, uh, I, I'm missing something here though. Yeah, I give you a lot of credit for putting yourself out there and saying, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. Yeah. Let's go kid. Yeah, Let's no, I, go. I, I definitely do too. But let me let me get a little more clarification though about the thing with the United States Attorney's Office and and uh, the FBI. Uh, so it it sounds sure. to me like there was uh, some investigation that got started on on Michael Morgenstern, but then uh, it wasn't going anywhere. It, it, I kind of missed that part here. Uh, so so what what happened with that? What happened when you you reported this? No, or, no, it, it, October October is when October 2017 is when the investigation. Uh, I got the call from because he lived in uh, Arkansas at the time from the Arkansas uh, FBI, you know, the field office from the Arkansas. And the guy, you know, introduced himself and wanted, you know, telling me, hey, he got the I got the complaint. He wanted all kinds, you know, so I started sending him all kinds of uh, of evidence. And he then he explained how, you know, it's, you know, it's, hey, it's we're shorthanded, you know, the FBI, you know, you just got to have patience. And I'm like, well. I'll have all the patience as long as you guys do your job correctly. And, you know, I'll just keep feeding you all this information as it comes, you know, but know this, you know, I know my rights, you know, and, uh, if something he's threatening to kill me. So if, if, if I see him around me or my family or friends, I'd like, I'm going to kill him in self-defense. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, injure him. You know, I'm going to kill him because he threatened to kill me. And when you do that, I know my rights. You know, and it's all documented. I never threatened to kill him. So what, know, what do they say the back when? You, what do they say back yeah, when you ahead. told them that? When you told them that hey, I'm going to do this if I see him around uh, me or my family, I'm just going to kill him first before he can do anything. What do they say back when you let them know that? As long as I, you know, they don't. He doesn't recommend that I do that. He recommends that I call law. I'm supposed to contact law enforcement first before I take matters <laughs> in my own hands. I said, well, you have an armed robber who's, who's, correct me if I'm wrong, that's a violent criminal. He's always going to be known as a violent criminal, armed robber, who's well-documented on live streams threatening to kill me and my family multiple times, multiple phone calls, multiple Facebook messages, all this stuff that he's going to kill me and my family. And, you know, so 
I was like, I don't take that lightly. I was like, you know, and, and that's the reason why you guys are investigating it because that's that's pretty much a, against the law, and he can't be doing that. As well as other people, he's threatened. As well as other people, um, he's threatened their lives only because they tried getting their money back from his scams. Yeah, and that, and that sounds. And, and I got emails. Right, and, yeah, that, and that, that's that's something actually unusual for most scammers because I I've been around in poker for two decades. And I and I've seen so many scams in poker take place. There's tons of them. But something that doesn't happen I, very often at all in poker is that the scammer gets threatening. Usually the scammers are uh, – uh, what they'll just try to do is, is hide from it and just try to not to answer to it. Occasionally they'll try to answer back and deny it. But, uh, but what I haven't seen much of is where the scammer gets uh, threatening or violence or, or, or even has violence in their history. Usually the scammers – uh, when they have a criminal history, it's uh, it's crimes that are of a financial nature or uh, other scams usually, not usually violent crimes. So this uh, Morgenstern guy you're describing is unusual and, and, and especially scary to the victims because once they get ripped off and they say, hey, I, you ripped me off, uh, I'm, I'm going to charge it back. And he says, you better not or something's going to happen to you. <laughs> then they then they don't know it's what to do. It's all documented. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we got I got emails from from Morgenstern to those kids saying, you know, you know who I am. You know I got ties to gangsters. You better think twice about that. Um, so basically, it, 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 there was a lot. There was a lot of threats. There was a lot of nonstop threats. And that's how – that was his defense mechanism, to scare people, because he always put up his, his article about how he was arrested for nine years, and he goes – and he read it off, and, and, he, and he was like, you know, and this guy – He's messing with an army. He 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 thought he was going to be in the cartel and all kinds of stuff, and uh, it, it was just basically scare tactics. You know, he scared everybody around him, and that's how he he got along his scams for many years. He had other scams prior to that, and uh, um, he he uh, oh he did this he did this prior to the blackjack. He posed. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know how. Christopher Mitchell's a gay porn star, and uh, this Michael Morgenstern posed as a gay guy, and uh, on Craigslist back in the days and stuff, and he was getting getting all these people to call him and talk dirty and all this stuff, and he was like late thirties at the time, and he convinced them, he convinced a couple people that he was sixteen years old, and that you know they better pay him off, and he got two people. And that's where he was making a lot of money for many years. You know, I can, I can believe that. I, I can believe that. In fact, I've thought of this before. I've actually thought before. In fact, I may have even seen this depicted somewhere on a TV show or movie. I, I don't know. Either I've thought of this myself or I've seen it somewhere. But where where people get blackmailed because they were talking with someone underage who didn't they didn't realize the person was underage. They were talking dirty to them in some way or or, or webcamming dirty, and then then someone else contacts them and says, "Hey." You better pay up, or we're going to report you for this, and the people get terrified and pay. Uh, that actually could be a very effective scam. So I'm not surprised that got pulled off. Because he he pretended, yeah, he pretended he was the father. I don't know how he changed his voice and how these people believed it, but he said, "Hey, you were talking to my 16 year old kid." Oh wow! And I got messages, and and so he made a lot of money over a couple years from these people, and uh, one of them quit once once I started doing the exposing. And all this other stuff, um, he, he got. He saw for some reason he he saw my videos and realized that you know it was awesome. So he quit paying them, 
Um, and then I got threatened even more. Hey, you know, uh, I'm Michael's bodyguard who pays me from that guy and you cost me my, you know, just look, just the craziest shit, you know? And, uh, and I'll be like, Hey, I'm easy to find, you know? You know, I, I go, I hang out at Mon- Monroe's in Palm Beach County at the time. I was like, hey, you can, you can go out there. You can meet me up there anytime, anytime. So, uh, like I said, but it was just how it kept going on for so long. And the FBI, this is how the FBI works, how he tell he goes, they, each agent, they're swamped. They have like for every agent, there's like they have 200 cases. So they have to do case. So they do a little bit of each case, and they send it to the United States Attorney's Office um, to see if they if it's prosecutable. If they want to, if they want them to keep investigating more, kind of like the resources. Oh, totally. So the United States. Did you see how they got the the case to bust McMillions? It was a post-it on a computer that they just happened to look at. It's ridiculous. They're so overworked and. Too many cases, and if your case is picked, it's almost like, in a bad way for the person, you've won the lottery. Yeah, so he kept saying, you know, he kept saying, oh, give me, you know, it's more and more, because there was 38 people total that uh, he threatened. There was some form of threats, texts, uh, voicemails, all kinds of stuff, and their children. Like I said, there's, there's a voicemail where he left a voicemail saying, I'm going to kill you, your wife, your two children. And I'm going to leave you alive so that you can live the rest of your life knowing you put them in the ground messing with the wrong person. And that was on voicemail, you know, and uh, many other texts, many other, like I said, so, and all I kept saying, all I kept saying is, okay, keep sending me, keep sending me. And then, um, so then he goes, this is how it's going to happen. So he goes, and then about, I want to hear from him for like a month and a half. He goes, okay. Good news. I'm like, oh, what's that? Is it you guys are going to swoop in? Oh, uh, no. The US, United States Attorney's Office uh, gave us the green light to keep going. I'm like, keep going on what? To go get them? No, to keep investigating more. I'm like, oh, I thought, I go, you know, I make little things about, oh, I, I thought I gave you some more. So, um, you know, so, so he, as he was making videos, he'd always try to do these live streams and make threats and stuff. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, he'd try to delete them or something. But there's a lot of videos that he he made threats. And this is to what I got the email right to to this day. The the FBI tells me don't report these videos of him threatening you and your family. Don't get them taken down. I'm like, are you kidding? You you want these videos to remain viral of him? Uh, and he goes, no. Here's why, because we can see him now, but if he deletes them, it's going to take us months and months to subpoena them from YouTube. And I'm like, <laughs> so you're, uh, this is what he said. I got the email. Don't report these videos because it's going to make, basically it's going to slow down the investigation. That's I'm amazing. Like, oh, that's amazing. Why yep. can't they, why can't they just save them? Why can't they save them? And then in fact, they should anyway, because uh, they never know when he's going to delete them for any reason. So I well, they want you to do their work. They want you to do all the hustle. That's, that's insane. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what was happening. That's, I was doing all the work, doing all the work, taking all the, the bullets in the war and all this stuff. And, 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 and I got an email saying, don't 
report these videos because if he takes them down, it's going to take months. Hey, guess and then, what? And then someone gets killed by this? Oh, they just wash their hands of it all. This becomes a non-issue. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. So basically, he 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 uh, tracked down uh, my family. Um, was threat like I said, he was threatening uh, my niece. Uh, you know, my then fourteen-year-old niece. Oh um, meeting her, meeting her, meeting her at the high school, and all this other stuff. So I sent him. Basically, it started because I sent him a contract. He kept threatening. He wants to fight me and all this, and he's a boxer and all. And I, I paid one hundred and seventy-five dollars to have a, a contract drew, drew up, offering I'll put up 10, twenty grand, and he only has to put up ten if winner takes off. Are you saying for a boxing match? Yeah, uh, in the octagon in a, in a gym at my buddy's gym. So basically, I'm thinking I sent the contract. He'll definitely because he. We're talking months of fighting and threats. What does he do? He gets on live stream and he's like, "Hey guys, I got his info now. I got his info. He sent me a contract. Let's get him. Let's get him." And everybody's the people that were on my side were laughing like, "I thought this guy wanted to kick your ass and all this, and he was going to destroy you and." kill you and all this and you you send him a legal contract and he get what does he do he he gets on he goes he goes i got his ip address and all this so and we're talking he he had live streams where uh he had his hacker call in and there's a guy talking about how they're going to come to my house and and hack my internet and, and make it look like i'm doing all this illegal shit and 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 the FBI's listened to these these videos I sent them, and 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 all I kept kept saying is have patience. And I'm like, we're going on a year now. My niece and my niece is talking is being threatened about they're going to meet her at school. And uh, I was like, I'm telling, I'm running out of patience. I was like, and he kept saying, well, it's United States Attorney's Office, and you know they keep saying the green light, so just have patience. Don't don't keep making these 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 threats that you know these these. Back then, it was passive threats. I'm like, you know, I, you know, it wasn't the actual. I'm going to kill him in words and an email forwarded to the United States Attorney's Office. Um, back then, I'm just like, I'm running out of patience. You know, I know my rights. I know it's illegal. I'm not the only one involved. I, you got 38 other people. You got kids that are being threatened because, because you know, they were scared to get their money back. Which, by the way, I helped about get people about $17,000 back total about chargebacks, educating them how to charge back and, and don't, and don't be scared of them. So that was when I was hearing all this, that's, that's where my dedication originally, this I originally got back to, we're not going to get off track. I don't want to, you know, but the original question was, why did I get involved with CM? And this is, this is how all the dealings that I had with Morgan Stern and hearing people's pain and suffering Without even, we're, we're not even talking about how much they lost because of the scam, how they went to the casinos and lost all this money because of bad advice. You know, we're talking, they bought the bad, they bought, they paid money and then they got, and then they lost the money on top of it, you know. So, yeah, it's a one-two punch. You know, yeah. they chased the dragon. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's like, is there a phone number we can call and prank these fucking cocksuckers? Well, Michael Morgan's is in jail and, uh, and, and, Christopher Mitchell, uh, I I don't have a number for him. I would love oh, to talk to him. No. I, I I would love to talk to the guy. Oh no, it gets it gets better, guys. This story, it gets. We're talking the the end. So when his his own sister, Michael Morgenstern's sister, got a hold of me, and uh, 
was feeding me all kinds of information, you know, because she was still, she was talking to Michael Morgenstern's then girlfriend, his new girlfriend, um, and then stuff. So I guess he found out and he threatened to kill her and her kid. So she was all worried because she, she knew his past. So she's, she's like, I'm scared now. And I'm, you know, I was like, I can't, I was like, I could do, I can use my resources. That's another thing. I put a lot of money, I, I paid a lot of money out of my pocket and time and all this stuff for people and stuff. So, you know, I, I just told her to, you know, get in contact with the FBI there. So her agent um, at the time ends up contacting Morgan Stern, which which is a no-no. The FBI contacted him oh, during the FBI and, and, and told him why he's investigating him. <laughs> and and so so he ends up so he ends up getting taken off the case. She flips out because she's ex-military. She's got PTSD. She was she's a, a veteran of Iraq. She had two two uh, uh, tours of duty, I think. And uh, so yeah, she's a veteran. So she's flipping out. Um, so they they removed that guy. The new guy she got was the kick-ass guy. If I had, if he did the investigation originally in Arkansas, Morgan Stern would have been in jail a long time ago. Other people wouldn't have gotten hurt. So she, me and her are working together. So she gets a, um, a restraining order and the judge on top of the restraining order made him do, cause he was an alcoholic. Uh, he can't do alcoholic. He had to do mandatory, all kinds of stuff, but they, they didn't have an address where he was because he was, he had broken up with his then girlfriend to this new girl who was kind of helping him, you know, keep him, keep his address and stuff. So basically my resources and I'm finding the address. So I send it to her. Um, and when the United States, not the local police, the United States marshals went to uh, serve him and she lied. She lied and said he wasn't there. Um, and that he, he was in Vegas the very next day he sold his car and they went to Mexico, fled to Mexico. Um, but before that, getting back on to his sister, but that b- before his sister contacted me or while she contacted me, somebody from Arkansas, this guy, this girl's uncle, and she, he's like, I have a story to tell you. My daughter was date raped by Morgan Stern, and I want to kill the guy. And I'm like, what? And he goes, and he told her, yeah, she was, he, he did this to three women, three girls. He was 40 at the time, and they were 18, 19, and a 20-year-old. And uh, he, they, they would go to his house because they believed he was some rich blackjack millionaire. And uh, so he would go and party with them, and they, he, they thought that he was giving them pain pills, and uh, he'd give them sleeping pills. And date raped them. This is I found this out. Date raped them and threatened them. They were scared to come forward because uh, the gangster ties. He was a criminal or, you know, he goes, I'll be in jail and your family, will, you know, just basically. So not only did they get date raped, but they were scared on top of that to come forward. And by the time two of them wanted, wanted to, he had already fled to Mexico. The guy from Fort Myers, um, who was the good guy, the other guy was a, a schmuck that I was dealing with. Um, basically said there's, you know, nothing they can do. So the uncle kept saying, you know, try to find them in Mexico. I'm like, that, that shouldn't be a problem. You know, I was like, I got some serious resources. 
And I ended up do, doing fine at them in Mexico. And <laughs> his uncle never did nothing. I'm like, well, you know, if if that was my niece, I was like, I would, I'd be on the first flight to Mexico. And, uh, you know, the guy wouldn't have a heartbeat. And I was like, so I was like, I, you know, basically people who, who gave me shit, a lot of people were giving me shit, you know, because they still kind of believed him, ends up being on my side towards the end. And uh, similar, like I said, similar to the CM playbook. And uh, wanted me to do just, you know, well, you know, I was like, hey, I got I, my, my resources found you. The, you know, they're like, well, let's go down and get them. I'm like, let's, let's meaning you're trying to include me in this. I was like, you know, I've done my, I've done enough. I've done enough, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so he ends up fleeing, yeah. fleeing to Mexico. I don't know if you, I, I posted a video on your forum. Um, he ends up making these uh, live streams. And this was on this was on YouTube. I, I posted in your forum. He makes this live stream, and he's looking. He's basically telling everybody he's drunk or whatever. And he's telling if, if there's people out there, kill Kevin Davis and his entire family. Kill him. And he's like, uh, he goes, you haven't shown your face, Kevin Davis, but look what I'll do to it. And he starts stabbing himself on YouTube live stream, cutting himself up. He's like, I can take the pain. Where are you at? And oh, it, he's so, wow. Fucking yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> crazy. So then, so then the very next day, he makes a video saying uh, he's going to start charging five thousand five thousand dollars for murders. Uh, they can hire him. Uh, he's he's like he's got to take care murders first. He threatened to kill. Oh, that was another thing. He kept threatening to kill Colin Colin Jones, who never even talked to never even talked to Morgan Stern once. Kept threatening to kill Colin and his entire family. Because he thought Colin was paying me to make my videos. He's, okay, so he's he clearly was, doing meth or something. This guy's fucking hopped up on meth. Well, well he's not, by the way, Colin, for those who are wondering, Colin Jones is um, a a blackjack card counter who's who does videos and, and training himself. He's like a Christian blackjack counter. That that that's who uh, Kevin's referring to here. <laughs> yeah, one of the nicest guys out there, and and basically because that was Morgan's sort of thing. If he can overturn make Colin look like a bad guy and uh whatever so basically he was dead set he he he, he swore that Colin was paying Colin was paying me to do my videos and uh even though I made disclaimers I'm like you know I was like I was like this is binding Colin is not I don't talk to Colin you know this and this and this so uh uh so he kept threatening he threatened to kill Colin and his entire family my, me and my entire family his ex-girlfriend and her new fiance, and then he was going to charge. Uh, this is all on <laughs> this is all on a live stream on YouTube, and this is this is how you, this is how screwed up uh, social media is because it was allowed to stay on viral for two days before they finally took it down. Wow. Did it, they didn't turn it ter- terminate his channel at the time. They just took it took down the video. Wow, they left so they left his channel <laughs> up when he says things like that. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was another thing. Um, my lawyers kept kept uh, contacting YouTube Legal, and they told them what law he was breaking, and they they kept just giving the copy text. We need to know exactly what law. They tell them the law. We need to know exactly what law. They kept telling them the law, and it was like just copy text. That's how YouTube Legal works. So um, that's why when Christopher Mitchell, now I don't want to get off the sidetrack, when he said his YouTube Legal team. Or his, his legal team got my information from YouTube. I, knew, I just 
I'm like, man, buddy, I, I dealt with YouTube for two years, and you deal with them for two months, and you think you're going to get information from me? Oh, hell no. So, so anyway, he ended up uh, fleeing. He was in Mexico. So Fort Myers FBI agent um, contacted, when he saw that video, uh, he contacted Morgan Stern um, and uh, basically told him, he goes, look, we can't do nothing about what you're doing, but that uh, we see another video like that come come across our desk. We're going to get Interpol uh, on your ass. And for those that don't know who Interpol, because I didn't know what it is, Interpol is the uh, uh, international, they go after terrorists. They're basically, they're the big boys. It's like James. Basically, yeah, that's, so I told the FBI agent, I was like, well, you saw the video, but why does another one have to pop up on your desk? For you to get Interpol involved, I'm like, so, um, so it, like I said, so it basically, bottom line is he ended up fleeing to Mexico, got went back into uh, the states, met up with that girl, held her at gunpoint. After I guess hung out with her for a week, and after a week, held her at gunpoint. Probably was drunk, whatever. Uh, beat her up, um, held her against her will for two days, and he got tried to flee back into Mexico and. You know, so so we got a, a girl that there was other people because he was in, he was back in Mexico and he started up a new scam. So he, I think he he scammed like fifteen or uh, eighteen, sixteen or seventeen grand while he was in Mexico starting a new scam uh, with Bet Online, and we can go into that too. If, uh, how Bet Online's uh, corrupt. Um, so basically, yeah. So. So more people got scammed, and uh, another girl got uh, beat up. And that was like when, when she got beat up, and I and I sent her all the if the thing. <laughs> uh, I sent the FBI agent a nice email to forward to the United States Attorney. You know, I could read. Uh, it, basically, it wasn't wasn't pretty. So, but because I threatened to kill him um, after a year and a half. Uh, or almost a year of investigation, they dropped the case. The United States Attorney dropped the case. Wow. So, so, so uh, Michael Morgenstern, uh, he's currently sitting in jail for the charges. that They haven't had a trial yet. I see he was arrested on uh, December 23rd, 2019. So they he has not had to face trial yet uh, for these these trials. I see there's a uh, domestic. What was he arrested for? I see it was domestic abuse, uh, aggravated assault. This is, has to do with that girl he was talking about. Uh, false imprisonment, armed, and uh, and uh, uh, second uh, su- second something uh, aggressive domestic va- battery, violent. Uh, so those are the three charges. And uh, I, but he, to your knowledge, he hasn't. There hasn't been a trial or a hearing about this yet, even though it's been four months. Yeah, yeah, that's I I don't know much about it because um, uh, how I found out was uh, Morgan Stern's sister. Uh, okay. She she contacted me again and uh, sent me all the information because I I was done after more after uh, uh, he uh, well I I think I deleted the videos my channel um, after she sent me the information because I had a channel uh, dedicated to him too um, and I deleted it once he got arrested so. Um, because there's no use. I, I don't need to have another channel up there. Um, but yeah, she, she emailed me all and told me what exactly what happened. Um, unfortunately the girl got beat up, but she kind of, she knew about him from my videos. So, I mean, I, 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 
to say that she uh, deserved it or it, it would be definitely criminal to say that. Um, so the fact is, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have been able to do that. The FBI that was on the FBI's hands, but she kind of knew who we, who he was. So um, yeah. So yeah, that was that. Like I said, there's a lot more like in more detail, but I mean, we, we, we scraped enough of that, that cause like just to show how screwed up YouTube legal is, cause they let these videos happen, you know, uh, people, like and people's lives were, uh, it, 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 and that's the thing about YouTube viewers. Many of them, um, are lonely. A lot of these people, they, they watch live streams on YouTube, or live streams on Twitch. They're lonely people. They, they need to grab onto something, you know. So um, they they become fanboys of these people, on, uh, and they think that they put them on a pedestal, like because they're filming themselves and, and putting it on a video. They they put themselves on a pedestal, right? And stuff yeah, like I, that. I believe that. And, I believe that, and I'll tell you, I've been actually observing not just Christopher Mitchell, but uh, the commenters, the ones that I believe are real. I, I think you know you've made some videos where you say that he's. Uh, using fake accounts to comment. And I, I believe that I believe some of these commenters that are positive on his videos are fake, but, but some are real. I can tell some are real. And so the real ones, I'm yeah, focused- he's, he's got about, yeah, he's got about 15 real, uh, retards. And I hate to say that he used the word retards, but how I view people is you got autistic people, uh, that are smarter than retards. And then you have, retards that are smarter than brain dead people so basically he's he's got the retards and brain dead people fooled everybody there's a lot of people that have uh that have uh, a lot of people have jumped off the ship because like you like you pointed out he he attracted <laughs> them to my channel you know because he has no choice once he can't do it now he can't take it back he he doesn't use he doesn't use my channel anymore and he doesn't he uses me as like a third what are they? A third person? Oh, my hater and this. He, he doesn't use my name anymore. Doesn't use my channel. But once he did that, you can't go back. You yeah, know? I know a lot of people found um, it. But yeah, I, but yeah, those those followers. I was watching and I was thinking, what is what is the motivation here? Those that like. Like, how come some of these people just can't be convinced? And I was wondering, just, I was wondering this last night when I was just looking at some of the commenters on Christopher Mitchell's videos. And I, I wondered, let's say we took one of these commenters and, and just put them on the phone with me, or we put them in a room with me where I could just have a rational conversation with them about why his systems cannot work, why it's mathematically impossible, why, why this has been tried many times before, and that he's not even martingaling in a, in a fashion where on a one-time basis you're likely to win because he's suggesting that that you start with such a high bet that uh, you can only lose like six times in a row before you've lost the, your, the bankroll you've brought with you. So, like, uh, he's not even taking a martingale where it's going to work uh, the vast majority of the time, but in a very small percentage is going to lose huge. He's he's taking one that's going to lose huge a large percentage of the time, not most of the time, but but a lot, lot bigger than most martingales will because he starts so high. So I thought if I could explain this to people and if I could show them – uh, with a calculator or show them on a whiteboard and show them why this doesn't work and also show them uh, other documentation about Martingale schemes in general and about how it's been tried for, for many decades before. This isn't anything new he's come up with or revolutionary, revolutionaries come up with. There's a reason all the casinos haven't been busted by this. Um, I, I pictured that if I had these people 
and I could speak to them directly, there would be certain ones there that no matter what I said, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't get through to them, and they would convince themselves that I'm just a hater, I'm just jealous, I don't understand it. Uh, I, I I just can't stand that he has such a lavish lifestyle when he doesn't have a nine to five job. I mean, I, I I really see there are some Kool Aid drinkers there, much like people who follow cults that just cannot be reasoned with, and that are are looking for someone to believe in and something to believe in, and especially people who have always lost in gambling, as as you will if you play long term in casinos, you will. Uh, Unless you're doing advantage play, you're going to be a long-term loser. And, and some people get tired of that, and, and they are looking for some savior, some gambling savior, who can guide them to be a winner. And, and uh, so a lot of them get want, rich, want yeah, to believe. Get, get rich quick, people, yep. And, and, and what, what, uh, what saddens me especially is that uh, this is aimed at older people. This is aimed at uh, retirees and the elderly and, and people who you know, don't even have the income to replace what they lose here. That they these are people who are either on a fixed fixed income or 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 has very little coming in at this point, and if they blow their nest egg, it's not a matter of just going back to work and, and making the money back. These are people who are uh, retired already and can't work, and and they've blown the savings that they've saved up their whole life in many cases for their retirement, and they think this is like a, a foolproof way to expand that. And then when they find out the hard way it's not, it's gone. It's like a very sad thing, especially who, who's being victimized here. And, and, and elderly people are very frequently scam targets in general of, of all kinds of scams. Uh, scammers love mm-hmm. old people. And so in this case, it looks like the, the targets are, are elderly and also near elderly, people like, like around 60, 65, ones who aren't uh, super old, but ones who are still uh, around retirement age. And foreigners, elderly and foreigners that don't know any better. Yeah, and and people who just also people who don't understand gambling that well, people who just think that uh, um, someone who purports to be a professional gambler has all the answers and anything, anything they say is going to work, and uh, so so it's it is sad. There's there's certain people who who you never can get through to, but there's a lot you can, and there's a lot of people who will believe it at first, but the second they get something that is uh, questioning it will be enough to push them away from trying it. And I I once, I, I had a friend whose uh, business was, uh, the, my friend came to me and was very unhappy that their business, the, the, one of their competitors had a bunch of fake reviews. Uh, and, and it was a fake review on like a, a niche site meant to review that particular type of business. So one particular business there had like a ton of, re- of reviews, all five stars out of five. And every other business there had like a, a few reviews, like, you know, one, one, two or three reviews. So it looked like by far the best business was the one that had the, the 155 star reviews. And I said, what do I do about this? Everyone's falling for this. And I said, you know what? There, there's a simple answer to this. So I said, let me take care of this. So I made an account on there and I, I made a, a one star review. And I started the review, attention, all the reviews here are fake. If you take a look, this business has 150 reviews. All the other competitors have about three or four. Why do you think that is? Why do you think everyone's reviewing this? Why do you think they're all so, so close? Why do you think the, the writing style is, is almost identical for all the reviews? Why do these reviews read like an ad and not like a review? Think about this and then think about whether you want to deal with a business that is going to do this to you. So my friend said back at first, well, wait a minute. This is just going to be one one-star review out of 150. What's that going to do? And I said, no, you don't understand. As soon as people see mine, all but the idiots are going to say, forget the other 150. Now I can't believe anything. 
So just just, <laughs> just one one dissenting opinion there, calling it out, going wait wait a minute, everybody, think skeptically about everything you read here. Just that one thing alone can drive a lot of people away. And sure enough, uh, they they took they took a lot of their bogus they took their bogus reviews down. They stopped promoting their five their their, their five star re- review on that site. Just my one thing changed so much about the way they promoted themselves because they didn't want people going there and seeing that one review calling it out, and they had no way to delete it. So, and by the way, this had nothing yeah, to do with, this wasn't a gambling industry or anything like that. This is a, a separate thing I did for a friend who was very upset about a competitor doing this. So wh- what I'm saying here is that um, what you're doing here is, is very, very valuable. And, and we'll get into Christopher Mitchell himself in a second here, where even just anyone finding this, you're going to have some idiots who just can't be talked out of it, can't be talked out of being a supporter. Uh, every, anyone who thinks critically, though, even ones who otherwise may have fallen for this, who just maybe aren't good about uh, – they're not good with money or they're not good at spotting a scam or they're too trusting. The second they see someone calling them out as a scammer, which he's, he did you a favor too by mentioning people are uh, saying he's a scam and at one point uh, stupidly promoting your channel. <laughs> so uh, like just that well, single I guess, channel. I, I, don't, I, I keep selling it in my videos. This ain't my first rodeo and people's – uh, always wanting to know, you know, hey, why, what's your end game here? You know, I he's supposedly the Christian, and he's supposed to be this good, but yet what I'm doing is I'm helping people. I've I've got many many emails of thanks. Uh, hey, I was gonna do this. I got people on my forum now, and I was gonna actually buy a strategy. As I was actually gonna do is one on one coaching, and and I got people. So so you know, all, all I needed is one email. If I could just help one person, that was. But now I got many other people, and, and and that's like I said, I'm not going away until his scam goes away. And people want to know, hey, you know, what's what's why are you obsessed? Why you know it has nothing to be. I'm determined to help people. You know, he's supposed to be the Christian. He's supposed, but but yet all I'm doing is helping people. And his by me saying this ain't my first rodeo. I I, I already know it's, he's doing the exact same playbook as Morgan Stern. And he directed, trying to trying to discredit me. Oh, I'm 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 a broke person. I'm I'm living at my mom's, and I've heard all this before. And 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 don't listen to him. He's 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 telling lies. I'm I'm the one. T- all I'm doing is using his words, his lies against him. But yet uh, he he accuses me of of uh, lies. But I think we're getting off the. We're gonna, like you said, we're going to get back into Morgan's or. Yeah, let's, let's let's move to him here. So, so you said you got you got contacted by some people saying, "Hey, you you did a lot with Morgan Stern." So now there's this new guy who's similar. Uh, would you like to get involved? Is that how it started? In my forum, yeah, I have a forum that's over 400 people. Uh, we help. That's how this forum was created because of Morgan Stern. Because of all the people that got scammed, um, we have a lot of people, a lot of APs, a lot of. Collins graduates from uh, his uh, boot camp, uh, a lot of, you know, high rollers, real professionals, um, and we help people. We don't charge a thing. The only thing I did charge was last year uh, I did my sports betting, and I charged people twelve ninety nine a month. Um, and basically my sports system wasn't just picks. It's basically it's picks and how much to bet. So it's basically bankroll management. So basically anybody that started with me on January 1st and ended up on December 31st, 
won 80, 87% of their bankroll from from January 1st to 3rd. I was actually up 170%, but at my last three months. But getting back to the point, we don't charge anybody. We teach card counting. We teach poker. We teach uh, just not only just teaching the ways, but discipline, you know, uh, mentality. Don't be weak. Don't, you know, be confident. Don't chase your losses. Don't, you know, we have a lot of experienced gamblers, and uh, we teach them for free, you know. And I, I, I have my video on the forum, but, but basically getting back to how I was tipped off was people were like laughing. We, you know, we, you know, when we're bored, we we communicate, and so they're like, hey, look at this guy, and I wasn't paying attention, you know. Um, but one of them was this fanboy. One of them, one person was in the forum who I banned like seven times. He, he does the IP, uh, he does, he gets around it. So he was in there, he was like kind of hyping him up, but then he was like, oh no, I know he's a scam. But people are like, yeah, you should go after him, you should go after him. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna be world sheriff to all the idiots, you know, but I watched one video and it, you know, but then they posted another one, hey, check this out. Something about the second video I watched just, just that irked me, that was, that was enough. It, just something about it. I'm like, no. So once I started and I get a response from uh, from him, um, then, you know, if it was, you know, just so that's once I started and I got people emailing me and um, stuff like it, just like I said, it was my first rodeo. I'm going through the motions and I'm just going to keep going and, and pounding. But, yeah, that's how I that's how I got tipped off was people on my forum were like, hey, you should go after him. I first said no, and then, uh, and then what, upon the second video, how blatant it was, and then I found out people were actually buying. It. I was like, no, this is uh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, so, here we so go. What, what, is the, what is the what is yeah, the name of your forum? She's people... like, she's like telling me, you know, she's like mad because she goes, like, don't go down this rabbit hole again. You promised because me and her, you know, Morgan Stern put a lot of pressure on our relationship, and uh, but I told her, I'm, you know, I was like. <laughs> You know, she knows my past. Basically, I mean, I, uh, how do I say this without being, you know, I, 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 I wasn't always in the legal business. That's how I got a lot of friends, a lot of, uh, resources. I, I, I guess about, we can say about 17 years ago, I got into the, the, uh, party favor scene and then, uh, became legal. I, be, I ended up being legal. I, I, uh, I guess, I guess I'm going to tip off my hand here. I, I got from illegal to medical marijuana out in Colorado. I had a, I was a third with some business uh, associates. So that's where, uh, that's where I, I, I got my, uh, my lot of resources, a lot of uh, knack of catching scammers, you know, so. I see. So, well, I, when I, yeah, I want to ask about your. I want to ask about your forum here. Uh, what is the name of your forum? In case some of the listeners want to take a look at it, is it still up? Uh, it's, it's a. I, I took down the links, public links. Uh, it's called Gambling Advantages and Strategies. If anybody wants to, uh, if anybody wants to uh, join, uh, they first, you know, I, uh, there's we have like different sections. You know, new members can jump in, but if uh, they'll get booted, but they're you know, we kind of because of what's going on now. I took down the public links. Uh, we don't. I don't want none. Of, I don't want the same crap that happened with Morgan. A lot of his people are going in there, just causing all kinds of uh, of problems. But if 
people, there's actually legit people. Um, it's called Gambling Advantages and Strategies. We have a lot of cool people. Um, uh, like I said, we try to, we help everybody for free. You know, we, but, but how, we how do people find, is it, since, since the links are down, how do people find this forum? Uh, they can, they can uh, ask questions in your forum or they can uh, post on my videos. I see. Uh, but yeah, just uh, I, I can post. Yeah, uh, you know, um, and then I kind of, you know, there's like a, a verification. We have a anybody that comes in, they can see all the all the uh, educational free links, you know, about card counting. We actually have a, a training videos where you know test outs, you know, where we made a, a basic strategy test out because that's where we teach people first. You have to you know, learn from basic strategy. Colin uh, Jones comes in, he, uh, comes in and does a question and answers. Um, but it's been very slow, obviously, because of casinos. But we have 400 plus people. We we have people coming in, in you know, a lot. Uh, I think I, I think about seven or eight people joined from uh, that that wanted to learn more. You know, that we're actually going to fall for Christopher Mitchell's shit. Um, and they've joined the forum, so uh, you know we're glad to help them out. Um, well, I, I've got a question here. Uh, you know, Colin Jones, you've you've mentioned him a few times. Uh, I know you weren't doing his work when you were uh, going after Morganstern. I, I believe that this was your own uh, decision to do this, and I so I, I believe that Colin's yeah. assumption was incorrect. But uh, you must have some kind of association with him. He's part he's part of your forum and uh and somehow Morganster got an idea that you were associated. So what what is the association between you two? I didn't I didn't know Colin Jones until Morganster was bringing him up. I, I honestly I, I was exposed to Morganster for 4 or 5 months um and he kept uh bringing up Colin Jones so then I basically reached out to Colin um because I didn't I don't you know, I don't agree with his three thousand um, dollar his three thousand dollar boot camp, only I, I I endorse it only if people want it, want to go become a professional, basically an advantage player with where they can learn and they get the networking from people like Tom Tommy Hilfiger or Tommy Hilfiger Tommy Highland. Yeah, I was gonna say Tommy uh, Hilfiger like, would, wouldn't help be very helpful for gambling. But uh, yeah, so, so but is Colin? You said he's part of your forum though now, uh, Colin Jones. No, no, he comes in. He's he's part of it, but he only comes in when I when I email him say hey. Um, he hasn't been in about six or seven months, but uh, he came in and did three. Um, I think he's done about three question and answers Q and A session because we have a voice chat that it's a it's you know we're gonna start doing our own podcast and stuff like that too. You're, you know, we'll probably invite you in, but, um, uh, basically we have our, you know, where people can just go on the same voice chat and we start discussing. And, uh, when he'd do his question and answers, you know, we'd have about, you know, good 20 to 25 people, uh, part of it, you know? Um, but yeah, he'd come in he'd do it for free. Uh, he'd spend an hour with them and, uh, just basically answering the questions and stuff. But, so there's no uh, association you two have. He just uh, occasionally uh, comes to your forum when you message him, but there's no there's no uh, like partnership or business arrangement or anything. It's just a guy you kind of know. Absolutely, absolutely not. I don't make any money. He hasn't paid me for anything. He hasn't paid me to endorse him. In fact, like I said, it's quite the opposite. Um, 
because I tell people our form, you don't have to spend a dime and you can learn so much. And then if you want, once you become after the four steps, if you want to, if you think you can, you want to do this uh, regularly, then, then I endorse joining his membership. It's like 150 bucks, I think for a year. Um, and then if they want to eventually uh, do the boot camps, because he only does like 15 people, uh, he maxes it out at 15 people for these boot camps, but I don't even endorse that. And I even told him, me and him have talked. I was like, you know, I was like, I'm not, I don't endorse your $3,000, but um, boot camps, but I ended up learning more about his boot camps um, because he rents a house in Vegas. He puts all these people up, drinks, uh, food, um, has people like Tommy Highland. Uh, come in and all this other stuff. Um, well, yeah, I agree. I you know what? I, I agree uh, with your assessment without even knowing much about it. I, I have to agree that it, unless you're going to become a serious professional uh, card counter, which is much harder these days. And when I say these days, I mean for the last 10 years uh, because because of the increased casino heat. Uh, so unless you are very serious about that, then it, it probably isn't worth spending the money. And that uh, for, for much cheaper, you can learn to become a a, a competent card counter in fact, I, I learned f- without uh, taking any courses or anything about 20 years ago. So, okay, let, let me get back to Christopher Mitchell. So, so you, so you started sure. in, in investigating the whole thing because you were the the attention was brought to those videos, and uh, I, I see from watching your videos about him because he's he's told lies upon lies. It is interesting. You've pointed this out in your videos that he frequently contradicts himself. He'll frequently tell lies that you can easily debunk by, by some research or just by comparing past videos where he said other things or sometimes the numbers don't add up. Like the lies aren't even that sophisticated where you just have to watch like uh, – you don't have to watch that carefully. He says something that are just outrageous on, on, on their face and then other things he'll say you can even uh, debunk just by thinking critically or, or looking at past things he said or looking up certain records. So I know you've been exposing a lot of this. And uh, has he ever contacted you directly? I know he's talked about you. I know he's made videos kind of responding to you. Has he ever, like, sent you an email or, or a PM or something and said, let's, let's talk directly? Has that ever happened? No, the, just uh, what's, what's been publicly out there is uh, I sent him an email basically saying, how does it get, get you know, because when I finally got the, uh, how does it feel to be uh, my new number one target? And I sent him my first two videos. And then uh, he, uh, you know, because he posted, it, he goes, "This guy's stalking me. He he, he thinks I've been stalk. He thinks I've known him for years. He kept telling people I've been stalking him for years. I'm obsessed. All this other shit. I didn't know this guy existed until two months ago. So, uh, so yeah. So basically, I forgot. I was getting off point here. <laughs> no, it's fine. Look, I, if, I you, if you, if you, I'm drinking right now because when I talk about this guy, I mean I have to drink because this guy. <laughs> that's okay. But, um, oh yeah, getting back. Yeah, no. getting back to him contacting me. No, um, I sent him the email. He sent me one back. Um, I've sent him challenges. I sent him, hey, I put I put up fifty thousand if he passes a lie detector test. Oh, that's a good and one. And if he doesn't, then I <laughs> then I could beat the shit out of him legally. <laughs> you know, and, I, uh, I I actually have uh, uh, I, I've from, from watching all these here. Uh, I, I can tell you that uh, it's it's unlikely that he would respond directly to you. In fact, I've put out the invitation to him. I put it out earlier tonight. I put it on the forum. I'll put I'll put this now. There's, it's very unlikely 
that he will respond to me. But I want to give him a chance to respond to everything you've said, to everything Jeff Dime has said, to everything I have said. I, I would love to get a response from him, and preferably something He's live, here. something preferably something live, for, for where uh, he can't uh, uh, pick and choose what he answers. But even not live, even if he doesn't want to be on the hot seat live, if he would like to prepare a response and show why, specifically why. Your assertions are incorrect. My assertions are incorrect. Uh, and, and, but what you usually get from him are answers like, uh, well, if I'm a scammer, would I meet with people in person? Well, yes. <laughs> if you're scamming, lots of scammers meet with people in person. That, that doesn't mean you're not a scammer. Or if I was a scammer, uh, would I have all this money? Yes, there's been scammers who've had uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. By the, look at Bernie Madoff; he was a scammer. Look how rich he was at one point. Uh, just if I was a scammer, would I have this much money? That that doesn't mean you're you're not a scammer because you have money at the moment. Which, as you said before, his is, scams he, are so transparent. Though he, he, he's I, a, I don't understand his scams are so. I mean, okay, he came out of the blue in October. Okay, well. Okay, so he comes out of the blue and then he starts making these claims, and and I, I, you know, uh, I keep pointing them out, but I, I don't want to take credit. I'm gonna, I, I have a lot of people that, um, there's people from his own home city have contacted me. There's people from his Facebook group that have gotten kicked out, that have gotten hold of me. I have my own researchers. I have people in my form. I have. There's a lot of people that are helping me. I, I'm not taking credit. I may, I may look like. Like, oh, you know, but I, I tell people, you know, I was like, hey, I'm not taking credit. A lot of people are helping me and a lot of people are behind the scenes feeding me information. They're like, hey, this is what he does. This is what he does. You know, and my, my researcher, my main researcher dug up the uh, the recent one, the, the court documents. Yeah, um, I read those. I read those. Those those are really interesting. In fact, uh, for those who've been following this, uh, you can see on the forum I post I posted a summary of this, and, and I know that I actually found it from watching Kevin's video. But he, there was an interesting situation with Christopher and uh, and his ex his current wife's ex husband, uh, where where there was a, a legal battle, uh, and so she's his first of all his wife doesn't have custody of her own daughter. Which is whenever a mom doesn't have custody of their kids, you know the mom's exactly. real screwed up that's, because that's a, a red flag. The, the courts in general really, really hate separating kids from the mom. Sometimes you get a crappy court that separates the kid from their dad when they shouldn't. I think the, the kids really should have access to both parents, even if both parents aren't perfect, as long as they're not being abused by the parents. Um, really, both parents should always have uh, access to the kids. But uh, but I have seen it where the fathers get screwed and, and uh, the mom gets uh, full custody. But when the mom loses full custody, when the, the full custody is given to the father, you know the mom's real screwed up and, and – and, I mean, just think about how bad the situation has to be to where the mother can't be with her own kid. And the courts hate doing that. So when that has been done, that's a very bad situation. But what was really weird about this case is that there was a lawsuit filed by uh, Christopher Mitchell and his wife against his wife's ex-husband, which I've never seen a lawsuit before that was – Suing someone for lying in court and getting and and causing decisions that that were incorrect. Like that's the whole point of court is to determine who's lying, who didn't. You you can't say, well, I I don't like the way these three court cases went, so I'm going to sue you for lying in court. No, that's 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 what court is for in the first place. Once a court decision has been made, and the, the, then then that's it. That's that's considered yeah, the decision. Not, 
So yeah, to let listeners know this, this their lawsuit was after uh, the police came in. Um, after they, they got an emergency uh, junction, the court ordered it. Police came in and snatched uh, her daughter um, away from their their presence. And and this is factual. This is all do- documents. He was talking, trying to brainwash her her daughter into saying that he could be her her real dad. Um, he was trying to use the daughter like like he's doing now, the family, like he's a fan. They're trying to be a family for his networking, his uh, networking scam that he was doing. He was trying to use her daughter. He was trying to t- brainwash her daughter, saying he could be her dad. Uh, he was talking to an eight-year-old, her daughter, about rape and sexual sexual uh, contacts or sexual innuendos. Um, he was at one of his business partner's house watching gay porn with her daughter and uh, the, the her daughter, meaning uh, Stacy's daughter, and his business partner's children were present in the house, and they they actually witnessed um, him watching the gay porn. Uh, what else did he do? Yeah, I saw that um, whole. I, I, oh, I, read the, I read the whole document that, that that was posted there, and yeah, it was it was very interesting. That so it was this lawsuit claiming that that uh, basically her ex husband lied about all this, and then made all these bad things happen, including losing her kid, including various court decisions. I'm like, well, that that should have been adjudicated at the time. You can't go sue about this, but they were. But what was most astounding about that lawsuit, which was for like two million dollars or something like that, uh, what was most astounding yeah. about that lawsuit was that in that lawsuit it repeatedly asserted that her ex-husband uh, was falsely accusing him of having been in gay porn under the name Kyle Prescott and that that and that the pictures that he was posting of Christopher from the past uh, from these web from these porn websites that this wasn't really him that he wasn't Kyle Prescott that he never did gay porn that this is a lie that this was used against them that this is all invented and this was it's one thing to just say this on the internet you know when you're guilty of something to, it's one thing to just say no I didn't do this or no that's not me but to actually file a lawsuit and 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 uh, have this through the court system where you are asserting that you were not in gay porn. When you actually were. I mean, how could he have thought that this had any chance of being successful? Because once this went to court, for sure this would have come out. There's no way you can deny it. So as you mentioned in your video, this lawsuit was dropped when uh, when her ex-husband subpoenaed Colt Studios, which is the porn, which is the, the gay porn studio that was putting out his uh, yeah. his content in 2010. They, they submitted information in the videos from Colt Studios and they went, oh, crap. Well, we're screwed. <laughs> like, how did they not see that coming? How did they? How did they think not it was only possible? That, but he, not only that, but he said uh, because he was driving, um, he was driving uh, without a valid license, and then or with cars, and uh, and he was driving her kid around um, without a valid license, and he kept saying, "No, I had cars. I owned a car." And I had driver's license, and and they the the ex husband subpoenaed uh, uh, Florida where he was in in California, um, and as the the driver's license bureau and uh, Department of Motor Vehicles for cars, uh, and uh, you know that's between he had the, that subpoenaed and the Colt Studios, and that's when it was all dropped. So basically. Christopher and his, his, his wife were lying to their lawyers and their lawyers 
you remember, uh, it's all in the video. And he drew up all this, all the ex-husband said this and they did this and he did all this. But the minute, you know, the, uh, the dog, the husband, uh, subpoenaed all them. That's when they, they said, Oh shit, you know, and that's when the lawyers probably realized. Right. It was so predictable know, though. Uh, like how, how, that's what's so amazing to me. It's one thing to lie about something which is hard to disprove, but, but to say I wasn't in a gay porn video 10 years ago, or I guess at that time it was seven years ago. Uh, I wasn't in a gay porn video seven years ago when it's so easy to prove that you were. Like, how did they ever think that was going to get by? How do you ever think you're going to get by with that in court? That one's just the easiest thing to prove that you're lying about. So, of course, it fell apart. It was, it's amazing. I, yeah, I believe you that they lied to the lawyer. No no lawyer would ever uh, submit documents like that saying, oh, he wasn't – Kyle Prescott, no, he wasn't in these films. No, he wasn't – there's no way the lawyer would have put that if he knew that it was. He would have told them, don't bother trying to say this because they're going to subpoena and that will be that. So – uh, it, it's, 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 it's amazing. And that was, that was a, an interesting side story to the whole thing. I actually went and pulled up from, from your videos. Then he, then he swore, then he swore once, yeah, once I made the videos about it, then he swore in the Bible that he never did gay porn. And then when I proved it, then he was like, well, uh, I, I was 18 and I needed money. Um, and I only masturbated. I got $2,000 and, and, and the guy told me all I need to do is masturbate. No, no. It's yeah, 2018 I that. is when he did other porn he's done he's been many many stints in gay porn it's what it looks <laughs> like and, and i and i played that little thing that he said which is no longer on his channel but you saved i i played that on uh um on this show last week uh, what what's what's also what's interesting to me about him and you can comment on this this is just speculation for me but i would think that uh if he was not using this christian angle and trying to mainly get people who are older into this system. That's what he's, he's aiming this at elderly and, and kind of near elderly people who, who, who are Christian. Yeah. So if it wasn't for this demographic, I would think he could actually tell the truth about the gay porn and weave this into his story. He could say, you know what? I used to be so poor that I actually, despite being a straight guy, I did uh, masturbation porn uh, for gay porn labels because that's how desperate for money I was. That's what I lowered myself to. And then I learned how to be a professional gambler, and now I don't have to do this stuff anymore. Now I don't have a job. I don't have to do anything humiliating. Now, now I make all this money just gambling. And look where I was. Look where I was in 2010. Look where I am today. So even if you weren't as desperate as I was in 2010, this shows you how far this elevated me. So he could use that as a pitch and admit to it. And the thing is, in 2020, uh, there's there's such a, a wide acceptance of of people being gay and and, and it's it's not like it used to be where if if you're gay you're seen as as a pariah it's not like that at all so he could totally use this to his advantage but the reason he's not and the reason he won't in my opinion is because he's using the Christian angle and he's using the that angle also to ensnare older people and the the one demographic that is not going to like thinking about the fact that he was a gay porn star would be older Christian people they're going to go. No, I, I want nothing to do with a former gay porn star. I don't care if he doesn't do it anymore. Whereas like someone like me, if, if I knew I, I could learn something from someone who, who had a, a past doing gay porn or even if they were once a gay prostitute, I wouldn't care. I don't care. I, I would learn from a current gay prostitute if they had something to teach me. Uh, so – but a lot of people – the people he's trying – the people he's trying to, to ensnare there are not – they don't think that way. They they want to believe in the in the person that that they're a good. They want to think they're learning from another good Christian, and and not someone with a scandalous past. And 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 also the older Christian crowd is much less warm to the whole gay thing 
uh, it, it, compared to the rest of society at this point. So that so that's why he can't give that up. That's why he can't admit to that. And uh, and he he and it's it's got to be killing him that he can't just weave this into the story. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have thought of it by now. Instead of just deny, deny, yeah. deny. Uh, it, so the the whole thing is is so fascinating to me because of all things, it has it has a, a gay porn aspect to it. It's got this weird uh, family aspect. Um, let's talk about the recent video that came out where he walked the Las Vegas Strip. This was pretty horrifying to me. Uh, I saw him walking on. I think it was on April twenty seventh or twenty eighth. He was w- walking on the Las Vegas Strip, which is mostly abandoned, in front of Bellagio, in front of the fountains there, and he says. It's around 100 degrees now. And sure enough, it, it, it was around 100 degrees that day on the Strip. I looked up the weather. And the UV index was like 9.5, which is considered very high, which you don't want to be out in without, uh, uh, without protection, if, even if you're just a, a regular adult. And, uh, and then the amazing thing about the video is it's not that he's just walking himself out there. He's walking with his wife and infant son. And for those of you that have had kids, you know that what you don't do – is expose your infant child to uh, to very dangerous high UV rays, and that's exactly what was going on that day. It was it was 100 degrees with the sun beating down, and you could tell by the shadows in the video it was recorded around like 1 p.m. And that's when the UV danger was actually highest, according to the the the, the weather reports of that day. So I mean. You've got to be real careful with babies. Babies are – they're not like kids. They're not like adults for sure. But like the difference of, of exposing like a five-year-old to a 100-degree uh, sun and, and a baby that's a few months old, it's a tremendous difference. The five-year-old is much safer. You don't want to put the five-year-old in the 100-degree sun, but the, they can take it. You, you want to put sunblock on them. But babies, you've yep. got to be super careful with. Those tiny babies, they are so fragile. You've got to be super careful with them. You do not put them out there in in 100-degree direct sunlight at 1 p.m. And with a 9.5 UV index, but he did that. And the amazing thing was he didn't just do it because they had to be out there for some reason. They had no purpose in the video. He could have done the exact same video walking by himself. So he dragged them out there because he wants to show all the families together. So they're walking with him. The baby has this like very sheer kind of like white sheet over its head. Which, which is not always covering it, which, which is kind of going on and off uh, the baby. But even – that's not going to protect them from 9.5 uh, UV index rays at, at 1 p.m. on a 100-degree day. So, and also the baby can get dehydrated out there. It's, it's, it's a terrible yeah. environment to bring a baby. And I'm watching this and going, I can't believe he's doing this, especially when there's no purpose. The, his wife and his kid should be back in the apartment or the condo, wherever he lives, uh, and, and – uh, and she should be caring for the baby there and keeping the baby cool and healthy. He shouldn't be dragging the baby out to the 100-degree sun. I couldn't believe not this. Not to mention it's a stay, they're at a stay-at-home order, you know, not to be – and they're just dro- walking around exercising, walking the strip, you know, on top of a on top of a stay-at-home order, and, and they're just walking around. It's like – it's it's incredible. Yeah, I, I couldn't incredible. believe that, but especially the, the baby was just a prop there. There was no point to have the baby out. There was no point to have the – it's not like the, the – like – it would be bad enough if the mom was gone somewhere and he's like, well, the only way I can do this video is if I bring the baby because I can't leave the baby by itself. The mom was there. She could have stayed home. <laughs> There's yeah. no reason to have them out there. And I'm going, wow, he just – Well, the, mom, the mom's a piece of shit because, I mean, she already gave up her daughter. She gave up the rights to her daughter because of this clown. You know, she. so now she's doing it again. And, and, and not only that – they not only were they they dragged them out in hundred degree heat and they were exercising and it was a stay at home order. This is another thing my videos documented. 
he was he drags his kid. They're dragging their kid from casino to casino, and she's the kid's in the lap. The baby. We're talking a eight month old baby or whatever, and they're drinking alcohol. And that was documented four separate times. Then on eight different times, eight different uh, separate days or whatever, he was driving, holding the, his camera, filming, talking, doing a, uh, doing a video, live stream or video or whatever, where he's talking to the camera. She's in the driver's seat um, in the, with the baby, and he's holding the camera, talking to the, his, his video, and he's driving with one hand. <laughs> then that was on eight separate times. And then the RV he's doing, he's driving across the RV or uh, the country in an RV for 30 minutes, holding the camera, talking to chat, live stream, talking to his people in chat for 30 minutes while the baby and the, and the, the moms was in the RV. You know, that's, that's the type of people they are, but they're supposedly Christians, you know? Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I feel bad for that crap. baby. Like, I, I hope that, I hope that baby ends up okay. I nothing, I hope nothing happens to the baby. And I hope that the, the, uh, everything the parents are doing there doesn't uh, affect the child. Some, you know, sometimes I've seen it where the child can overcome where, uh, the parents are crappy. And sometimes the, I call it the anti example where sometimes the parents will, the child will grow up and see both parents are pieces of shit. And the, instead of the, the kid becoming worse, sometimes the kid will say, you know what? This is what I don't want to become. Like some of the best people I know had like really crappy parents and they actually learned from seeing the crappy parents and said, I'm actually going to be the opposite of this. And they, and they, it's, it's kind of the, it's, it's, it's like, the opposite of a kid rebelling against good parents. This is sometimes a kid will rebel against crappy parents by being good. Unfortunately, the norm is not that situation. Unfortunately, the norm is when the kid has a crappy parent, has crappy parents who are irresponsible and who uh, do a lot of things they shouldn't. Uh, this affects the kid and, uh, and, and will, that will go all the way to adulthood where the kid is screwed up and, uh, and it can be traced back to the childhood. So that's, uh, uh, I, I hope the baby's okay. I hate seeing when, when, Little babies are, are placed in, in dangerous situations or the parents are being irresponsible. And it's, it's, and these aren't young parents. These are parents in their forties. They should, it, when you're in your forties and you, and you have your, a child, uh, one benefit you should have is that you're more responsible. You're more sensible by then, a lot more sensible than you should have been 20 years ago. But the, the, the that definitely yeah. is not what's going on here. So, uh, yeah, that's, so you're going to continue with this, uh, expose of christopher mitchell i mean he has new videos every day by the way the, the video he he posted of, of the atm i want to tell you guys about this i'm not going to play it but it's you guys can go watch yeah. it you want. it was absurd so he, he this this again was with kevin davis in his head and uh and so for for so long he's been trying to prove he, he really has a lot of money and that his cash that he flashes is real so he decided that the way he's going to prove that he's rich and that this $50,000 that he flashes all the time on the camera is real and not some kind of like uh, Chinese-bought uh, counterfeit money. Uh, so he thought that by going to the ATM and withdrawing uh, $2,000, this was going to prove it. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so what he did is he claimed he had three – he claimed he had six accounts at Chase Bank. He showed himself driving up to Chase Bank. This was just this past week. Then, for whatever reason, he didn't withdraw from six. He tried to withdraw from three. He's a millionaire. Yeah, he's a millionaire in a he he he's in a rented Hyundai Sonata. Yeah, and and then <laughs> so and, we we joked about the form that that he rented a Hyundai. You know, hey honey, we uh, 
Stacy's like, where are you going? Oh, I'm renting a Hyundai Sonata, and I'm going to go to the ATM to prove I'm a millionaire. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what he did. So so he went – so he goes to the ATM, and, and uh, he – Pretends like he's trying to withdraw three thousand. It only lets him draw one thousand. So then he goes to the second account. It lets him withdraw one thousand. He's like, "See, see, look at this. A thousand worth of twenties here. A thousand worth of twenties here." So what did the haters have to say about that? Two thousand dollars worth of twenties. I'm like, okay, that says you have two thousand dollars to your name. That's not. Uh, that's a far cry from fifty. That's a really far cry for being a millionaire. But the worst thing about that video is while he's struggling with it to to try to withdraw three thousand, then two thousand, then one thousand, and and all that right there a big. Big button on the screen both times says show balance. All he has to do is bang, hit show balance, not withdraw anything, and yeah. show the machine saying your balance is a million dollars, your balance is $80,000, something like that. For some reason, he misses the show balance button. He just never touches it. And I'm thinking, how can people watch this and not notice it? It's not like a tiny button on the side. It's a big show balance. And he's going, well, it's too bad I can't withdraw 3000 here. I could prove I had at least 3000 in this account, which still doesn't show you much. But, but – Hit show balance. It'll show you what your balance is. He's like, well, what will I do with all these? What do I do with all these 20s? How do uh, it's not going to be convenient to have all these 20s? Well, you don't have to get 20s. Press show balance. You don't have to withdraw anything. I, I couldn't believe that balance button's right there. He puts the video up and nobody says anything of his followers. Nobody bothers to think the easiest way to prove it is just hit show balance. And, uh, uh that would be a, a, a smart way to prove it to, to the quote haters without having to withdraw large sums of money. Just drive up to machine, have the, the camera running, and hit show balance. And, in fact, do it on a live stream so people can't say that you're uh, you're faking it or editing it later. No, nothing like that. He, instead, he's going to withdraw a bunch of 20s and, and say that's, that means he's a millionaire. So it's, it's so funny seeing seeing videos like this. And then it's, it's kind of a combination of funny and sad to see people – uh, responding like, "Oh, you showed them. Well, those yeah. those haters. They, they what are they going to say to this?" And I go, "Wow, yeah. just, some people they can't learn." But I I think from 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 reading some of the comments, I, I've come to understand that there's just some people who who just want to believe that there is someone out there like him that can just teach them effortlessly how to win. Because people when they I have people asking me all the time, how do you become an advantage player? How do you become a how, – how can you win at the casinos? How 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 can you beat uh, slot machines? How can you beat blackjack? And I go, well, okay, this requires some work. And so I, I'll even explain the blackjack. I'll explain uh, – on my own site, I even have some uh, resources I posted like eight years ago about uh, how, to, how to learn to card count and, and, and what to do. And I, I explain. It takes practice. You have to get used to it. You have to uh, – you have to run a bunch of uh, – Simulations for yourself on on uh, on a on some kind of free blackjack program, so you can learn it uh, from experience. Then you got to go to the casino and kind of you don't want to try high limits first until you get used to it. And know you're a winning player. And it's a long process. And then the whole thing with like advantage playing slot machines or or video poker machines or anything like that. You you it's it's a very tedious process. And and uh, it, it, there's there's variance to it. It's not just free money. It, it's a lot of work. It helps if you know people who can give you tips, who, who can tell you things they know too because uh, it's kind of like a small network of information. People share it with each other but don't want to share too much or otherwise whatever the advantage play they have going on can disappear. It's, it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of effort, and, and some people do it successfully. I don't even want – honestly, I don't even want to put out the amount of effort that's required to do this uh, – with most of my time because it's just too much. And especially having uh, a family myself, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I don't want to put the effort into. I'll, I'll do it to some degree, but not uh, the same way others will do. But uh, 
they don't want that. And if you tell anyone about this, their response is going to be, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. Oh, that's so hard. Wow, wow there's so much to learn. They just they want something easy. They want a guy to say, I will make you $5,000 in the casino if you just follow this simple strategy. And they go, oh, wow, that's what I want, the simple strategy, the the, the easy strategy yep. that I can learn in one day. And and that's who goes for it, and they don't. They just don't want to believe that that isn't possible. They just want to believe they've been losing because they just don't know the right guy who has the magic strategy. And they don't even want to put critical thought into it. Like Martin Gale's been around for so long, how how come uh, everybody's not doing it? How come casinos haven't banned Martin Gale players? How come how come uh, how come that's not a known strategy? You just always win. How come all these decades later, he's the one who's discovered this is the way you can win? Nobody thinks about this. Nobody googles it. Nobody. It's it's amazing. But then again, people fall for these Nigerian scams about you know, send me. $20,000 to process uh, an $800 million inheritance I'm getting because I'm a Nigerian prince yeah. and, and I'll bring the money and you'll get you'll get a $400 million for it. Like there's people who fall for that and there's people who fall for really obvious dating scams, not where like some uh, s- someone's very convincing and, and tricks you into uh, a romance with them and then they just make off with money from you. I'm talking about well, – super- another thing with his money. Yeah. What were you going to say? With his money, his money is – he keeps – the fifty thousand dollars, and it's like okay, he he put out all his money, he laid it on a, on a, on a, um on the coffee table. When all he needed to do was, I'm like, well, show the counterfeit pen. <laughs> you know, he put it all out, but he he won't do the counterfeit pen thing. He won't. If somebody even put that uh, made a comment. I put that on the video. Um, so how somebody um, somebody even said, hey, all you need to do is go and deposit it, and he's like. Well, I don't care about people. Uh, I don't care if people think my money's fake. But yet he went to the ATM. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, right. There's, there's contradictions <laughs> like that. I don't care about the haters, and then he'll talk about the haters every single video, or he'll make videos trying to disprove yeah. the haters. Yeah, it's, it's and then uh, he, you you did another video recently, which I encourage people to go watch. A, a really funny thing where his quote best session ever at the Golden Nugget, where he claims to have uh, played Baccarat, bet on the player, and and, and that it hit, uh, he said 21 times in a row. On the card he showed, it was actually uh, 21 times plus two ties, which is equivalent to 21 times in a row. So he claimed that made him almost $25,000. And as you pointed out, the guy who, who constantly flashes money all the time, even goes to the ATM to show money, for some reason, in this biggest win ever, doesn't flash a single dollar doesn't show any big chips. Doesn't show any chips. Shows nothing except a card, a handwritten card showing that it hit twenty-one times. And and he's and then he does this even back in his room because well maybe he doesn't want to flash twenty-five thousand dollars in the in the casino and have someone mug him. Well, he's back in his room. He could easily show it there. He doesn't show it there either. So the one time he doesn't flash money is the time when most people would. He shows nothing. He just shows. A, Look at this card. I've, I it shows a twenty-one player bets hit in a row. I, I, I also I was curious. It's my best, it's I, my best night ever. Best yeah. night ever. Look, look. I, I was CTR even said he cashed out. He's like, you know, I covered I covered up and I went and cashed out and I walked out with twenty-five thousand dollars. Okay, well, show the CTR. Right. No CTR. <laughs> <laughs> show the show the money in your in your hotel room like you've done in all the other videos. Nope, nothing. Yeah. So and I, then it's like what so I think happened. Day, and like like last week, he does the same thing. He goes, look, this is my best night ever. Okay, and that's when I said, okay, he's going to show us the CTR. 
And he holds up the card again. <laughs> and I think what I was trying to think about, like what really happened there. And to me, it, what it looks like is he went to the Golden Nugget. He he filmed himself about to go in. I have a feeling this wasn't premeditated. Otherwise, he would have brought the cash with him. That 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 cash he always flashes at the beginning. He could have brought that and claimed that was the, the cash he just won. So this didn't. Seem, it seemed like he came up with the idea while he was in there. And I think I think this is one of these things where he built a lie from something true, but it wasn't true about him. I think he was in there, and earlier that day, uh, twenty-one player bets hit, which is very, very rare. It's like a one in one million sh- uh, thing for that to happen. But obviously, it, 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 over a long period of time, this will eventually happen. Uh, not not to you necessarily as a player, but a, a, at the game, it will occur where a one in a million shot of, of 21 player bets without a banker bet hitting uh, can occur. So I, I actually calculated the ad, uh, the, the odds on the, uh, the poker fraud alert threat. So I think he was probably in there, and there was probably talk about sometime that day it happened, and and here's a card from what had happened, and he probably just copied it. He probably is like he probably came up with the idea right then, because he heard about, hey, did you hear about five hours ago the 21 player bets hit? And, and then he, uh, or it's even possible he was there when it hit, but he wasn't betting on the player every time. It's, a, it's so whatever it was, he didn't walk. It's possible he he lost all his money there, and that's why he had nothing to flash. So whatever it was, he went in there, and and something gave him the idea about the 21 player bets, and the fact that there were two ties in there, uh, it, it made me think the way that card was written, it made me think it was a real card from some point, but probably not his card, and probably not from his play, but uh, but just a real card that he had copied in some way. And then this was the new idea of, of, oh, wow, I just had this amazing day, everybody. Look, look at this handwritten record about it. It was something like that, and he didn't – and then he – as he was doing anything, oh, crap, I didn't bring my fake cash with me. Well, should I go back home and get it? You know what? I don't feel like it. My followers are gullible enough. I'm just going to talk about it and keep flashing the card. And that's uh, – because, as I said, if it was premeditated, he would have brought the cash with him and flashed it in the hotel room and, and uh, used that as a prop. So He didn't have it then. He, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He didn't have the money then. So, oh, you're saying he didn't have the cash he was flashing at that point? That was older. No, he didn't. No, he yeah, he didn't have the fake cash. Oh, that, that okay. That's that's why it makes sense. Okay, so that 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 now I understand. All right, so that's like so many things like that you'll see in these videos, and you think that someone would say, "Hey, there's something weird about this," and uh, but but no one does, or not no one does. No, uh, so, some of his followers just can't be convinced. But but as as Kevin said. More and more people eventually realize it, and even people who get victimized by it, like this guy Rick Lee, who has, has finally uh, turned on him, and he's now he's been bashing Rick Lee on his vid- one of his videos. I I I have Rick Lee's story. So Rick Lee, everybody, he Rick Lee was in four videos. Rick Lee was his biggest believer. Rick Lee gave him money. Okay, so here's Rick Lee's. I got the email right here. He paid on December twenty eighth. That's when he bought Christopher Mitchell's strategies and stuff. All right, this is when he was doing the one-on-one coaching. Chris, he met up with Christopher Mitchell uh, in Vegas. Christopher Mitchell wanted $5,000 for two days. He says, I told him I lost forty k already and can't afford that much. So he agreed to accept one k for one day, and we both agreed. It says, when I arrived in his room, he told me that I must agree to do a video, and that is why he charged less than one k and I agreed. <laughs> um uh, it says, oh, if I if he makes 10k, then he owes him another 1500. So after the first the first day, I shadowed him and I bet 90 percent of what he bet. Uh, we had a rocky shoe by the end of that. I was up five 5200. I was excited, not knowing any better. I still was not confident and played myself. Text him, 
So basically, he won $8,000 the first time. And Rick's like, all his strategy was was betting on Banker and Martingale and the Banker. They decided to go meet up with him in, in Biloxi after he won $8,000. This is where they did. It was a guy named Tommy and Kirk. Uh, these were from his uh, Facebook group. And that's when uh, they, so they met up with him in Biloxi. And Tommy was down a few thousand and Kirk was down a few thousand. He took his whole bankroll, 15000 and he lost it in 20 minutes. Says they were chasing the, the banker. Um, says all three of us decided not to follow CM anymore, Christopher Mitchell. Bet anymore that night. I think he left and all three of us played together. And then basically he got his money back, Tommy Kirk, without doing his tragedies. The morning we all met in coffee and Christopher Mitchell said, told us he lost 36000 That's when he lost. He lost all his money. Uh, and didn't want to do the group coach anymore. So he gave Tommy and Kirk their money back because he lost, they lost all their money. So they, so basically Christopher Mitchell lost 36,000 in Biloxi, which, which was a video document. And he had to make that video because they all, they all saw him lose. It says now being a superstitious as a gambler as I am, I wanted to try to go to Vegas again because he won 8,000 the first time and thinking that it might work better over there. With Christopher Mitchell, so I con- I contact him again. I agreed to do a part two video uh, called Beast Mode Baccarat, but that never got shown because we lost a lot. He lost thirty thousand dollars that night, fifteen at Bellagio, and fifteen at Cosmopolitan, and I lost ten thousand again. So he lost basically twenty five thousand following Christopher Mitchell. It says I decided not to follow him the next day. So I decided not to follow him the next day. He texted me if I want to, but I never replied. I think that's why he got pissed off. His excuse was my my girlfriend was with us. He just wanted me and him to play alone that day. So then I lost my confidence with him and never contact him or post anything on his Facebook group. Then suddenly in two to three weeks, he removed me and blocked me immediately after I asked him why he replied and blocked me right away. I said, what a coward. Every time I, every time anyone contacted me, I just told them the truth about how we lost. That's all I did. I'm not sure what he think. I talked trash behind him. I'm extremely glad he did kick me out of the group because I now realize what kind of person he is and with everything that you've done to expose him. Thank you for your videos and how you show the truth about TM. Yeah, and I read yeah. I read some of his comments. Uh, he actually was commenting on the video you posted of this show from two weeks ago, where, where you, the, the two-hour segment I did introducing Christopher Mitchell to the audience, and you posted it on your channel. And Rick Lee listened to it and then posted his story. And, uh, so, uh-huh. and people were going back and forth with him. And I thought that was very, I thought that was the most interesting thing. And then all the comments was the discussion with Rick Lee. And then I went back and watched some of the old videos that he was in. And, uh, it's, it's a sad story. At least he realized it. But then recently this week, uh, Christopher made a video bashing Rick Lee, actually calling him out by bashing name Rick Lee. and, and saying, so, yeah, I, I've so, done so, so many great people listening. Yes. Yeah, for all the people listening now. And then what, cause I'm on a, post this uh, podcast in another video. That's the kind of person Christopher Mitchell is. Rick Lee gave him money, paid him, and never talked shit about him. Only people, only the truth when people, because Rick Lee, like I said, he wasn't, 
and they even took a uh, took a while uh, for Chris Lee to you know Rick Lee to, to post this, but um, so basically that's the kind of person Christopher Mitchell is. Rick Lee gave him money um, and lost, told the people the truth about how he lost thirty six thousand in Biloxi. All the people lost from the group, um, and then he then, then he tried to meet up with them uh, in Vegas again and gave him money. Um, and they lost. He lost his t- entire ten thousand dollar bankroll. Christopher Mitchell lost thirty thousand, um, and he got kicked out because. And Chris said, Chris accused him of talking shit behind his back. And all people, all Rick Lee was doing was asking people, or people were asking him what happened, and he was just telling them the truth. He lost yeah. money. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the whole, and that seems to be the whole thing he's doing. There's been a lot of censorship. Yeah, there's a lot of censorship involved to keep this going where they've got their very protected Facebook group where the second you say anything that's critical or the, or you claim you've lost money or you question the system, you're gone. You, you have to be a yes man to be in that group and stay in that group. And if you, if you realize at some point that you're not being told the truth and that the system doesn't work, or even if you want to just explain that for you personally it failed even if you don't question the system if you want to say well my experience was i lost a lot of money uh you're not allowed to be there and they throw you out and and not they he throws you out he's the the one in charge so so this poor rick lee guy lost a ton of money following the strategy that was laid out by uh, by christopher and then even tried it again in Vegas, lost a lot more money and then said you know what i'm done and then just told people the truth and said how'd it go and then he gets thrown out, and then he gets bashed in a video saying, and I heard the video bashing him. He was a groupie, yeah, that he was a groupie, yeah. and, yeah, and he, he, you know, followed me, and he was a groupie and shit like that. Right, so. So, 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 it was a, so he was basically saying about Rick Lee in the, in the video bashing him that he was a groupie, that they took him in, that he, he and his wife treated this guy great and took him out to dinners and, uh, and just did nothing but good things for them and, and, and taught him everything, and, and then because Rick couldn't control himself and made bets that he was told not to bet and, and, and bet on side bets when he shouldn't have. That's why he lost money, and now he's blaming him. So it's like, we did all these great things that's for him. A, and, 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 that was the false, and that was lies. That was a lie. No, I'm sure he it was did a lie. the side bets. He did all the side bets prior to meeting them. Yeah. So oh, I'm sure. Of lie, course. Of course. So, you know? so he's blaming the, so he, so someone who loses a ton of money to that bunk system, uh, utilizing that in the casino and pays Christopher for this crappy advice uh when he tells the truth about what happens uh, he's he's bashed in a subsequent video that uh that it was his fault that they did great things for him and that yep. he just deviated from it it's his fault which is really crappy to to bash someone like this but the reason he started bashing it was because when when rick started speaking out on your channel in the comments he got nervous and said well crap if people watch this and read that one of my former students is saying this uh they may not want to keep paying me so I'm going to discredit him now too. So everybody's called a hater. So I want to I want to close with this here before we move on. Okay. So I know that Christopher Mitchell likes to say that uh, Kevin Davis here is obsessed, that he's broke, that he's a hater, uh, that that he's jealous, blah blah blah. And because there's not much known about Kevin Davis, some people who uh, are watching or listening may say, "Hmm, well." It might be true. We don't know if if Kevin Davis here really has any money. We don't know if Kevin Davis here might really not be jealous. We don't know much about him. Well, as you guys can learn about me, you can Google me, and you can see that I'm a World Series of Poker bracelet winner, 
that I'm a long-time cash game winner. I'm not even mainly a tournament player. That I just uh, finished uh, deep in the World Series of Poker main event in 2019. That uh, I, I have a lot of credibility in poker. And that on 60 minutes, I was, draft, on, yes, on 60, on 60 minutes. I was on 60 minutes calling out uh, a, a, a poker scam involving a poker site, uh, ripping people off and looking at their whole cards. Thank you, Trader Ruski. And so my offer to Christopher Mitchell is this. I don't have a vendetta against you. I really don't. If, if it turns out that you've been telling the truth the whole way, I will apologize. And, and if you look at everybody else, see, you're just one of many people that I feature on this show regarding things that I think are scammy. But if there's something I'm not, not understanding, I'm very open to hearing about it. Now, you're not going to trick me. You're not going to fool me. Uh, there's no way you're going to get any lies by me. But if the truth will actually set you free, and if, the, if you can present the truth to me and prove it, which shouldn't be hard, and there's many ways you can, then I will be glad to put you on this show. I'll put you on the show no matter what. I will be glad to apologize. I'll be glad to say I have it all wrong. I'll be glad to say, you know what, the, the, this Kevin Davis guy uh, doesn't have it right. You can defend yourself. I don't have any vendetta. I'm not obsessed. I'm not a hater. I'm definitely not broke. I'm nowhere close to broke. And uh, uh, that's very well known in poker. It's very well known in poker that I'm, uh, I, I play at fairly high stakes and have for, for 20 years. So... You can uh, contact me. I doubt you will. But if you think you're being treated unfairly, if you think I'm a hater, if you think I can't prove anything I'm saying, if you think I'm wrong about the Martingale, come on this show and explain it to me. And then I will explain to you my point of view. And then we'll let the listeners decide who is right. You can promote it to your followers. I can promote it to my uh, listeners. We can even do it live so nobody can edit anything. Uh, In fact, the show is always live. So you, uh, so that's, uh, that's don't do that. Drop, so like drop, I said, he, I'll do one better. If, if the, uh, the state of the public, uh, consumption on this site says that they don't think he's a scammer, I'll take his, his, a logo or whatever, and I'll put it on the refrigerator of a major network sitcom. Oh, that's right. We have a guy. That's true. We have a, we have a guy here on, on the line. Uh, vintage one here who actually works in Hollywood. And I, I, this is true. I've, I've verified this is true that he actually works in Hollywood and, and he actually does have the power to put, uh, to actually do that. He actually could put your logo on a sitcom in the background on a refrigerator. He really could do that because he controls 100%. that. If, if the majority of this website feels <laughs> as if he is not a scumbag cheater, I promise as God is my witness, your logo will go. I'm not going to say what show right now until it gets down to the nitty gritty, but I assure you it will be on a show that is viewed by uh, 4.5 to 6 million people weekly. Yeah. So if 50% more, 50% or more of existing users on the site, this is why he can't flood the site with new people to vote for it, but, but existing, existing users who are members uh, by May for, on or before May 1st, 2020. Exactly. Uh, exactly. If, if 50% yeah, or more of those people vote that this is uh, legitimate in a poll that we have, then uh, after, after you defend yourself, it will give you time to defend yourself, then, then then this will happen. So, it's not incentive to get on this show, pal, yeah. and defend yourself. I don't know what is. Yeah, really. And, and this guy, is, he's serious here. This uh, vintage one, he's serious. He can do it. And and I'm telling you, I'm serious too, and I'm really not a hater, and I'm no kind of stalker, and, and uh, 
this we've been doing this these segments on this show for the last three weeks because it's interesting because it's ongoing. But is this going to be something I do for the next year? No, this this story is going to get old to me soon, and I'm going to quit yeah. it. And then and then uh, Kevin Davis can keep doing whatever he likes. But uh, you know, I'll, I may still follow it personally, but I I'm not going to be featuring this every no, week. No, so- I'm done. <laughs> After he's done, I'm done. I'm not going. People keep saying, well, you should go up to this guy. You should go up to this guy and all this. I'm like, no, I'm done. I, this, I'm not going to be a world sheriff trying to be an, you know, you know, to the idiot, you know, I'm done, you know, but, yeah. uh, and, and I, you know, I, listen, I'm, I, is, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, what I'm saying here is that even if he's not done, uh, at some point, I'm going to personally get bored of this, it, uh, as, at least as far as featuring it on the show. I think everyone's going to get sick of it here because we talk, we cover so many topics. People are going to go, oh, another Christopher Mitchell topic where we don't want to hear about this every week. So I understand that the, even the, yeah. the, I probably wouldn't have covered it this week if it wasn't for you coming on, uh, which I thought would, would be an interesting addition to our, our previous discussions. So um, – I, I'm saying this because I want Christopher to know, seriously, I'm not obsessed. I'm not a stalker. Uh, I, I find this humorous and interesting and, and kind of sad, but uh, this is not something that's important in my life. And you'll see this as, as time passes. And you'll see that I have covered things like this for eight years for a ton of different people. And I haven't been obsessed with any of them either, nor am I a broke hater. So I really just want the truth to get out. And if we are being unfair to you, or, or, the, or coming to incorrect conclusions, please come forward, and I will give you all the airtime you need to to show that this uh-huh. is wrong. I really will, and you can come on my forum, and I will not delete a single one of your posts. Provided you, know, you have to follow forum rules, you can't post people personal info or whatever. But other than that, a- anything you want to post defending yourself or even criticizing Kevin Davis or criticizing me uh, or anything, just show up on the forum. And unlike you, who deletes. Any kind of critical comment that that appears on your uh, videos, I will not delete it. And in fact, you'll see that on my forum that I don't delete things like that. I, there's tons of posts on my Neither forum. There's Neither tons of force, and there's tons of posts on my forum that bash me every day. So I don't even delete things that are critical of me. So that's why I'm putting this out there. I want Crystal, Christopher to understand that uh, this is out there, and that if he really is legit, and if there's any, if you're a listener. Or if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, on the YouTube uh, Scam Exposers channel of Kevin's, and you're wondering, you know what? I just don't know who to believe here. I'm putting this out there that he can prove it, that he can come on here and prove it, or he can post on my forum and you can read it. I'd love a live thing where nothing can be edited. He can be challenged. And let me tell you something in general with scams and with scammers, that the ones who are willing to have everything out in the open and be openly challenged in a live forum – or, or take all questions and answer all questions. Those are the people you can trust. The ones who are deleting comments, the ones who are hiding things, the one who will, the ones who will not answer certain questions. Those are the ones who have something to hide, and that's true. Right. And, and, and Jeff, if this, if he has nothing to hide, we're offering him the most exposure he could possibly ever get, ever in his his uh, career that's as true. a. Uh, advantage player or whatever he wants to call himself. Yeah. We're, we're actually giving him uh, a place where Microsoft spends $50,000 for 60 seconds or 30 seconds of advertising time. We are offering him to, to promote it to all of America. Yeah. yeah. Just come on the site and defend yourself. Defend yourself and convince people. And if you have the facts in your corner, 100%. if you have the facts in your if you don't, 
you're lying. And, so you have to come now. And not only that, you may think, well, well yeah. maybe maybe Dandruff's forum is full of yes men who will just never believe me. Not true. If you go through my forum, you will see tons of threads where the majority of people are critical of what I'm saying and, and, and calling me names and being very nasty to me. So you'll see, my forum is not yes men. My forum is, is of, peop- of, of critical thinkers who are just – all together there. They're not my followers. They're not my my yes men. If they think I'm wrong, they will say so. And if they think you're right, cool. and if the, if the facts prove you right, believe me, they will not back me. In fact, some of them, I have trolls on my site. Some of those trolls will be thrilled to 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 not back me and to prove me wrong. But one thing they well, won't do. One thing they won't do is if you can't show the facts, they're not then they're not going to take your side because they don't want to look like fools themselves. So if you, but if you can make me look like a fool, trust me, everyone will turn on me and and say, Jeff, you were wrong about this. I turn on you, pal. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Kidding, kidding, kid. Before before you waste your time, though, he needs to, if he's going to hold up that fifty thousand dollars, before you before you waste your time having him on the show, he 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 needs to do a video to show that money is real. And, he, he, and that's never going to happen. So I, I don't think you know, it will. Never, I, I, no, but he we don't he, even he, need to see the money. We just want him on this site defending it. Yeah, yeah. The, he doesn't have – I agree he should do that, and I agree he won't do that. But uh, but he doesn't even have to. He, he can come on under any circumstances. I will, I will slap him on this show as, as a priority guest. I, I promise that. And uh, mm. uh, so anybody, anybody who is doubting this will uh, – can. Think of that. Why? Why would I offer this? I wouldn't want to make myself look like a fool and an idiot after all. After twenty years in the industry, why would I offer him to come on live if I wasn't certain about what I'm saying? So, okay, uh, that's. Yeah. Thank you very much, Kevin, for coming on and, and uh, explaining all yeah, this, explaining just, your history. Before, and yeah, before yeah, before I get off, I, like I said, I only really wanted to come on, not so much to to discredit Christopher Mitchell because I've already done that. With, but I also wanted to uh, have a platform to show exactly how, why I'm doing what I'm doing and uh, bring up the Michael Morgenstern topic that many people didn't know. Uh, like I said, it was, he was a scammer. Um, and that's exactly where my mission is. You know, I'm the, some brocader. I definitely have my money. I definitely have a lot of money. Um, and I've been in the gambling industry myself. I'm definitely a poker player myself. Uh, I'm like, I never, people always kept saying, you know, why don't you go into the World Series of Poker? And I made numerous money playing poker uh, in my neck of the woods. You know, South Florida, you know, I got Palm Beach Kennel Club, you know, Hard Rock Casino, uh, Coconut Creek. So, you know, I've never, I had old retirement people wanted, hey, you know, I'll stake you to go on the World Series of Poker. That's, That's not my forte, you know. I've done... I was uh, I won more caches in the Palm Beach Kennel Club um, back in 2006 and back in 2008 for the year. So not to toot my own horn, but like I'm a, I'm a poker player too, and I'd like to come on maybe uh, some other time, you know, talk just ma- mainly poker, uh, which I haven't been playing a lot. Um, but uh, you know, I was back playing it back in the heyday. But mainly, I came on not to discredit, like I said, not to discredit. Uh, mainly the topic of uh, Christopher Mitchell, but my, my goal is to help people. I'm not a, some obsessed stalker hater. Those are just, you know, adjectives uh, to basically to try to uh, discredit, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the same thing, trying to, you know, expose fraudulent 
Um, so the same thing with me. So that's I appreciate you. You know, you having me on me. I appreciate you giving me this platform, and uh, you know, and like I said, I'd like to come on not to talk about Christopher Mitchell, maybe uh, talk some poker when I get back into it, and when the casinos. Uh, get back into it, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. We, we, we can have you on in the future. And, and look, uh, I, I don't believe this whole thing about you being a, a stalker or, or obsessed or anything else like that. Uh, anybody who is working to bring the truth out about someone who is behaving badly, uh, you don't even have to worry about their motivation. As long as the information they're putting out is correct, the why of it – and we're curious, and that's why I asked you the question, but it doesn't really matter much because what matters are the facts. If, if someone is not telling the truth and somebody else is out there putting it out why they're not telling the truth and proving their point, that's all you have to be concerned with, not what is motivating the person. Uh, you can wonder, you can be curious, but that's not really that important. And, and words like stalker and obsessed, th- those don't mean anything unless there actually is uh, some yeah. sort of criminal stalking going on, which there, cl- there clearly isn't. So that's uh, that, that's just stupid stuff being said. It's been said about me before, too, in, in, in similar situations like this where, where I've been called obsessed or a stalker. or something. I've even had people who harass me and who harass my family, and then when I start uh, coming back at them, they start accusing me of stalking. And I go, it doesn't work that way. I, my, mine's defense here i have to because you're not leaving me alone so so uh those words are often thrown out by people who are engaging in bad activities in order to discredit those who are calling them out for what they're really doing so i i I don't worry about those at all and uh i think anybody i think anybody i I think anybody observing this the comments i don't pay attention to him you know, so yeah, and I think anybody who's observing this will uh, come to the same conclusion. Okay, thank you, Kevin, for coming on, and uh, I'm sure this will be on the channel. So anybody who's listening to this show that does not know his channel, it's YouTube Scam Exposers. YouTube Scam Exposers. Search for it on YouTube. It'll be very easy to find. Uh, very entertaining videos. They're not very long. Most of them, the the, the long ones are actually the ones with this show, but uh, the the ones that don't have this show, most of them aren't long. Uh, a few of them are, but they're they're always funny, entertaining. I always find myself laughing during the videos. So, if you're following this at all, that's a funny thing to watch. And uh, if you're listening to this on Kevin's channel, this is Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Poker Fraud Alert Radio at PokerFraudAlert.com. We do it once a week. Usually on Saturday night, and it's a live show, which also is in podcast format on uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google, Google Play, uh, TuneIn, things like that. You can even do it on Amazon Alexa. Say Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And I am Todd Dandruff Wattellis. If you want to uh, search for me and learn about me as, as a poker player, and I encourage anyone listening to this, if you'd like to hear other content we do, which is about a lot of things in gambling, not just poker, then uh, go to my site and find the forum content and the radio show content. So thank you for coming on, Kevin. And anybody that wants to, if they're interested in uh, wanting to learn for free by pros and uh, card counting, uh, sports betting, uh, poker, any of that, um, they can jump on my channel, post a comment. uh, And, uh, you know, I'll give them a link to the, uh, to the website. And like I said, we don't charge anything. We have a lot of experts in there. Uh, there's no competition other than other than poker. You know that's because you're comp- competing against each other. You know, uh, unless it's poker, we're we're just we're all against the ca- casino. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I appreciate it, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate. I don't know the other guy who's talking, but I, uh, thank you for your input as well. And uh, you know, you guys have a great night. 
All right, you hey, too. It was good to listen to you. Thanks, Kevin. It was fun. Keep up the good work. Yes, keep up the good work. For All sure. right, guys. All right. All right, you guys have a good one. Right. Have a good talk to you later. Talk to you later. You too. All right, so that was Kevin Davis. A, a long uh, segment here, two hours, but uh, I've got to talk about a lot of different things. And, uh, I mean, that, that was a lot of dedication he's put into both of these situations. And, and you know what? When he when he, he said something that I've said before, that if even one person finds discussion of a scam going on and that they would have been scammed but decides that they're not going to go for it, then that makes the effort worth it because uh, – Scams have been prevented from that, and and usually it ends up a lot more than one person, especially since people tend to Google things and find information, and uh, sometimes you don't even know who you save. Sometimes just someone will read that and never contact you and say, hey, I read this, and I I even had people come up to me at the World Series and say, hey, you know, I was going to deposit onto Lock Poker, but I decided not to because I read your report about them. Like, I've had people say that to me, and I'm sure that Kevin has had that, a number of people with Christopher Mitchell and and, uh, that uh, Michael guy before that uh, he probably saved as well. In fact, he told us about some of them. So I uh, wanted to have him on here, and I'm uh, glad that we're getting some additional exposure from his channel. I saw we got some additional listeners tonight, so that's good. He brought some listeners. I hope they, they're not going to bail out here as we move on to our, our next subject here, which is the Nevada Gaming Commission and their guidelines that they have released regarding reopening the casinos. Now, this is for the entire state, not just Vegas. Remember, Nevada has more than Vegas, though not much more, but it does have Reno and it does have some small towns that have uh, casinos, even has Laughlin. And there's been a lot of debate recently as to whether or not Vegas should reopen, because Vegas is a one-industry town, and without the casinos being open, the economy just completely crashes there. And while the economy is struggling everywhere because of all the coronavirus-related closures, and while we are likely to have a uh, shrinkage of the economy by a greater percentage in one year than ever before in the modern history of this country, that that's all true, Vegas is going to be particularly hard hit compared to everything else, which, given that everything else is so bad... Vegas, you can imagine how terrible it will be there. So I understand the reasons for why they want to reopen. The problem is that public safety and public health is also impacted by this. The truth is it's really not that safe to reopen, but you do have to look at the other side of it. How safe is it for the city of Vegas not to reopen from the economic consequences they're going to suffer which could translate into uh, death and despair that will be worse than just reopening and letting some people suffer from the coronavirus and some people die from the coronavirus. So it's a very tough decision. It's a very tough thing to really figure out what the right thing to do is. And anyone who says they've got a simple answer to it is either delusional or lying to you. So they've been really thinking about how do we do this? How do we reopen the casinos in a way that, number one, instills some public confidence that people are willing to go in and gamble? And number two, to where it is going to save lives and where it's, it's not going to really endanger a lot of people. So there's been a lot of thought put into this. 
and we've seen, and you can see on Poker Fraud Alert, uh, some of this has been posted. Uh, there have been some modifications made behind the scenes while these casinos have been closed. Some of them have been hard at work modifying their tables and modifying their slot machines. I posted a picture yesterday of the Aria that has glass separators now between slot machines. I don't know if they've done this for every slot machine yet, but I saw a picture of Aria slot machines that have a glass separator between every machine. It almost looks like you're at a, a urinal. That's almost what it looks like. You know, you know how the urinal stalls look like where there's those separators where you're, you can look over and see the next person, but uh, there, there's like a wall between you. It kind of looks like that, except it's uh, we're, we're at a urinal. You're standing here. You're sitting, and the separators are, are, are designed in a way for you to be sitting at the slot machine to where the, both sides of you uh, could not be hit if the person at the machine next to you sneezed or coughed. So th- there's separators now at the slot machines at the Aria. I don't know if other casinos are doing this. They also show – there's also a video – of another casino. I think this was a casino not in Vegas, but it, it doesn't really matter. They're all in the same boat. But it was a, a video of a table, uh, some kind of uh, casino table game. I, It may have been Baccarat. I forget which one. But it was some casino table game where it looks like a – it looks like banker's glass. You know when you go to the bank, especially in a bad area – and you go to the teller, and it's not just wide open. There's this glass, and you have to do all your transactions like like under the glass in a small opening. And then uh, that's what it looks like here, except there's also those partitions where it separates each player. So it's like a glass or a plastic something. It's some kind of either glass or plastic that's completely separating each player and where the dealer is completely not exposed to all the players – and that to interact with the dealer, like like uh, putting chips uh, under, like you had to put chips under, put your cards under, everything is done like under the plastic through a small opening. And that video has been going around that they've been retrofitting the tables at whatever casino that was. They showed how tall the glass is where a guy who was said to be six foot two and a half stood up and it was taller than him. So they're really trying to make these modifications where people can feel safe to return to Las Vegas and other casinos. Remember, there's casinos in almost every state in the country, and they're all hurting. People can return. They can reopen. They can assure the public that it's safe. But there's still issues, even with those modifications. What about the fact that other people are touching these same chips, these same machines, these same cards, that's not so simple. You can separate people. You can enforce social distancing measures. But there's more to that. And there's – they also – some of these casinos are claiming they're going to have uh, some kind of non-invasive temperature check where it's not, it's not going to shove a thermometer up your ass, but it will it'll somehow be able to check your temperature without touching you. I know there are machines that can do that. But as I said before, that's not all that useful because most people who have a fever – once, once the coronavirus progresses to a fever, usually you're feeling too crappy to go out anyway. The, the people you have to worry about are the ones who don't feel that crappy and just feel normal. And they're asymptomatic or mostly asymptomatic and they, and they go to the casino. That's what you have to worry about. Once it gets to a fever, usually they're like, ah, I'm real fatigued. I, I can't go anywhere. Like a, it, once it gets to the fever, it usually progresses pretty fast to where you just can barely move. 
Like there are people who've described they they can't even go down the stairs. That's how that's how low energy they have and how much pain they're in and how sick they feel. And these are people who are never hospitalized and want to eventually get past it. I'm, I'm not talking about the ones who end up on ventilators or die. So I think once you have a fever, you're probably not showing up anyway, especially because most people are not looking to infect people with this. There's, there's some assholes who are going to say, screw it. I want to go to the casino. I don't care if people get this or the, some delusional people who think the fever may be something else. But most people at, at this point are very aware of the fever being a, a big indicator of the coronavirus. And if you have a fever, most people are good enough to say, okay, I think I shouldn't go out and expose myself to people. So I don't think the, the temperature checker is going to do much. It doesn't hurt to have, but it's not, it, should, it shouldn't make you feel too confident to see it there. So they're going to have those measures, but uh, still the questions remain. Uh, what about other things like, like sanitizing the place? How often is it going to be cleaned? How often are the chips going to be cleaned? There, there's a lot that, that has to be fleshed out, and the Nevada Gaming Commission has put out a document which is getting a lot of attention today. And fortunately, they, they put it out with perfect timing for this show, so I thank them for that. I, I think that uh, Governor Steve Sisolak must listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and he said, you know, I'm not going to put this out until they can discuss this the same day on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And I thank him. Thank you. If you'd like to come on the show, Steve Sisolak, you're welcome to. But uh, uh, they put out this. This is put out by uh, Nevada Gaming. This is on uh, gambling.nv.gov. Health and safety policies for resumption of of gaming operations, non-restricted licensees. That's the name of the document. So keep in mind, again, this is put out by Nevada Gaming. This is not a casino document. This is not put out by private industry. Introduction. On March 12, 2020, Governor Steve Sislak issued the Declaration of Emergency for COVID-19 pursuant to the emergency powers conferred, uh, blah, blah, blah. which suspended all gaming operations for 30 days. The expiration of Emergency Directive 002 was subsequently extended to April 30th by Emergency Directive uh, 010. Pursuant to Governor Sisolak's Nevada United Roadmap to Recovery Plan, gaming operations will not resume in the beginning of stage recovery, which which has taken place already May 1st here, uh, and it will be incumbent upon the board to ensure the safe reopening of gaming operations in this state. The purpose of these policies and procedures is to notify Nevada's non-restricted gaming licensees of a new operational requirement to mitigate and reduce the risk of exposure to COVID-19 for all employees, patrons, and other guests. This policy constitutes the minimum requirements that should be followed and does not preclude a gaming licensee from implementing its own additional requirements. So basically it's, it's saying, yes, we're past the restricted phase where you just can't open but no one's opening until we say so you have to adhere to certain minimum standards but if you want to exceed these standards go right ahead we hope you do so it says nrs 463.0129 requires that all establishments where gaming is conducted and where gaming devices are operated be controlled and assisted to protect the public health and safety of nevada's residents and the gaming control board remains resolute in ensuring that gaming operations in the state do not compromise the health and safety of Nevadans. In consultation with the Office of the Governor, as well as federal, state, and local health officials, the board has created this policy to diminish personal contact and increase the level of disinfection in high-use areas and expects full compliance with this policy by its non-restricted licensees. All final decisions on how gaming establishments reopen in the state of Nevada will be determined by the board and presented to the Nevada Gaming Commission for ratification. 
And then it says, uh, then there's the next section, creation and implementation of COVID-19 prevention plan. So it says, each restricted licensee must create and implement a plan to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and infectious diseases. All plans shall be submitted to this email address at least seven days before reopening occurs. So they want a week from each casino. They want to get a plan from each casino, and then they want to review this. And they say, whenever you submit the plan, you cannot open for seven more days minimum, and perhaps more, and we have to make sure that your plan is good enough. Then it says, procedures prior to resuming gaming operations. Prior to reopening, each licensee shall clean and disinfect all of its hard and soft surfaces in accordance with the guidelines. Okay, hang on a second. That doesn't make any sense. It does not live on surfaces forever. <laughs> I'll tell you what I do with my groceries, and the casinos could learn from this. Because it, it looks like this is already going the wrong way. I order groceries in. I don't go out to get groceries anymore. I've figured out the best way to do this. And what I do is the non-perishable groceries, the things that can sit out without anything happening to them, for a full day I don't touch them. Sometimes two days. But for at least a full day, I leave them just sitting there indoors. And then after that, I'll put them away. Why? Because the virus dies. The virus can only live inside of a body. On a surface, the virus has a short lifespan. Apparently in the sun, the virus has a very short lifespan. But not in the sun. It it also can't live all that long. So if you wait a day, enough of the virus has probably died on that surface to where it can't affect you. It, it doesn't matter if there's a tiny bit of the virus on the surface. That doesn't mean you're going to get it. it. It doesn't work that way where if you if you touch the, the, the smallest, smallest bit of the virus that you're going to get infected by it. The more of the virus that sits on the surface, the higher chance it is that you're going to get it infected. And uh, if there's very little of it left because most of it has died off, uh, then uh, it's a very little to no danger to you to catch COVID-19. So let's look at the casinos. They've been closed all this time. Yes, there's employees that might be going through, but most of the surfaces there have not been touched in a very long time, and therefore they have self-disinfected, at least from this virus. So it may make people feel good that everything got cleaned before it got reopened, but that really means nothing. It's one of these things that sounds good, but really doesn't do very much. The the virus that was left behind by the people who were last there in mid-March, that is long, long gone. I guarantee everybody there from mid-March is not infecting you now if you were to walk in today. Even if it was open right now, you could not be infected by people from mid-March. That's not how viruses work. They cannot live on surfaces for that long in a, in a volume that, to where they can infect you. Okay? So that, that part's stupid. Uh, each licensee must ensure its employees are adequately trained on, one, the proper cleaning and disinfecting procedures, two, how to prevent the spread of infectious disease, including without limitation, social distancing, hand washing, and not spreading germs at work, plan should ensure that any training provided pursuant to this policy is documented. Health and safety procedures once operational. When implementing their plans, licensees should utilize the interim guidance for businesses and employers to plan and respond to COVID-19 as published by the CDC. The board expects licensees to include the following components in its plans. Employee and patron health concerns. Signage should be posted throughout the property, reminding employees and patrons of proper hygiene, including without limitation, proper hand washing, how to cover coughs and sneezes, and to avoid touching their faces. Okay, let me, let me stop there. I don't argue with any of this. Like this, this is fine. There's no harm in doing this. I'm not saying that this shouldn't be done, but 
This isn't going to stop it spreading. This is a very, very contagious disease. So if someone shows up to work with the coronavirus and they're not symptomatic and there's no way to tell they have it, they will be spreading it around there. They will. That's a fact. That's going to happen. You can take all the precautions you want. That is going to happen. The only way it won't happen is if you isolate them and they're not interacting with anybody. But if if they're working on the casino floor, they will be infecting patrons. If they are working behind the scenes, they're going to infect coworkers. There's there's no way around that. And that's these these type of things can sound good, but you've got to understand the reality that that's going to happen. It's good that they do hand washing. It's good that they try not to uh, touch their face, which, by the way, you can't do long term. And when I say long term, I mean like throughout the day. You can say I'm not going to touch my face in the next half hour and do it pretty well. But beyond that, it's very hard not to touch your face. Humans touch their faces all the time, and it's, uh, it's something you do without thinking of. It's, it's a subconscious thing, and it's just about impossible to stop for more than a very short period of time. Now, you can say try to touch your face less, but there's no way to stop touching your face. Covering their coughs and sneezes, yeah. I mean, they can, you can tell people to be mindful of that. But again, that's not the only way it spreads. It goes on to say employees should be instructed to stay home if they do not feel well. And to contact the supervisor or manager if they notice a coworker or, or patron experiencing symptoms associated with COVID-19, such as coughing, shortness of breath, or flu-like sy- symptoms. Okay, we're going to have a problem here. <laughs> it is very easy to cough in a casino. I have found, I, I don't know why, I don't know if it's from the AC or the dryness of the air, but I find when I'm at the World Series of Poker, I will cough when I'm not sick. Like, I'll sometimes just be sitting there at the table during a tournament and cough. And then I'm like a little afraid, and this is before the coronavirus, of course. I'm a little afraid that people are going to think I have a cold, I'm getting people sick, but in reality I don't. Just, I, I have coughed at the Rio a lot when there's nothing wrong with me. And it's no big deal. Like I'm there for weeks and weeks and weeks and nothing happens to me. Worst I've ever gotten there is a cold. But I'm just saying, like, can you imagine every time someone coughs, they've got to go report this? Now, shortness of breath, I, I agree. If someone has that, you get away from them right now and you send them home. Flu-like symptoms, same thing. Uh, if they, why don't they mention loss of smell or taste? That's a huge one. That that doesn't happen to everybody, but there's a guy on this forum. I think he listens to the show too, who goes by Drawing Dead. He's only 33 years old, thankfully, but he has the coronavirus and he knows this not from a test, but uh, he woke up a few days ago and had absolutely no taste. He tried to pour, pour hot sauce on his tongue and tasted nothing. Can you imagine? Pour hot sauce directly in your tongue and you taste nothing? He said it tastes like water. If you lose your sense of taste completely, abruptly, you have it. 100%. Especially if there's nothing else wrong with you. Like if, if you don't have... Like people have said before when they have a cold, their sense of smell isn't as good and their sense of taste can be dulled. But if, if you just wake up and there's bang, no taste, bang, no smell, and you can't figure out why, you know why. You have COVID-19. So why don't they mention this here? Like any employee who says they have no smell or taste, send home immediately. That, that that's super important because that like that's what this guy has from the forum drawing dead. He he has no taste, and then the following day he said he was feeling fatigued. Hopefully that's as far as it goes with him. He's got the advantage that he's only thirty three, and not many people who are thirty three have like really really bad symptoms. But some do, most don't. Some do. If he were my age, fifteen years older than he is, then uh, he probably would be dealing with a lot worse uh, if, I, if I woke up with no taste I'd go oh shit like I would be so upset I would I'd be so afraid of what's coming next when you're 33 
uh, you're probably going to get away with it being pretty mild. So last I heard, it's pretty mild for him. So good for him. But uh, they, why don't they mention this here? That's a super big indicator. That's the biggest indicator there is because it's so uncommon to happen otherwise. Like I've never lost my sense of taste in my life. I've never lost my sense of smell completely. I've I've lost most of it when I have a really bad cold and I'm really stuffed up. But that that I can explain. My nasal passages are totally clogged. But I've never had it where just one day I can't smell anything or one day I can't taste anything. Like I've just I've never had that. If that were to come, I would know what it is. And that's most adults can say that that they've just never abruptly lost their sense of taste or smell. So why that's not in here, I don't know. If a licensee is informed or alerted to a case of COVID-19 at its property, it must communicate the case and cooperate with local health authorities. All employees should receive clear instructions on how to properly and effectively respond to presumed cases of COVID-19. Licensees must follow the appropriate steps to conduct additional cleaning and disinfecting protocols of all areas that patrons visited during their stay in accordance with guidelines issued by the local health authority. This is very important, this last one I read about the cleaning and disinfecting. That's what I want to know. How often are they cleaning and disinfecting? The more they do, the fewer number of people that are going to be affected by this because cleaning and disinfecting wipes it off the surface. You don't have to wait for it to die. And like at a slot machine, I don't care what protections there are to the side of the machine. You still got the problem that the last person who used it before you may have had COVID-19 and left the virus on there, and then you will touch it, and then you will get it. That right, but drop. I'll bet they could like create where like you're, there's the slot area, and you walk in, and they have kind of a lot. You know, you kind of go in. They have a, a person there that, that will spray the machine down and set you up where you want to play. Now that's not ideal, but I can see something like that potentially working. Not too bad. Yeah, but what about when Irma comes up and wants to play the machine next to you? Well, right. well, she's not going to be able to. Do, right now, I hear you, but they'll have the big plastic things, you know. Well, if Irma wants to strike up one of her Saratoga cigarettes, what happens then? I know. Well, if she's going to be all fucked up, then she's going to want to go to the other machine, exactly. and then they're not going to spray it down, and then she's going to be spreading it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I just don't know if it, I don't know if it's practical. I, I think what you're saying is that they could clean it before the person plays. I, I think maybe the opposite is like as soon as the person leaves that they could be notified in some way to come right there and clean it before someone gets to it. But, right. but, but, like, but I think it's almost like them seeding you. You know, like you'd walk to the slot area. Oh, you'd like to play. Okay, which machine? Oh, okay. Squirt, squirt. They wipe it down. Have a good time. That's going to piss people off because people you know. people will hate being restricted to a machine they choose because there's people who will play on a machine and go, this machine's unlucky. I want to move. And you know what? I hate to say it. I hate to admit this. I'm going to sound like Christopher Mitchell in a way. But I have actually moved video poker machines before when I'm not, not doing well on one. I, I will never move to an inferior machine or an inferior pay table. I, I'm not that stupid. But, but I have like... Like run really bad on a video poker machine, and I say, okay, I know this doesn't mean anything, but uh, just 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 for my own sanity, I'm going to move to this machine with the identical pay table uh, that's next to it, just because I'm running badly at this machine. Like I I have done that before, and it would be really tilting like to a lot of people to be told they can't move. Well, how about when no? You but the, and you couldn't. Well, hold on, you just call the lady. I'd like to move. Clean this one. You know. That's. I sorry, don't know. I, sorry. Like, I, like, I don't, know, I don't know if they're going to have the personnel to do that. Though. That's a lot of people they're going to clean for. Okay, the front I, door guy that everyone walks in gives you those 
like medical gloves and you have to wear those the whole time you're there. So now you're never spreading anything uh, via your hands at least. So you could play the same slot machine. No, but then you scratch your nose and then you're touching the button. You know, I just think it's like... I mean, I, and I understand this can't be perfect. Like, there's there's no way for them to do it. Absolutely no way for them to do it without people getting infected there. Uh, it, it is a matter of, like, acceptable number of infections. Like, as long as it remains pretty low, then it's not going to be that big of a deal. Uh, but but the problem is casinos are a place where these infections spread very easily. That's why people get sick so often at the World Series, catch cold so often at the World Series. So that's why, that's why casinos, like, a lot of times I – I would get sick, that I'd catch colds. It was I could pretty much say it was one of two sources when I'd catch a cold, from a casino or from Benjamin bringing it home from school. It was very consistent. There weren't that many colds I got. As many colds as I get, there weren't that many I was getting that weren't from one of those two sources. And uh, so casinos really are a big source of spreading. Now, yes, now they can try to put effort in to make all of that more difficult to spread, so it won't just be the coronavirus that won't spread as much, but you, you won't catch as many colds or other other things at the casino, too. But here, let, let me continue reading on here. It says, uh, gaming machines. Plans must ensure that the floor plan for gaming machines creates proper social distancing between pa- patrons. For example, chairs and stools in front of every other gaming machine could be removed so that patrons do not sit next to each other, or licensees could propose other measures to ensure proper distance between patrons. I think that's what the ARIA glass between the machines thing is. That probably would qualify. Additionally, licensees should assign employees to focus on ensuring guests do not congregate in groups. Plans must must address how gaming machines, devices, chairs, and other ancillary equipment will be cleaned and disinfected on a regular basis. But notice they don't say what a regular basis means. Plan should also address the availability of hand sanitizer or disinfectant wipes for patrons use uh, on the gaming floor. Okay, now, one thing that could be useful is provide gaming wipes at, like, every machine where you can wipe it down first. That that wouldn't be bad. That's I didn't think of that till now. But, yes, if they could put ga- wipes, this wouldn't work at the tables where there's chips changing hands, but at least at machines, put wipes at every table and at least – People who are responsible will grab the wipes and wipe down all the buttons they touch first before they touch the buttons. And that that won't guarantee you're not going to get it, but that will at least uh, bring down the chance. Now, the thing about congregating in groups, I can see that being obnoxious too. Because if you go with people you live with normally, then there's no danger of congregating in groups. Like if I were to bring my girlfriend – there's no danger with me and her congregating. Walk through that sneeze that someone did 30 feet in front of you. That, that's well. There's there's been debate about whether that can get you sick. There's some some who've said it can sit in the air for up to an hour, which is scary. And then there's some who've said no, this is being overblown. It's uh, that, that's really not true. I I don't know what to believe with that. Uh, but the congregating in groups, I can see it's gonna be a pain in the ass where. Anytime people, like two or more people are together, I don't know what they, what they consider a group. Like if two people are together, like a husband and wife, do they have to separate? And uh, what if it's three people? What if it's four people? What, what, what if it's a family of four adults? Like uh, it's, that- it's, it's never ending. You can't win from this. It's almost like you have to just walk in, sign a release saying, look, you could get COVID in here, and that's just what it is. Enter at your own risk. Yeah, like, like how, 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 tilt, right, how tilting would it be if, like, let's say your parents live with you and, and, and you decide – Okay, 
me, my wife, and my parents are all going to go to the casino today. And we all live together. And then we're all standing together. Sorry, you can't congregate in groups. You have to split up. Like, well, no, we live together. We don't care. We can't verify that. Like, there will be a lot of weird things like that where it's going to piss people off. And then, uh, like, like you said, maybe they, people just have to accept the risk and go in. <laughs> Table games and card games. Plans must limit the number of patrons based on type of game to ensure proper distance between players by limiting the number of seats or betting positions per table. For example, player limit per table should be limited to three players per blackjack table, six players per craps table, four players per roulette table, and here it comes, four players per poker table. Oh boy! So that's that's you got to be kidding me. That's, that's unbelievable. Work. So so we're gonna cut everything by a, a, uh, in half, more than half, more than half, but keep the same amount of staff on. So it's gonna dip into every into the profit margin even more. It's completely unrealistic. Yeah, I think they're not gonna offer live poker. I think they're gonna say this. They're going to go, look, poker already was a loss leader. We don't make too much from poker. Exactly. Uh, screw this. If everything has to be forehanded, but we have to maintain the same staffing levels, F it. We, we can't do it. And not only that, even if they can, how many players are going to want to play forehanded? Now, personally, I like forehanded, but there's a lot of players who only feel comfortable playing at tables of at least six players, and sometimes they want a full table of, of eight or nine players. You're going to have a lot of players going, uh-uh, I don't want to play four. I can't tell me tell you how many times I've been in a game where it breaks down to four people, and then the game completely breaks, even though uh, two or three of us are willing to play. The fourth one says, no, I don't want to play four-handed. And then the the third one says, no, I don't want to play three-handed, and then it's just me and, and some other good player heads up, and I would go, no, we're just going to end oh, yeah. it. And we walk Four away. Usually it's rough. I mean, at four in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But they're, pro- they're telling you don't have poker, because I would say it's definitely the germiest as far as passing the cards to the players. Because okay. even in blackjack, I mean, I guess the six-handed machine – you know, the, the cards at least would go back in and then go all the way down, and maybe the coronavirus would die by the time you got them next. The poker, you're constantly passing them back and forth. You're right. You know, you're right because there's one deck, and it keeps being reshuffled, and it keeps being dealt back to the players, what, like 40 times per hour? So that is different than Blackjack with his long shoe where there is time in between. And, uh, and and there's a lot more cards, so the chance of you touching the same card that multiple people touched uh, is lower than in poker. And so, yeah, the poker, and, and then the chips, those, there's no way to avoid those being passed around the table unless it's some kind of electronic poker. There's absolutely no way to stop that. So, so it really is not unrealistic to think that if you're at the, the table that every single person at the table is going to have touched your chips uh, after not too long, especially with only four of them there. So that, yeah, uh, I don't know how poker is going to run this way. After this document was released, a lot of people have been saying things like a uh, good game live poker. <laughs> like it's just not going to happen anymore, at least until the coronavirus uh, is completely dealt with or there's some real game changer in the situation. It, it goes on to say casino supervisors and managers must ensure the patrons do not congregate in groups around gaming tables. Licensees should ensure that dealers have hand sanitizer available to patrons throughout their shifts. Now, looking at these other restrictions of, of three players per blackjack table, six per craps table, and four per roulette table, 
So these are doable. I mean, yes, that's sometimes what happens anyway. You'll, you'll sometimes see blackjack tables where most of them are empty. So I, I suppose, especially if the limits maybe get raised a little bit, that they can continue to offer blackjack with a limit of three people per table. Like you could say, if they can survive with uh, 15 tables running where, where uh, 10 of them are empty, that they could survive with fewer tables where there's just three at each table. So I, I could see that being viable. It just seems like a pipe dream to me. It, it's, it's like it's too cut back on the players and the same staff. It yeah. just doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, they, they may not be able to operate profitably overall with all this. I do wonder once – like, like as I said, the, the blackjack thing they can get by, the craps table, people that come to play craps, there's a lot of people at each table. So allowing six people to be on around a craps table, that's going to really cut into income. Let's face it. This might be all the people they can actually get at the table. <laughs> well, that, that, that may be true. <laughs> but, uh, then, then, yeah. and four this poop. might be a moot point. They might have trouble filling those tables at four, five, and six. Well, and, and that's, that's another problem, and that's, that's yet to be seen, is what appetite is there for the public to return exactly. to Vegas and gamble? And there, there are the degenerates that have just been itching for it to happen, and, and uh, just people who – so there's – I'll tell you who's going to be there. There's a combination of the – COVID-19 deniers, the ones who just think this is the flu and that the government, it's a conspiracy and it's, it's a way to, to defeat Trump and all that. Those people who, who, uh, who show up there, the COVID-19 deniers, they will go there without hesitation. Then there will be the people who are young and say, I'm too young to, to be afraid of this. There will be those that are not young that are just brave about getting it and say, well, I don't care. I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm going to do what I want. If I get it, I get it. Uh, so you'll have some of those people. But you have to think this is going to cut into their, uh, their their possible player base by a very wide margin. Keep in mind that in 2008, when there was no health threat of any kind, everything was normal as far as that was concerned, casinos had a huge downturn yes. in, in, just from the economy, just from the, the which is not as bad as today's economy. The economy exactly. now is much worse. I mean, so now we have the one-two punch of a horrible economy that's that's will make 2008 look like a walk in the park plus everyone being afraid for their health to come in so i think the two of those together is really really going to reduce the numbers of people coming in which you may say well that makes it safer i guess yes but uh, can they operate profitably or is it possible that reopening would actually cost them more money than not reopening the only thing that saves all this is a vaccine Plain and simple. Or a vaccine well, or, or, or a treatment. But then also, you, well, but Druff, you also have all the people that have had it and recovered. And that number is getting bigger and bigger. Once they prove, hopefully they will, that they can't get it again, then, okay. you know. And that's not going to be the case, I don't no, think. No, I know. I'm just saying. But that's something they could yeah, prove. In the long term. Thousands of people I, being I should say in the medium, in the medium and medium long term, uh, that's a good point. That... That if 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 it is seen that uh, you can't catch it again, even even if you can get effects again, if it can come up and get you later, like a good example is shingles. When you get shingles, that's actually fr- uh, a resurgence of the chicken pox that you had back uh, back when you were a kid. Uh, but um, it's it's not you catching a new virus. It's just it's been inside you all these decades, and it, and it, it pops back up through your immune system in a different form. Uh, it, so if it's like this, uh, where you're not 
catching it a second time, if it just can uh, flare up a second time, if it never really leaves you, which which has been thought to be possible, then that's not as bad as being able to catch it a second time, because at least it means uh, you're immune to catching it a second time. So as long as people can't catch it a second time, then yes, as it goes through the population and more and more people have had it and have recovered from it, then they don't have to be scared to go into the casino. And as those numbers get larger, then uh, the the whole aspect of people being afraid to come in goes away for right. more and more people. But but this will take a lot of time because right now – But and also it, it's also you have to – if you're going to call it a, a, a spade, you have to live by it. So if you're calling it like it's the flu, we know we constantly get the flu year after year after year. So, I mean – well, if, 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 if it's a flu-like situation, then the odds are you're going to be able to get it again. Well, yeah, well, that's a, that's a different story. That's that's also something that's being considered that perhaps this is going to end up like what the flu does, where it mutates enough to where each year you have to take a different vaccine and hope the vaccine works because each year you may catch it again. And if that happens, as I've said before on this show, if that turns out to be the situation, it's just going to be a new thing we have to live with. It's just going to be a, right. it's no, just going to be a, open everything up and just let everyone get sick and hope the old people don't all die and. Yes, yeah, carry on. It's just going to be a new unfortunate normal that that and in fact, as I said, the kids who are growing up now, not only are they not really susceptible to it, but they will they'll become as susceptible to it as, as they get older. And it'll just be something you're just aware of as, as a danger in life. There's there's certain dangers you have in life. And it's just something you're aware of that that may get you at some point. And, and 100 years ago, a lot of people were dying early of a lot of different things because uh, medicine was so much uh, so le- much less mature and there were no antibiotics then. So uh, it'll be it won't be a return to those times, but it may be a return to times where you're not completely safe from uh, infectious diseases in the U.S. and in other first world countries that th- this will be lurking for everybody except for except for kids. And, and you just have to – and the older you are and the more preexisting conditions you have, uh, the more vulnerable you are. And this is just something you have to hope doesn't get you if, if that is the case. Uh, now, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves with, with, with uh, some possibilities and assumptions here. But, but going back to what's more current uh, with the current reopening, they're not going to have many people that can just come there and say, oh, I've had it. I'm recovered. I'm fine. That's, that's too small of a percentage right now. Even Now – Maybe once people take the antibody test and once the antibody test is proven to be reliable, which there's a lot of questions about whether the current antibody tests are reliable, but once it is believed to be reliable and, and people can take it, then you'll also have those that didn't know they already had it that also will feel confident in going back. But it's still not a large enough number of people. And in the short term, I do really wonder, are they going to have very much interest, especially after the people who kind of just want to go back to the casino because they haven't been able to get it out of their system. Maybe they won't have the desire to go back as often because of these factors, or maybe it'll become less fun with all these restrictions. That's the other thing you have to consider is that uh, you won't be returning to the casino. You remember you'll be returning to a casino where there's all this paranoia about germs and, and everyone's spraying down everything and and you can't congregate in groups and, uh, uh, and whatever they have to do to keep the machines clean. Can you, every time you cough, they're, they're going to report you. Like a, You're going to return to a world you don't know. And and people may not like this world, the new casino world. And they may say, well, screw this. I, I wanted to return to what I remember, not this crap. So so F it, I'm not coming back. It's, it's almost like when you're waiting for uh, a show you really like to be rebooted and you're really, really looking forward to it and then you watch it and the new version just sucks. And you go, oh, 
Well, I don't think I'm going to watch this again, even though I, I love this show and couldn't wait for the reboot. Uh, it, the re- reboot's shitty, so forget it. I'm done with it. So that may be the attitude people have about the new version of the casinos. Uh, then it says, plants should ensure regular cleaning and disinfection of, without limitation, table games, rails, chairs, dice, card shoes, shufflers, roulette wheels, pie gout tiles, pit podiums, blackjack discard holders, and toke boxes when a new player or employee comes into contact with any of the aforementioned gaming equipment. What? A new player? How are they going to do that? <laughs> so someone sits down at a blackjack table and all of a sudden they have to disinfect everything? They have to disinfect the chips they touch? Like, how is that going to work? I, I, that doesn't seem practical. It'd be great if they can do it, but I don't see how that's practical. So it says, plans should address how licensees will disinfect cards and chips. Yeah, that, that's what I want to know. That's the biggest danger. The biggest danger are the cards and chips. Second biggest well, danger... What they the need service. to do is they need to have all the chips on the uh, on the things under uh, like UV lights or something. But, uh, but they... Uh, if if the UV lights, so they're not even sure that that would be a good uh, experiment they should do. I know they've proven that the sun can kill the coronavirus when directly hitting uh, surfaces of the coronavirus. But uh, what about just UV light that's not the sun? Uh, if you put it under a UV lamp, even a strong one, uh, will this kill it instantly? Or does it have to send, send a, uh, enough time? But still, it's still difficult. So let's say they even have a UV lamp at each table, um, how like how do you do it? How do you do it? Making sure each chip that's touched gets back under that. It, every time a new player touches it, it, it or a new dealer touches it, this seems like incredibly complicated and difficult, or maybe impossible. I, I would love to see some of these plans. Then it, here's the occupancy limits, and the reason I say the chips and cards are the most uh, dangerous, the biggest factor here, is they're the hardest things to deal with. It's uh, like with the machines, they can come up with a plan to sanitize them in between patrons. We just talked about that with the distance between people in the casino. OK, they, they can put some rules in place to where people just absolutely can't get together. There has to be this much space between people in line and, and between people at tables and put the glass partitions between them. They can somewhat address all that okay but the chips and the cards are just so hard to address i am really looking forward to seeing what they plan to do about those here's the occupancy limits part in order to achieve the social distancing guidelines issued by federal state and local health authorities plans must limit a property's occupancy to no more than 50 percent of the occupancy limit assigned to each gaming area of the property by local building and fire codes that is not very good. Guess what? That that kills everything right there. These these <laughs> can't stay open. They can't stay open. Come on. Well, no, no. I'm seeing it the other way. These floors can be very crowded. I've I've been in casinos where there's wall to wall people. So if you cut that by half, there's not very much distancing there. I on the on the crowded days I've been in casinos. If you take away half the people, it's still fairly crowded, at least for the purposes of catching COVID nineteen. So. Uh, so sure. on, on on one hand, if you, if you cut this by half, it's uh, it's not doing that much. On the other hand, what you said, you, you cut out fifty percent of the people; they may not be able to survive anyway. So I, I don't know how this is going to work. Here we have a, <laughs> some, someone's hammering us with phone calls from the five zero four caller. You're on the air. Please turn down the radio. It's down. This is the poker. The poster Go Buckos. Go Buckos. I've seen you before. From uh, <laughs> yes, from uh, New Orleans. I just wanted to comment on this whole Vegas reopening thing. Um, there's a poster on your other forum, Vegas Casino Talk, who goes by the handle Mickey Krim. 
Uh, I don't know him personally, but uh, I'm a machine player, and he's very, very well respected in the machine AP world. Uh, and it's his theory that these these large strip casinos actually don't want to reopen for as long as they can. Um, he claims he saw something on Twitter from uh, some executives at the Cosmo. Uh, I'm not on Twitter, and he didn't post a link, so I wasn't able to verify it. Uh, but he said when they did their test run taking room reservations, their occupancy rates were 16% in June, 22% in July, and 28% in August. Um, honestly, I think it's cheaper to stay closed. Um, I mean, that's what I'm that's how bad yeah. it's going to be, yeah. and, and I think that's possible because Vegas is so dependent on air travel, that's not coming back anytime soon. Uh, but uh, you discussed that Jeff Huang article a couple weeks ago on the radio, and um, – you know, he said maybe six to twelve months, and 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 I I, I kind of dismissed that early on. But the more I the more I see these reports of, of of just no bookings, the more I think he may be right. Yeah, no, I, I actually thought that part of the article was was correct, as I was saying there. And uh, yeah, I had wondered this too. At what point does it become less profitable, or or, or, or incur when, when do they incur more losses by staying open than closing? And uh, and not only that, the occupancy rates that you just mentioned there, that's who made bookings. But unlike airlines, where once you book, it's very difficult to cancel without losing a lot of money, uh, hotel bookings can be canceled up to like two days beforehand and people get a full refund. So these like 28 percent they're seeing in August, those are people thinking, oh, this has got to be done by August. And when we get to August and they see it won't be done, right? then they'll go, well, screw this, I cancel. So I bet the 16 percent they're seeing for June – in fact, I bet some of those are going to cancel that uh, that thought maybe this will be over in June because especially the government was saying, oh, uh, by June we should be down to zero deaths, which I, I didn't, I never believed. Uh, but, uh, but there's no way that's going to be the case. We're, we're on May 2nd and we have 2,000 deaths a day. So, uh, so in June we're going to have people getting there and go, well, we're nowhere near done. Okay, it's no better than it was a few months ago. Okay, well, uh, F this, I'm not going. So, yeah, this, they could have occupancy rates under 10% to where they will be losing a fortune to reopen. And and that's uh, so it is possible that the casinos may want to posture that they want to reopen uh, so their employees don't get pissed, but right. at the same time go, we actually kind of don't. We're kind of hoping we stay closed. Yeah, that's a good point. They have to have some kind yeah, of I, I, insurance for all this, don't they? I don't know. I've never – see, this is something no one ever thought of. The, like, I just say no one, but most people – Including management, they they just don't think of things like this. In fact, I would be I would think they probably ha- more likely have like earthquake insurance if an earthquake rev- levels the whole building. I would think that's more likely than something like this because we have not had one like this in over a hundred years. And, and the one hundred years ago, I, I don't know I don't know how it I don't know how it works for the companies of this size. But as a general rule, business interruption insurance does not cover pandemics. Oh right, because business then the insurance. because then the insurer is paying everybody. Yeah. And, and, you know, they don't have that kind of liquidity. Yeah, that's that. That's true. That's, so, uh, and I also don't so, think. So, I, so think I don't. It. I don't. I don't think they're covered for this. And and another. Uh, I wanted to bring up one more thing, and then uh, and then I'll hang up and listen. But um, another thing that was being brought up, uh, and I know in some states they can do this um, in order to try and make it profitable, is to let players in when these occupancy limits are are are, are you know are being posted when these casinos reopen, letting players in based on their players' card tier level. Um, and that's actually what happened here in New Orleans. One of the casinos here in New Orleans, right before they closed back in March, they were subject to a 250-person occupancy limit. 
and they were only letting the top two tier players card members walk right in. Everyone else had to wait in line. Interesting. Um, now, I, I don't think, but I don't think that's legal in Nevada. My interpretation of, of gaming law in Nevada is that is not legal in the gaming commission, although it wasn't addressed in this reopening thing, which I've read. Um, the gaming commission has said uh, in other forums, I don't know where exactly, but that they can't do that. Gaming has to be open to everyone. Um, but that may be an option in other states. Yeah, it could uh, be. And I think, honestly, these, these monster casino corporations are going to be dependent on these regional casinos to get their revenue back going well before Vegas reopens. So uh, thanks for taking my call. I'll hang up and listen. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that was a good call here. Glad I took it. Always good call. Uh, it, he had a good phone, too. It was, it, it was a very clear call, even though it was, a lot of times people call on their, on their phones. I don't know if it's a home phone or a cell phone, but sometimes we get these just – very poor connections here. This was a, one of the best connections we've had that wasn't on Skype. So, anyway. Uh, and he was great, too. He should call back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should get more, more calls from Go Buckos. I'm a big fan of that call. So, yeah, it's it's very possible that what he said is true. And uh, just because they're reopening doesn't mean they just become profitable. It, it really can be cheaper to stay closed. Because there's a, a, lot, a lot of staff they don't have to pay right now. And a total, such a less headache. Yes, and less headache, less liability, yeah, all, all that. So they, they may be looking at this going, yeah, we can't do it. And what he said about letting people in by tier level, that probably isn't legal in Nevada. I could actually see where that could work from a business standpoint. It'll piss a lot of people off who are not higher stakes gamblers that they can't come in. But I could see how this could work in two ways in that, uh, number one, it keeps the occupancy down. Number two, they still make enough money with the occupancy being down because they have the highest rollers there who they make the most money from, and they can uh, not worry about the larger group of, of low rollers. Right. And, well, and, what they do with that, Druff, is they let everyone in, but they have it sectioned off so the tier, the higher tier has the majority of the floor and all the nice stuff, and they put all the riffraff into the, the, <laughs> the little corner. <laughs> Yeah, that would be crazy. But yeah, that could that could start happening where it's legal. Uh, now they can have they they can have areas where as I know they have them in Vegas where only people of upper tier levels can go. But I, as far as letting him in, I I think he's right that everybody has to be able to come in at any time and and watch anything taking place. Like Nevada gaming, this gets violated sometimes. But Nevada gaming has a rule that there cannot be private poker games. That every poker game has to be right. within view oh, of the public. Oh, oh. And they try to find ways around it. They, they put it in separate rooms with glass in the room that you can, uh, that you can look through the glass. And the, uh, it starts to get sketchy. Of like, could you technically walk in and, and, and watch the game? And, and then they could probably legally chase you out by saying that uh, out of cheating concerns, they can't have you standing behind high-stakes players that they're playing, but you can observe through the glass, something like that. But they, by law, they have to allow the public to play whatever they want and to um, and to access any part of the uh, gaming floor, so that may include letting them in the building in the first place. Though I will say, on New Year's, that kind of gets violated where they only let hotel guests into certain properties, and and if you can't show a wristband you have as being someone staying at the property, then you can't come in. So I don't know. They they managed to do it well, on New Year's. That's how the corporation was formed when they were playing the big game against Andy Beal because Beal was playing Todd Brunson 
and uh, Ted Forrest wanted to play, so he grabbed a couple racks of chips and just sat down at the table and said, I'm in. And they had to let him play, so they they all, all all the pro players got together and said, okay, we can't dilute all this money. Let's package all our money together and form the corporation and go after this guy. Yeah, and then once they did that, then the limits went sky high because... Uh, exactly. Well, because they it, were already at that point at like 20,000, 40,000. Yeah, they went up to like 100,000, 200,000. Now, this was, yeah. limit, this was limit hold them heads up, but still that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That is, yeah. that is uh, many, many, many times higher than I will ever play. So, uh, uh, so then social distancing, it says... The board expects all licensees to comply with any and all health and safety guidelines and directives issued by federal, state, and local governing authorities with respect to operation of hotels, restaurants, retail establishments, and pools. So guest queuing. Any area where patrons queue should have appropriate signage requiring social distancing in accordance with federal, state, and local health authority requirements. I don't know why they don't say this many feet and more than that if required. Like why why are they just – making it that ambiguous, but I assume that's what they mean by federal, state, and local health requirements. Uh, Hotel front desk, business center, and concierge, social distancing protocols should be maintained among employees and patrons consistent with federal, state, and local requirements. So you'll probably have some additional table blocking you from getting too close to the front desk employee. Uh, Restaurant and bars. All restaurants and bars should have reduced seating in accordance with federal, state, and local guidance to allow for appropriate distancing between each table and between patrons. By the way, normally I'd love this because I have hated in recent years how they cram more and more people into restaurants. I find it takes away from the dining experience. Restaurants that do that and will not give me a table that is a little further away from others. I don't need to be like isolated, but it's, I, I don't want to be crammed in with others where others can hear my conversations. I just like won't even eat there. So now it looks like they're, they have to go the other way for social distancing. The problem is I'm not, I don't want to go to restaurants right now. But if, if this is a change that eventually happens, that's a good change, at least for the, at least for the customer, may not, for the, not for the restaurant. Meeting and convention spaces, meeting and banquet arrangements should allow for social distancing among attendees during all meetings and events based on federal, state, and local recommendations. Food service for meeting and conventions should be served by by personnel and will be managed in accordance with federal, state, and local requirements pursuant to CDC guidelines. Gatherings of 250 people or more are prohibited until further notice until provided by the board. This is going to kill the whole convention thing. Kill it. That's uh, All of this pretty much destroys the ability to have a convention. So forget that. And that's, that's become big business in Vegas. Over the, Every year... The, oh, the, and the AV companies. I mean, there's just so many industries out of that. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah, the conventions have become huge in Vegas. Every year it's growing. Every year that becomes a, a, a more and more important part of the economy there. And this just wipes that out. So they're going to have to... That's going to be a big loss of revenue right there until they can get that resolved. Uh, nightclubs and day clubs. Nightclubs and day clubs within a licensee's property must be closed. So that can't take place. That that will also be some income loss. However, some of these nightclubs are independently operated and are just paying rent there, which, of course, is still an income stream to the casino. They can do without it, but and a lot of times the people who go to these nightclubs are not really the gamblers. It's, it's people who come to the casino just to go to the nightclub, but the revenue they have from the rent of these nightclubs, which can be very high, will not be coming in. Retail spaces, 
Patron occupancy limits and social distancing protocol should be consistent with federal, state, and local requirements and will be enforced at uh, licensee-owned and leased retail spaces. Pools. You may wonder about the pools, especially with summer coming up. Pool seating should be configured in a manner consistent with federal, state, and local requirements to allow for appropriate distancing. I mean, that you would think there'd be more to it than that. Like, I, I don't know how well this can transmit within a pool. Like, if I'm swimming in the same pool as someone else, it, it's very hard, like, not to get, like, small amounts of saliva in a pool. It really yeah. is. Well, it's true. I mean, it's a, you're, I, I'm not talking about people who are spitting in there. I'm talking about as you're swimming, like, tiny bits of saliva will leak out of your mouth. But so For little sure. so so little that it's, it's, uh, most no one's going to notice it or it, it won't matter. Uh, you just have to hope nobody pees in the pool is really the, the, the bigger concern. But uh, no, normally, like, little bits of saliva get out. Uh, and what if people pee in the pool? Like, like the, the question is, like, how much danger is there swimming in a pool? Will the chlorine and other chemicals they have in there, will that kill the coronavirus or, or can it live in the water? Can you get it from the water? I, I, I wonder about that. Uh, they don't mention that. It's just about where people are sitting by the pool, I guess. This is kind of strange. I, they don't really say very much about that. Back of house. What do you think back of house would mean before I read it? Anyone know? What would they mean by back of house? Yeah, probably like the employee area yeah, and stuff the like that. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Social distancing protocols, as provided by state and local authorities, must be implemented in employee dining rooms, employee entrances, uniform control rooms, employee restrooms, loading docks, offices, kitchens, security scanning podiums, employee relations service desks, and training classrooms. So it's basically saying uh, employees have to social distance. Then uh, cleaning and disinfectant guidelines. The board expects all licensees to comply with any and all health and safety guidelines and directives issued by federal, state, and local governing authorities with respect to the operation of hotels, restaurants, retail establishments, and pools. Plans should assure that all public areas will be cleaned and disinfected on a continual and regular basis in accordance with federal, state, and local guidelines for hotel operations. Licensees should increase the frequency of cleaning and disinfecting high-contact surfaces, including, without limitation, front desk, check-in counters, bell desks, Elevators and elevator buttons, door handles, public bathrooms, room keys and locks, ATMs, redemption terminals, reward club kiosks, elevator and stair handrails. Yeah, good luck with those. Uh, casino cage counters, gaming machines, gaming tables, gym equipment, dining services, and restaurant menus. I thought restaurant menus were going to go away as far as being reusable. I thought they are going to require – I'm talking about like everywhere, that it's going to be when restaurants reopen, they have to give paper menus that they throw away. Additionally, all restrooms should be cleaned and disinfected on a regular basis. Okay. (laughs) That doesn't give very much information. Cleaning and disinfection for hotel rooms and operations. Licensees should ensure that housekeeping staff receives comprehensive training on COVID-19 safety and disinfection protocols. Additionally, licensees should provide employees access to required PPE. That's uh, personal protective equipment. Cleaning products and sanitizer. Any carts, trolleys, or mobile equipment utilized by or to transport employees should be disinfected on a consistent basis. Plans should utilize cleaning products that meet EPA guidelines and are approved for use against viruses, bacteria, and other airborne and bloodborne pathogens. A list of disinfectants approved by EPA for use against COVID-19 can be found here. All disinfectants should be used in accordance with their labels to assure proper application, contact time, and user safety. I've got a question here. How do they believe that these... Maids who are probably paid minimum wage 
how do they believe that these maids are going to disinfect each hotel room well enough to where the next person in the room will not be exposed to uh, the virus? Now, I will say that since it does die on surfaces, if enough time passes in between, then, as I said, it disinfects itself. I think one solution would be force one day vacant for each room and clean it. I don't know why they don't say that. Well, dropped. I, I watched on the news again this ultraviolet light they have in the hospitals now. This com- this machine that goes in and it, it it like telescopes up and it just zaps the whole room with this ultraviolet. And they say that it's it's a proven disinfectant. They could use this. They can implement the same type of machine in the hotel rooms. And it would be the nuts on hopefully uh, disinfecting hopefully the whole place. If, if that really works and, and and they can get enough of them to exactly to do it, then, then that's fine. As otherwise, absent of that, I think just uh, leaving a day vacancy, a full day vacancy. Oh yeah, that's good too. That would would would, would do that, and then also clean it carefully. But uh, but the full day vacancy, especially if they're not going to have full occupancy, just say, look, if, if somebody stays like three days, okay, well the fourth day it has to sit. You know, like like in the Bible, the six days uh, you work and the seventh day uh, you rest. It's kind of like this, yeah. Uh, right, another room, and then once that room's filled, you go to the next room, and then the one that was filled is empty for the day. Yeah, for for a full at least twenty four hours, and that, and that won't be, and that won't be an issue for the foreseeable future. Exactly. But imagine all the new uh, Caesar signs, Jeff. No. <laughs> Can you imagine how fucked up they're going to be? <laughs> Yeah, so this oddly that's not mentioned there. You would think that would be a before they can come up with anything more effective. You think that would be the best thing they could do right here? Uh, plans should acknowledge the use of cleaning disinfectant protocols to clean guest rooms approved by the CDC and OSHA. Licensees should ensure that that should ensure that increased attention is paid to high touch items, including without limitation remote controls, toilets and handles, door and furniture handles, water faucet handles, nightstands, telephones, in room control panels, light switches, temperature control panels, and flooring. Linen should be washed at high temperature and with appropriate cleaning products to eliminate viral and bacterial pathogens. Yeah, I think do that, plus leave them vacant for a day and then you're, you're pretty safe in, in the rooms. Uh, back of house. The frequency of cleaning and disinfecting will also increase in high traffic back back of house areas with an emphasis on employee dining rooms, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to read all that again. Uh, plans should ensure that any tools and equipment shared by employees will be disinfected before, during, and after each shift or any time the equipment is transferred to a different employee. This includes without limitation phones, radios, computers, other communication devices, payment terminals, engineering tools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then the room recovery protocol. Plans must include a cleaning procedure in the event or notice of knowledge of a hotel guest with a confirmed case of COVID-19. The hotel guest room must be removed from service and undergo an enhanced cleaning protocol as determined by local health authorities. The licensing is the licensee is prohibited from returning that hotel room to service until the licensee has complied with the requirements set forth as well as with any additional guidance from local health authorities. Again, how about just waiting a certain number of days? Maybe... One day, if you don't know if it's been infected, and, and three days minimum if, if it has been infected. Why, why, and, and then you clean more carefully. Why, why not that? Why, why are they not putting the, a waiting period in there? See, if, if someone had COVID-19 in the room, I don't just want them to clean it really thoroughly. I want, I want to wait. I, I, don't want, I don't want to stay in that room 
until I am certain that uh, a few days have passed and that any virus that's living there is dead. That's that's what I should. Uh, that's what they should be going for here. Uh, cleaning and sanitation for restaurants, bars, and lounges. Plans to ensure that all dining tables, bar tops, stools, and chairs are disinfected each after each use. That's gonna be a tough one. Uh, all host podiums, service stations, service carts, beverage stations, counters, handrails, and trays should be disinfected on a regular basis. Though they don't define what that means. All point of sale terminals should be disinfected between uses and after each shift. Wow! So each each time someone puts their credit card in there, it's gonna be disinfected. Employees who handle food should comply with state and local health district guidelines, whatever that means. See, this is where I think they're being a bit penny-wise and pound-foolish. If you're going to go to a restaurant, you're always going to be at risk because your server is bringing food to you. And if your server is infected, or if the person who's preparing your food is infected, then you have a decent chance of, of catching the virus. And that's a sad fact. So all this other stuff is going to be meaningless, if that's true. So there is a certain risk you are taking by going anywhere with someone serving you food or even handling food. This is why I have stopped going to drive throughs For a while, I was like, oh, I'll just go to drive throughs not in, in a restaurant. Then I'm like, you know what? This is a mistake. I'm not going to drive throughs either. I'm, I'm going to nothing where anyone's ha- handling my food outside my household. And uh, I, if you go to a restaurant, you are taking a risk that those handling your food could be infected and not know it. So I think that uh, cleaning the point-of-sale terminal where you put your credit card in to, to pay for the meal, if it's one of those places where you do this yourself, I, I think that's pointless to clean that every time. It, it should not be cleaned, but it, it, I think some of this is like just going crazy with over-cleaning where in, in an environment where there's going to be uh, big vulnerabilities to catch it no matter what. And people just have to kind of accept the risk or not accept the risk. And, and that's something, by the way, that I'm very big on is, is common sense, where once you're exposing yourself to something that, that's fairly high risk, then at that point, further protocols to prevent other things that could get you the virus uh, lose effectiveness. You might as well throw it out the window. I was saying this last week when we had uh, sheets on talking about these crowded subway trains and trains from Long Island and that, like, why even have all the social distancing if people can crowd into these things? Once you have a lot of people doing that, you're going to have an ongoing problem in that area. And it's no surprise that New York and states that are in the New York metropolitan area are the hardest hit by a very wide margin. So... It's one of these things where you're, you've either got to do it right or you just don't bother doing it. And and uh, I, it's 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 like the old joke of the person who has a gigantic meal and orders a diet coke because they say that they're on a diet. And and they're in the meantime on their plate is is a huge portions of very high cal- high calorie food items. And I'll have a diet coke too. So it's it's like that. When you when you overclean, but then there's major vulnerabilities in where you can catch it from, you have to use some common sense and say, you know what? In some areas, we're just going to have to either take the risk or just leave it closed. So I think the restaurants, I'm not saying they shouldn't clean more, but I say it should be cleaned. It should be required they clean to what's reasonable, not to where it would be overburdensome, to where it, it's ridiculous, and yet you still have servers handling your food and cooks handling your food who, who may or may not have the virus. So that's just something that's never going to be completely safe as long as this virus is still a threat. So that, that's it. 
those are the actual requirements. Remember, these are the minimum requirements, and they have to all submit plans stating what they are going to do with this. This is effectively going to kill poker. I Maybe some rooms will reopen. The, the one I feel the worst for is the Sahara. They put all this money into this new room, all this effort and money, and uh, it, it was getting good reviews, and people were saying uh, the staff is very nice and that it's it's a nice, clean, modern, new room and that it's a great place to play, and then... Uh, it was the first new poker room to open in a long time in Vegas, and now this hits, and it probably can't continue. So that, I wonder if they'll even try to operate with four-handed, or if they'll say, screw it, the players don't want this, and it's a loss leader anyway, so we're just leaving it closed until we can do more than four-handed. And then keep in mind, if they do all this and they reopen, if either it's so big of a money loser that they can't continue, or... Tons of people get sick, and it's dangerous. They're going to close anyway. So this this push to reopen may end up a moot point because they may reopen, and it may be a gigantic fail. When I say they, I mean all casinos. It may be a gigantic fail, and everything may close up again. And that these this is an unfortunate reality of this virus. It's it's unprecedented territory, and there may be some industries. The casino industry could be one where you either just have to do away with it for a while until this is no longer a threat or just reopen and say, okay, people are going to take the risk and then they may go spread it elsewhere. And we're going to accept that to save the industry. And well, that's that's the problem with my business. I mean, these shows are all insured. They, we can't start a show without being completely insured. And the insurance companies won't insure these shows until they're sure – that people are safe because if one person gets sick at work, they're so liable that they, they, they can't, they can't bring that along with the show. So that's why all of Hollywood was going to be shut down long after May. Yeah. And, and what some people don't realize is they got to see the end of all their favorite shows. The ones that are on the, on the regular networks that like all those seasons got to finish just by the timing of this whole thing. Had this, exactly. inter- had this interrupted seasons, People would be a lot more aware. A lot of people aren't even aware of, like, they kind of know Hollywood shut down, but they're, they're not even aware that, like, September is going to come and all the shows they usually watch on the network are just going to be gone. There's not going to be there. Right. Because we finished shooting our season on a Friday and we were shut down that Friday night. <laughs> we literally ended our season that same day. Yeah. And, and, and it was ended late enough to where the entire 2019 20 season was complete. So, exactly. so all these shows got to finish, but but this also means the new season in in September is not going to be there. And There's not. There is no se- new season of any show. Yeah, they're not going to be there. And the the streaming shows, while while some of those uh, they they can release that are already completed, and they may slow down the release of some of these to, so they have more and more to release. Uh, eventually, they're going to run out of those too. And uh, some of those they can keep making. Uh, with certain social distancing protocols, depending on what they are, like documentaries, but it's all a lot of this just can't be made at all, and and soon new entertainment is just going to disappear, and people are going to have to go to, and watch older things that they they had never watched before. But at least there's so many entertainment options that like there's so many shows uh, on so many different uh, networks, including the streaming networks, that people just don't have time to watch. That now maybe people can revisit and and uh, start to watch things that were made uh, in previous years. But that, that's what's going to have to happen on TV. It's going to be reruns, as, as similar to that, uh, that strike in the late 80s, which I'm sure you remember. 
the, yeah. the, the writer strike around like '87. Uh, that uh, that that's it's going to be like that, but worse. So uh, that's that's something that's that's also coming, which which is not life changing for anyone except for you who works in the industry. But nevertheless, uh, that's something that's going to come as well. But yeah, it's it's going to have to be decision time for a lot of these industries and for the government regarding what they're going to allow with these industries. And later in this in this uh, show, I'm going to talk about the cruise industry and why you may not be on a cruise even if you want to for a long time. And I really mean a long time. I've I've read some articles. I've thought about some things, and I, I came to a conclusion that is an unfortunate one for the cruise industry. So I, I will present that later in the show. Okay, so that's that's what's going on there. We so, but by the way, Drop, I was thinking of the cruise is the first thing I thing I was thinking of for the all COVID things. Oh, you know, <laughs> everybody that had it could be on this cruise and at least start that way. Yeah, that's uh, that would be funny to have uh, COVID nineteen cruises. Uh, COVID nineteen uh, proof only. You, know, you have to you have to submit to an antibody test before you can get on. Uh, the problem is, I I just don't think for a while that I mean they maybe at some point they can resume that way. But otherwise, I don't see how they're going to be able to resume it. It's uh, which I'll explain later. That's it's a good point though. I, I hadn't thought of it like an all COVID cruise, but they may have to do it. That's not even a joke. Okay, so moving on to the next topic. Uh, apostle topic. Mac Verstandig has, uh, who's of course the attorney who's uh, in charge of this, uh, both cases against possible civil cases. One being the the eighty eight plaintiff case, which he specified is not a class action; it's just eighty eight plaintiffs. And and the other one, which is uh, a single plaintiff, which is uh, Marley Cordero, and we've talked about both on this show. But uh, in relation to the bigger case with the 88 plaintiffs, Mac Verstandig has decided he's going to make available most but not all documents related to the case uh, on his website. And uh, I went to his main website, which is MBVESQ, like a Mac of B Verstandig Esquire, MBVESQ.com. And I was disappointed that there was no link from the main website to find this. You have to have had the link. But I, I put the link in the Mike Postle thread on the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum, so you can find that link. It's not a secret. Mac publicizes himself, and he's the one posting the documents. But uh, So I went and take, I took a look there. You may wonder why most documents but not all. Someone asked him that on Twitter, and he was saying, well, there, there's, there's a few uh, uh, minor procedural things that, that, uh, that we don't want to put up there and, and some, some things for other reasons. And he, he was assuring everybody that he was not hiding anything and, in fact, gave another link to where if you want to pay a little bit of money uh, through a different system, you can actually access every document that has been filed, but that this is something he's providing for free and that if you think he's hiding anything, you can always go to that pay system and see what he's hiding and then, and then of course, publicize that. So he's, Which I, I believe he's not hiding anything. I, I didn't quite understand the explanation for what he's not providing and why it was a little confusing but anyway of the things he is providing i i clicked on the link and there's a lot of documents and these are documents that uh some filed by them some filed by uh by mike possel some filed by stones and they're numbered in order of when they were filed so de001 is the first one that was the initial complaint that uh, started the entire lawsuit. And then DE55, DE055 is the last one that was filed. 
and that was in opposition to Defendant Michael Postle's renewed mo- motion to s- dismiss, which is basically them responding to his motion to dismiss the, the entire case. The thing we're going to talk about here is DE054, which is Motion for Sanctions Against Michael L. Postle. So this is something I, I hadn't thought was possible, but uh, is interesting to think about. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be successful, but uh, this, is, uh, this, this is what they're looking for. They're looking for sanctions, which would be a penalty on Mike Possel, for using a, a lawyer to prepare his response which is supposed to be represent he's supposed to be representing himself so this would be a penalty for pretending like he's representing himself when he really has a lawyer ghostwriting the responses for him now i had wondered if that was even illegal and when i say illegal i don't mean like you go to prison for it or go to jail for it i i mean is it something that you are not allowed to do and i had always thought you're allowed to do this that uh if you want to have an attorney who isn't officially representing you assist you with putting documents together and, and just with the agreement that they are not giving you legal advice and that they're just, uh, they're just writing the documents for you or just helping you out, but you're not officially a client of theirs, that you can. And that uh, at the very least, the person who is representing themselves and utilizing attorneys in this way is not uh, committing any kind of violation. Maybe you could say the attorney is, because I, I should let you know this about attorneys. It's funny because sometimes I've, I've had conversations with attorneys by like email or Twitter DM, and it's funny because sometimes they'll put a disclaimer uh, that, that uh, I am not, I, I, this disclaimer states that I am not representing you, this is not official legal advice, and that uh, we do not have a client, uh, uh, an attorney client relationship. And some will just put this to protect themselves. So, uh, like, obviously, like when I talk with Eric Benzamokin, who's a friend, uh, we don't have that going on because he's uh, he knows I'm not going to make that false claim against him. But but some attorneys will do this to protect themselves because it, it does have to be very clear to individuals whether attorneys are actually representing them or not, or actually doing any kind of legal work for them, or are giving them legal advice or not giving legal advice, and attorneys can get in all sorts of trouble for for violating these clear rules as as to uh, how that all works, and that's why you actually have to sign paperwork to have an attorney represent you. And the paperwork is not only promising to pay them, uh, but it's also uh, officially establishing that attorney as your representation. So there, there's a lot of uh, procedures surrounding that, and so I can, I, I guess, I could understand more sanctions against attorneys who are ghostwriting for individuals who are not attorneys who are representing themselves. That is kind of like fake representation in a way. But the individual himself getting the help, I don't quite understand that. I also know there's there's legal services that actually advertise they will do this for you. Because a lot of people have a hard time formatting legal documents. In fact, I'm good at this sort of thing. But even I could not format a legal document, like, a, like the type of thing that would be submitted in a lawsuit, such as a... Uh, uh, a response to a complaint or, uh, or or even the initial lawsuit. Like I, I, I could look at templates. I could get kind of the idea how to do it. I could do a good job. I could emulate the language to some degree. I could probably cite some cases. 
I, I could probably do this and, and fool the layperson that an attorney prepared it, and you'd never know the difference. But 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 at the same time, if an attorney were to read what I submitted, they would be able to tell right away that I wasn't an attorney and that I don't really know what I'm doing. So uh, and and this is this would be me doing it who would be pretty good at this sort of thing. But I don't I don't have any kind of legal training, and uh, so there's people who could try to do this and represent themselves who would be much worse at this than me, also with no legal training, but just with less of an ability to do this. Uh, and, and it would not be anywhere at all the format that they're looking for uh, in the court. So to, there are services that you can go to that uh, will assist you in preparing these documents. And these services will even say, we're not giving you legal advice, but uh, we'll help prepare these uh these documents for you and uh, there's even cases where attorneys will have assistants uh, prepare documents for them that that are submitted in these attorneys names and that's not a violation so I'm not quite understanding how this is a violation uh, maybe it is and uh, I just don't know very well maybe Mac Verstandig has a point it's also possible that this is kind of a reach. This is just kind of uh, a lot of these things in these lawsuits are throw it against the wall and see what sticks. And that's on both sides. A lot of times the plaintiffs will try all kind of outlandish things. And when I say the plaintiffs, I mean the attorney of the plaintiff will try all kind of outlandish things to see uh, what they could make happen for their client to make the lawsuit win. And then the defense will try all kind of outla- outlandish tactics to get uh, the suits dismissed. Just about every time there's a lawsuit filed, then the attorney for the other side will submit a motion to dismiss. Like it's very, very common. And that's that's just the legal procedure. That's that's the way it works with attorneys. And I, I'm not even criticizing that. But what I'm saying here is that this may not be something that has a high chance of success. And I, I don't. My guess would be nothing's going to happen to Apostle here for consulting an actual attorney, helping him prepare this paperwork. Now, it is true there's a lot of uh, case law cited. It it really, really looks like an attorney put it together. Like, I'd be shocked if the response that Apostle gave was put together by anyone besides an attorney. Very likely William Portanova, because it looked like there was copy and paste from another case that William Portanova had been handling that uh, accidentally made mention to the other case. So it, it's almost surely Will, William Portanova based upon that. But even if it's not him, it's some attorney. There's no way Postle did this himself. Postle has no legal training. And uh, also, I don't picture Mike Postle being very good at this type of thing. My, Mike Postle doesn't seem like a very educated guy. He kind of he, he strikes me as like a uh, career hustler. Career hustler may be a career scammer. Someone who is is clever when it comes to hustling you, though not too clever because he could have done this a lot better. But uh, at least semi-clever with hustles, but not with this sort of thing. I don't think he's the type that could learn how to submit a response to a lawsuit filed against him and look just like an attorney, including all these relevant cases and and different – and have the formatting perfect and using the perfect legal language, it's highly, highly, highly unlikely. So it's almost certain that he had an attorney assisting him, but I didn't think that was a big deal. And the truth is, when he goes to court, uh, he can't have that attorney there. If this were to go to court, like the, the attorney cannot officially represent him in any capacity until he actually signs on to have that attorney represent him. 
Now, I don't know why it's being done this way. I don't know why if an attorney is going to put his time and effort into doing this, why he doesn't just represent Possel. Maybe the guy's doing it as a favor for Possel and, and says, here, I'll write this for you, but you're on your own. I'll, I'll do this favor. I'm not going to charge you anything or charge you very much, but I, I don't want to enter an, an attorney-client agreement and then have to drop you. I don't want all that hassle. I'm just going to help you format this document and help you with some case law and help you submit this response and basically write the whole response for you, but then I, you're going to do it in your name and I'm out of it. So that may be what's going on, but but I don't really see where this is a big deal. But the, that's what uh, Mac Verstandig filed on April 28th, and uh, it says that uh, it, it says regardless of whether Mr. Portnova is Mr. Postle's ghostwriter or some other person or a combination of persons are tending to Mr. Postle's legal work, it is apparent Mr. Postle is being aided by an undisclosed attorney. Okay, I agree with that, and then he. he Claims the standard shows that uh, that federal rule of civil procedure eleven says that it needs to be done sparingly or only when circumstances so warrant. Well, okay, but sparingly, it's it's been done once, <laughs> so I don't know if that would uh, would say that that has ha- has not happened. Uh, and then it says uh, on March twenty fifth, Mr. Postle made his first substantive filing herein coming in the form of a motion to dismiss the then-current complaint in this case. Without addressing the merits of the motion to dismiss, it is a cleanly drafted document replete with citations to controlling law, which presents every such citation in seemingly perfect blue book format, which is true. The motion to dismiss is signed solely by Mr. Postle and indicates he is appearing in pro per, which means representing himself. No attorney's signature or name appears anywhere upon the motion to dismiss, save for in the certificate of service. The certificate is signed by Mr. Portanova. That's interesting. The day prior to motion to dismiss being filed, Mr. Portanova emailed copies to counsel for the other prior parties herein. So they're showing that not, not only does it, do they suspect he did it, but that this exact motion was emailed by Mr. Portanova uh, to other parties that are being sued, like Stones. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's very, 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 very suspicious. Anyway, so it goes on to talk about the similarities to something else that Mr. Portnova had filed in the past. So I, th- I think we conclude, can conclude that Mr. Portnova did prepare this. But the justification he is uh, giving for why this shouldn't be allowed is he said, while it is certainly common for pro se, meaning representing themselves, litigants to make legal arguments and to use resources like Google Scholar to undertake legal research, their citations are rarely as precise as those of Mr. Postle. Similarly, their their papers are normally not adorned with certificates of service signed by legal counsel. Sanctions should be imposed herein because Mr. Postle's utilization of one or more attorney ghostwriters contravenes the rules of this honorable court, deprives all involved the opportunity to meaningfully interact with counsel regarding the arguments being made, and runs afoul of governing case law. Ghostwriting serves to undermine the the normative litigation process, disadvantages all other parties in the respective counsel, and evidences a flouting of pertinent law. As United States District Court for the Northern District of California has the occasion to has had occasion to observe, ghostwriting frustrates the application of Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 11, which requires all attorneys to verify through their signatures that there are sufficient grounds for the arguments in their pleadings. Moreover, the practice prevents the court from examining the arguments set forth in the papers during oral argument. Like, okay, but it, it's not 
stating explicitly that this can't happen. It's just saying it's it's frustrating the application of such and such rule. Being frustrating and, and causing trouble is not the same as being prohibited. And in, in courts, it, it's a very big distinction. And as far as not being able to question the other side about the arguments being raised, I, I see his point, and I see where this can be frustrating, as was said by the district court. However, what they can do is just contact Postle and say, hey, you wrote this about this argument. Uh, we don't agree for such and such reason. What do you have to say? Because supposedly this was his own research, right? Like he's putting his name to it. And then Postle can give his response at that point because he's representing himself. What Mac is trying to say is we can't reason with the other attorneys to have the other attorneys tell their client, hey, it looks like uh, we have no case after all. Let's drop this that uh, basically this is a one-way thing. But first of all, it isn't necessarily a one-way thing because Postle could secretly go back to William Portnova and say, hey, what do I say about this? And, and second, even if he doesn't, uh, the other side is not required to to agree with what the, 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 the their opposition is claiming. So the plaintiffs can say all they want, about why the defense's uh, motion to dismiss is incorrect or based on incorrect case law, and the the, defer- the attorney, even if he's wrong, can keep saying, no, 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 don't agree, no, no. I mean, it happens all the time. A- attorneys will not agree, either because they really don't or because they're they're trying to work in the interest of their clients and they're pretending they don't. E- either way, uh, it's not that big of a deal because this doesn't happen often where, where the plaintiff's attorney goes to the defense attorney and goes, you raised these arguments, but let me show you why your arguments aren't good. And the, the other attorney goes, oh, yes, yeah, shit, you're right. Okay, you win. Like That, that rarely happens. What, what happens sometimes is that one side will decide they just don't have much of a case. They'll say, okay, look, uh, the opposition has us dead to rights. Everything we're trying to pull is not going to work. They see through everything we're trying to do. Everything we're trying to state, they have a good counter. Our case sucks. Let's settle. Like that, that happens a whole lot. Most cases don't go to trial where one side says we're screwed. Let's settle. Or both sides say, yeah, we could both see how we could lose this. So let's settle. Just because someone had an attorney ghostwrite for them, that doesn't stop that from happening. And I'm, I'm not seeing anything in this filing that's saying this is absolutely prohibited. But Max trying this, he could also be doing this just to cause a lot of hassle for Apostle. So what happens for Apostle then? See, I'm not even saying Mac is doing anything wrong here. Even if, even if everything I'm saying of doubting this being a valid uh, request for sanctions, even if everything I'm saying is actually correct and this isn't very valid, this could still be the right play on Max Verstandick's part because what does this force Apostle to do? This forces Postle to answer this. So let's say he got William Portanova to do this one bit of legal work for him, to write the response. So now he goes back to Portanova going, okay, now I need you to answer this thing about the sanctions. And eventually Portanova's going to go, ah, oh, shit, I, I can't spend all my time on this. I, I've, got a, I've got other things to do. I've got real clients to handle. No, I've, I've done one thing for you. You're on your own now. And then Postle will go, oh, shit, I don't know how to answer this. And then he has to hire a real attorney at that point who actually represents him. Or he has to try to answer himself and probably not do a good job of it. Or maybe he'll be intimidated by this whole thing and realize he's not going to get out of this cheaply. So th- there is a legal tactic where you bombard your opponent with 
a lot of different motions and a lot of different legal paperwork they have to respond to, and then they determine it's not worth it. Master Ken Scaler has his apartment still, thanks to that. He he actually used an eviction defense service known as BASTA that's in the L.A. area that only works with uh, lower-income tenants, which he happened to be, and they do it for very cheap. I actually found them for him. And one of their tactics is just to bombard the landlord with so much paperwork and so many motions and just run up their legal expenses to insane amounts that uh, eventually the landlord says, you know what, screw it. So many motions and just run up. Oh, what was going on here? I, I heard an echo. What was that about? Okay, well, anyway, they, that's how they won for him, and that's how they've won for most of their clients. So that could be what is going on here, that Mac Verstandig knows that Postle has no actual defense team at the moment. He only has this ghostwriter working for him, and that he's trying to frustrate the ghostwriter into either quitting or coming out and officially representing Postle and presumably having to do so for money. And Postle probably doesn't have the money to afford that. And uh, if Postle feels like he can't afford legal defense to this, he might settle. Now, I think he won't because I think he doesn't have assets to collect from anyway. Maybe he does, but maybe he doesn't. So if he doesn't have assets to really go after or a, a job to where wages could be garnished, he may just say, F it, I'm just going to ride this through. I'm going to represent myself. If I lose, I lose. Good luck collecting from me. So that, that may be his strategy. So, and, and this may be Mac's strategy just to file whatever he can to make things difficult on Postle, who doesn't have a real attorney at the moment representing him, at least in an official capacity. So that's, that's what's going on. If you want to look at the documents filed going all the way back to the beginning, you can go to that link that I posted in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum. I posted it on May 1st in the ongoing Postle thread. Moving on to the next subject. Occasionally, I will read a story about someone who claims they were ripped off by an online poker room, including online poker rooms that don't always have the best history, and I will actually take the poker room side. And and some people have a hard time doing this. Some people are, are so attached to one side, usually the player's side, because they've had some bad experiences with, with online poker sites or whatever, that they just they want to find a reason to defend the player and say that the poker room is scum. And in some cases, the poker room is scum. But that doesn't mean they're wrong every time. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so, so, so I'm, I'm going to tell you about something that happened according to a 2 plus 2 poster who was expecting everyone to jump on his side and be outraged by what he thought was the awful behavior of Bovada, only to have most people say, you're in the wrong. And I'll give people on 2 plus 2 credit, is that most people, people in that thread weren't buying what he was trying to sell. Now, there's a reason for this. There's a reason the 2 plus 2 was smart for once, and that's because this was posted in the Internet Poker Forum where most of these smarter posters congregate. In the News Views and Gossip Forum, which is kind of like the general forum of 2 plus 2, there's a lot of dumbasses. So a lot of real dumbasses in there. It's hard to read sometimes because the responses are so stupid. But in the Internet Poker Forum, it's mostly like, pro poker players who have at least somewhat made it in internet poker. So you can't be a complete moron to have done that. So therefore, while that forum has some stupid posters, there's a lot of smart posters there too, and they weren't going for this. And 
I wasn't either. So here's what the guy wrote, and I hadn't heard of him before. He, he's been registered there a while, but he wasn't like a regular poster. His name is DubUp24, D-U-B-U-P-24. And his name is in alternating capitals, so lowercase d, capital U, lowercase b, capital U, lowercase p. So that, that already makes this guy look like he's not credible, but let's put that aside. He says, I've been a longtime player on Bovada for years and years. Recently, my wife wanted to start playing poker as well due to being stuck at home from the COVID-19 lockdown. So I decided to send her my referral code to sign up so I could get a bonus when she signs up and deposits. All right. We've already got a big problem here. Whenever someone says, I want to sign up my wife to play and get a deposit for being referred by me, that's an immediate red flag. (laughs) I mean... Right there, it screams bonus abuse. Yeah, I'm referring someone. I'm referring my wife who just suddenly wants to play poker. My wife has never played before. She just suddenly wants to play now, and oh, I get a referral bonus from this too. That, that, right there, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to agree with this guy. But I gave it a chance. He said, so she signed up and deposited $50 from her credit card, and I got a $100 referral bonus. I also sent her a voucher for $3,000. And $143, which I was going to cash out, but decided I was going to keep just keep it in her account so she could have a bankroll in case I needed to redeposit so she could send me a voucher back. So let me explain what he means by that. There's a weird transfer procedure if you want to transfer money between players on Bovada, which used to be impossible. But now they have this voucher system where for up to $3,000, you can get a voucher where you get a code you can give to anybody else and they can enter that code and uh, – get the money from your account basically so you let's say you get a three thousand dollar voucher bovada takes three thousand out of your account they give you a code you give the code to somebody else when they enter that then they get three thousand in their account so it's not a direct transfer but it's fairly close to it it's kind of a little bit of a pain in the ass but that's how they do it so he's saying he did three thousand one hundred forty three dollars in voucher transfers one for three thousand bucks and then he hit the maximums then the other one for the remaining 143 and that was to his wife and So how much was left in his account? I only left $100 in my account, which was from the bonus, and wanted to build it up from that as a side challenge. (laughs) So you see, it's not that he's going to play as his wife. It's not that he's doing this just to get a $100 referral bonus that he doesn't really deserve. No, it's not about that. His wife just suddenly wants to play. His wife somehow is going to take his entire bankroll and he's going to stop playing except for trying to run up the $100 bonus as a side challenge for himself. So he's like, honey, I know you want to play. Here's my entire bankroll. You play the exact games I was playing before and it's going to be you, totally you, not me. And my poker play is going to cease. That's why I don't need a bankroll. I'm going to try to run up this $100 as a little side challenge to myself. Not because he's trying to clear that bonus so he can cash that out. Now, that's not why he left exactly $100 in there. It's, it's because it's a little side challenge. That's all. So already this looks super obvious what's going on. You'd have to be a moron to not see what's going on here. My wife won some money in poker and betting on esports, and her account went to 46.98 after about a month. So it looks like he won about $1,500. Most, if not all, of her winnings were from winning esports bets, and she was pretty much break even at poker. Okay, let, let's stop for a second here. <laughs> How likely is it that his wife was betting on esports? Do you know a lot of women betting on esports? Is that a real big thing for women to do these days? I, I don't want to be sexist here, but I, I don't know a single woman who bets on esports. Not one. Women just don't have much interest in 
esports. Most women don't even bet on sports much. It's it's really really a, a male undertaking. There's some female sports bettors. I actually have known a few, but mostly male. But esports, I, I've never known a female to be interested in betting on esports in my life. I think the under is the nuts. <laughs> so so uh, so somehow his wife bet on esports, won about fifteen hundred dollars, claims it broke even in poker. Or so and then she wanted to cash out. Earlier, around four thousand dollars, but Bovada said she had to play through the whole voucher deposit to be able to cash out. So that's that's another crappy thing with this voucher. I guess there's a play through requirement. So she played, th- she, so she played through it in poker and esports bets. So after the play playthrough, she wanted to cash out the forty six ninety eight via Bitcoin. And after almost forty eight hours of review, they canceled the cash out and said the account was under investigation. Oh my God! Shocking. Shocking that Bovada didn't go for this one. Shocking that they saw something go suspicious here. How dare they put this under investigation? 24 hours later, they called her and said her account was being disabled and all the funds in it would be seized because we broke the terms of service of having two accounts in the same household as well as abusing the referral bonus. They said they would return the $50 she made, deposit she made through her credit card, though. My account was also shut down, which I had $200 in that I was building up. I didn't read the terms of service before referring my wife, and it does indeed say, and then it, it shows that you're only allowed to have one account per household. I won't bother to read it. I got no warning or anything. They just seized the funds and closed our accounts with the money in them seized. I cannot even contact them via telephone because of the COVID-19. They turned their phone support off. Their chat reps just say the decision is final. They will not return any of the funds in the account except for the $50 my wife deposited from her credit card. In the email, they sent me that this is what the rules said they broke. Single account access... Information to be valid and verifiable, fraudulent activity, betting syndicates, and abusive bonus programs. So they're claiming they broke five rules. I was only guilty of referring my wife, who lives in the same household, and I guess abusing the bonus program since I received a $100 bonus for referring her. But honestly, I don't know. I didn't know that was against the terms of service, and I admit I was clearly in violation of that. So they seized the 4698 in my account and the 200 in, in, sorry, the 4698 in my wife's account and the 200 in my account. Does anyone have any advice? Any advisor input would be greatly appreciated. Again, I know I made a mistake and broke the terms of service, but does that warrant all of our funds being seized? Thank you. Okay, so I didn't get to this right. I didn't see this until a few days in, so he already got a number of responses before I got to comment. As you might guess, a lot of people responded going, uh, no, it's very clear you were your wife here. You were playing under your wife's name. You were trying to jack a $100 bonus from them that you weren't entitled to. And, uh, and and they didn't take kindly to it and, and seize your role. Now, the proper response for him at that point should have been, okay, you may think that, and that's fine, and I can see how it looks like that, but even if you believe that happened, do you think my entire role should be seized? Do you think that maybe that's too harsh of a punishment? I think if he went about it that way, he'd have a good point. If I were asked, what is the fair thing to do here? And keep in mind, when I say fair, I mean you, they also have to keep in mind if they let someone off for trying to roll them like this with with no punishment at all, that this could encourage others to try it as like a free roll. So there has to be something here. I understand that there has to be some kind of punishment for this. I would think the right punishment for this would be take all their winnings before this happened and let them cash it out and take everything else. So uh, – Rewind the clock to when he pulled this and let him cash out that amount of money, which was $3,143, and confiscate the other uh, 1550 or so. 
basically, you won money since pulling the shenanigan. You don't get to keep any of it, but we will give you back what you had before the shenanigan. That would teach a good lesson here, and uh, he'd have a consequence, and yet uh, it wouldn't be a complete confiscation of all funds because two-thirds of those funds he won legitimately before all this happened. That, that's what I would have done if I were in security there. But they chose to take the whole thing. But there's a little bit more to the story, why they took the whole thing, which I, I still don't completely agree with, but I, I understand a little bit more now. So the 2plus2 two two community saw through this, and they basically told him, no, we know that you are playing as your wife. And then they even tried to ask him, because he was denying, he's going, you don't know that. You don't know my wife was, was having me play for her. How do you know it wasn't her? Are you saying women don't play poker? Like These very indignant, nasty responses, which he's asking for the community's help. He's not in a court of law here. He's trying to ask the community, hey, Bovada screwed me. Can you help me out? And he's being a jerk. Like, you don't know my wife didn't play. How do you know that? Were you there? Like, you, don't, you don't act that way to people you're trying to have help you when they see right through your PS. Now, if you don't want to admit it in the thread that, that yes, it was you the whole time, I, I can see there's a way to phrase it without admitting it. But instead, he's fighting with them. So someone says, okay, well, what limits did your wife play? Did she play the same games and limits as you did? Well, what, why? She can't? So, so just because I play certain games, she can't play those exact games and limits also? What if she likes playing what I play? Like, it, it was so lame, the responses he was giving. And he was becoming more and more unlikable in the responses there. And, and people were not taking to it very well. So he, he had a few idiots in the thread that were going, oh, man, this is awful. The, you know, seizing your bankroll, man, screw Bovada, I hate them. But these were p- clearly people who just hated Bovada in the first place or just weren't very smart. But most of the people in that thread did see through it and gave very appropriate responses to him. So when I showed up, this is what I said. I said, as many of you know, I run a site which focuses on frauds and scams and poker, and I'm always the first to back someone up who's been mistreated by a poker site. I've also publicly complained about Bovada many times on 2 Plus 2 and my own site, so I'm not a cheerleader of theirs, which you guys know is correct. With that said, it's 100% obvious that this guy thought he was clever, pulled shenanigans, got caught, and now is crying foul because the punishment, the complete confiscation of his bankroll on the site, is more harsh than he figured it could be. Your wife didn't play. It was obvious from the first post. It's even more obvious now. You took over the account, hence the reason you transferred all the money except for $100 to quote her account. You didn't leave 100 in her account as a side challenge to run it up again. It's insulting to our intelligence to say that. In reality, you left exactly $100 because that was the amount of the referral bonus, and thus that was the amount that was stuck until it was cleared. So you moved all the play over to her account, and you were playing on your old account just enough to clear the bonus, cash that out, and be done with it. Then Bovada caught you, called you up, and you lied about the situation. That led to angering them further and believing you were a scammer, so they confiscated your role. I admit their actions were harsh, but that's the breaks when you try to pull tricks on an online poker site, especially one which basically makes its own rules and answers to nobody. And this guy was having a real hard time understanding that, that they don't have to prove anything to anyone. They just have to seem reasonable to the public, and they're fine. They don't really have a regulatory body to answer to. Whatever regulates them is is a joke. So this isn't like they they have to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt in a court of law that their uh, actions were proper. They just have to convince the community that their actions were proper. And they didn't have to say anything to the community because uh, uh, this guy made the case for them. So if, if this guy posts it and the community says, no, nah, it looks like you were trying to rip him off, uh, that's it. Bovada, that, that, that's all they have to do. That's all they're going to do. So you have to understand that you have very few rights like this and you can't screw around with them 
if you're afraid that they are going to take your bankroll. You've got to always worry about them taking your bankroll when you do anything that's out of the ordinary. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that that's a reality of, of current online poker, and you have to keep that in mind before you try to pull shenanigans on them. Uh, now, there's more of a reason for this that has nothing to do with him of why they behave this way than people realize, and I explained that here. I said, why are they so hardline about this? I can answer that. In previous years, Bovada has been victimized numerous times by bonus whore hustlers. This became easy to pull off thanks to the Bitcoin as a new deposit method. The hustle worked like this. Number one, create a new account with a clean IP address. Number two, fund with Bitcoin for something like $1,000 and get the initial deposit bonus. Now, the reason you fund with Bitcoin is because Bitcoin doesn't require it to be attached to a bank account. So you don't need to de- need bank accounts in whatever phony name you establish the account in. You just need Bitcoin, which is anonymous. So you fund with Bitcoin, get the deposit bonus. Three, clear the deposit bonus via an aggressive high bet strategy, which fails most of the time, but occasionally clears the bonus with a high bankroll, usually in the five figures. Now, by the way, this is not like Christopher Mitchell's Martingale, in case it sounds like that. This is an aggressive betting strategy, but the difference is you're betting with bonus funds, which are meaningless because you got them for free and they can't be cashed out. So there it's smart to do that type of strategy because there's no downside. Usually it'll result in nothing, but a small percentage of the time you're going to get lucky and clear the bonus that way. And then when you clear it, you're going to clear it with a lot of money too. If it fails to clear, dump the non-bonus chips to a friend in poker and trash account. So this way the original thousand you deposited you still have and instead of cashing out that thousand in which they're going to see that you were uh, just signing up to be a bonus whore and, they, and they're going to give you a hard time and not want to cash it out, instead you just dump it. You, ha- you have a network of, of friends on there that also happen to play poker and you sit in their game and dump all or most of it to them in a convincing fashion. Number five, if, it's, if the bonus is cleared, uh, cash it out and profit five figures. Number six, rinse and repeat. In case you're wondering, I never did this. This was nothing I ever did even once. But I was aware it was happening when it was happening. Some people even said, hey, you should get in on this. This is a good idea. I said, no, no, that's all right. I'll pass. <laughs> like I, I knew it was happening, but I, I never got involved in it. Anyway, Bovada has stopped this. They have various ways they have stopped this, some which are ethical, some which are unethical, which I'll get to shortly, but they're very paranoid about any form of this occurring. So when he did this, they were less concerned about him trying to jack a hundred bucks from them and more concerned that this was a form of what I just described to you. And let me tell you how it could have been. He's getting bonus dollars that have to be cleared. So what they were probably afraid of is that he did this to get these hundred dollars he wasn't entitled to in bonus dollars and that the plan was to run this up in in a fashion where it's either going to bust and it doesn't cost him anything because he couldn't cash it out anyway and it was free bonus dollars or it'll run up to something big and then it'll cash everything out now the fact that it got seized with two hundred dollars in it means that's not what he was doing because you're never going to have two hundred dollars in using that strategy if you start with a hundred and you're trying to run it up that way you're quickly going to go up to thousands or bust with nothing in between so Definitely, that's not what he was doing. I'm guessing the guy wasn't smart enough to do this. But anyway, uh, because it has some similarity to that scam, to the using the bonus 
to run up money and steal from them. They're very sensitive about anything that looks even somewhat like it. So since he started, I said, so hence starting a new account, transferring money to it, and resuming play as if it's you, while attempting to clear the referral bonus on the original account, looks really bad to them and reminds them of the above scheme, which cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, uh, prior to it being stopped. Actually, it cost them more than that. That was per person. Like there, were, there were some people who profited hundreds of thousands off this individually. They, they may have lost millions for this. You basically effed yourself when you lied to them on the phone. They aren't going to believe that your wife suddenly wanted to play the exact same limits and style that you do, while at the same time you lost the desire to play other than to clear the bonus in your account. You should have just come clean once they caught you, perhaps cleaning up the story a bit so you don't look like you were just trying to outright jack $100 from them. Then you should have begged for them to let you continue playing, promising never to do it again, since it's just a matter of $100 they may have allowed it. Now you're screwed, and coming to 2 plus 2 and lying about it just makes matters worse. Next time you want our help here, please don't insult our collective intelligence by telling us nonsense wife stories and then acting outraged when we don't believe you. And that was the worst part. That he, It's one thing to try to peddle this story to Bovada, but when they don't buy it, don't peddle this to 2 plus 2 and expect people to believe it just because we can't disprove it. If you want help, be honest or as honest as you can be without incriminating yourself. Do, do, do not uh, say, you don't know about my wife is playing. You don't know that. How dare you concern? How dare you assume? So this guy got nowhere. Now, some more information came out. Uh, someone suggested, why don't you go to the Bovada forum and post it there? Bovada and Ignition both have forums where you can interact with support. They're like closed forums. You have to get access through your Bovada or Ignition account. So he actually went there and posted basically the same concern. And this is what someone from Bovada Support at the forum said. And this is someone with a lot of knowledge of the situation. This wasn't just like a form letter. Thanks for reaching out. I'm one of the moderators in the Bovada community. At your request, I have reviewed your account and the situation you're involved in. At present, the action taken upon your account will stand due to multiple violations of our terms of service, with particular emphasis on the following. Single account access. You're permitted only to, act to open one account. Only one account is allowed per household, blah, blah, blah. Uh... 6.2 fraudulent activity if in our in our reasonable if in our reasonable discretion we determine that a player has engaged in fraudulent unlawful dishonest or improper activity including without limitation the usage of a VPN proxy or similar services masks or manipulates the identification of your real location uh, uh, or otherwise providing false and misleading information by making bets, wagers, or poker play through a third party or on behalf of a third party, we reserve the right to immediately terminate or deny a player access to their account. In such event, all account balances, including both deposits and winning, shall be forfeited, and we reserve the right to disclose information to applicable parties, but not limited to banks, credit card companies, and or any person or entity that has the legal right to such information and, and or taking legal action against such player. During your interactions with our investigations department, you were given multiple opportunities to explain the situation. However, instead, attempts were made to deceive the representative you spoke with, which is not something we tolerate. Any funds that were seized were done in accordance of our terms of service, which were agreed to when creating both accounts. As such, we won't be returning the funds deposited from the vouchers to either account. Regards, Bovada Community Moderator. <laughs> And I laugh because I could picture this guy on the phone. I could picture him being a complete dick on the phone to the rep. Saying, you don't know it wasn't my wife. It was. Let's see you prove it wasn't her, huh? Huh? What about that? You don't think girls can play poker? Huh? 
You don't think my wife may want to play because she's stuck at home because of COVID-19? Huh? Answer that one, man. Huh? And the, the person from Bovada Security is probably thinking, what a, what a dick. And by the way, the people from Bovada Security that call you are fairly high up. They're kind of like middle management there. These are not scrubs they send to call you. These are people who uh, have a lot more authority compared to anyone else you talk to. I know because I was once falsely accused of bonus abuse, and I talked to one of them. In my case, it was scary because I had 56K on the site, and I couldn't log in with a weird error code. And then when I called in, they're like, oh, yeah, your account's been suspended. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) My account's been suspended with 56K? What did I do? Uh, We can't tell you. I'm like, no, no, you better tell me. No, we can't tell you. Uh, email support will get back to you uh, sometime when we have time. I go, no, you're going to address this now. And I threatened to expose them on my site. And I said, look, just this is a matter of a lot of money. And I need to know now what I allegedly did wrong because I did nothing wrong. So they uh, they did get someone to call me fairly soon. And it was a Filipino guy who was in uh, Bovada uh, financial services, which is code for like middle management there. And he was very obnoxious. And he told me what I'm being accused of is bonus abuse. And I said, what do you mean bonus abuse? And he says, well, we see you made a, a deposit when you had 46000 on the site. You made a deposit for like uh, $1,200 and got a bonus from it. And we can't see with you know 46000 on the site already – why you should make a deposit further, we think you just did this to get a bonus that uh, you shouldn't have been entitled to. I said, well, it's interesting you say that because I thought of this too. I thought, I don't want to break Bovada rules. So I am going to call up and I'm going to ask for permission to do it before I do it. And I know you guys record all your calls. So pull up the recording on the day I made the deposit and you will see that one of your reps told me that it is not against terms of service to make this deposit and receive that bonus. And I was completely transparent about what I was doing, and they said it was fine, and I verified twice on the phone that this was fine, and then I did it. So I'm not abusing. So the guy says, hold on a second, puts me on hold. Okay, you're right. I pulled the call. You were told that. That that representative was an error. I'm like, well, okay, how's that my problem? Like, okay, I won't do it in the future. But how's this my problem? And they said, well, you still should have known better. I said, what are you talking about? I, I called your own reps. I, I asked your own reps. That's your fault if you don't hire reps that know the, the rules. I, I couldn't find anything in the terms against this. There, there, it's just very ambiguous of what's considered bonus abuse. There, there was no amount of money that was said that I, that I can't have in my account if I make a deposit. And just to verify, I thought of this in advance and called and verified, and I was told it's okay. So what did I do wrong? Sir, I'm telling you, I'm going to reopen your account because, as you said, you were given permission. I'm not. You you can do it. You can withdraw your funds now if you want. Your your accounts can reopen. You can continue playing. There's no restrictions on your account. But we are going to take away your ability to get further bonuses because you have abused the bonuses. And I was really pissed, and I argued with the guy, and he couldn't make a coherent argument. He kept saying, yes, you're right, yes, yes, I admit that you were told this, yes, I admit you had no way to know there was bonus abuse then. I go, okay, well, then how did I abuse it? Sir, as I said, we're, we're reopening your account, you can access all your money, you can still play. It's, it's to our discretion of who we want to offer bonuses to, 
and we're deciding not to offer it to you anymore. And I said, but I didn't do anything wrong. They said, no, that's fine. We concede that, but we've decided we're just not going to give you bonuses anymore. We can do that. Well, he's right. They can. So I was stuck. I was stuck with no more bonuses. <laughs> that, was, that was that for my bonuses on Bovada. Dick move on their part that I proved to them that I was given permission. What they should have said is, okay, now you know. From now on, if you ever make a deposit again when you have a large bankroll on the site with a bonus attached, you're in violation and then we'll take action. But this time we'll let it go because you were erroneously told it's okay. That's what they should have said. They did not say that. So I let it go because it is true they are not required to give me bonuses. That, that is at their discretion, unfortunately. So I, I, I made it public what happened, but I, not with the vigor I would have done if they confiscated my 56K. But uh, I will say the person I spoke to there, he was someone who fully understood the situation. It wasn't an idiot, and it wasn't someone who didn't have much power. It was someone who had power and someone who understood. He just kind of chose to be a dick. Uh, so I assume this guy spoke to someone like that, but instead of being open and honest with him like I was... This guy tried to lie about it. Like, this would have been the equivalent of me saying, well, I know I had 46K, and I know the highest game you have is 3060 limit, but you can never be too careful. What if I have a bad session and lose 46K one night? Like, you know, that, that would be as absurd as what this guy was saying about his wife playing. So instead, I said, no, I, I saw a bonus was available to me. Looked good. It was offered to me, but I even verified it was open to me by calling up your support number. So what did I do wrong? And he didn't. This idiot tried to argue about it. it was really his wife and they can't prove it wasn't and probably a, an asshole to them. And Look, if, if the guy I talked to, I was very... I never was rude to the guy I talked to. I was very businesslike. I, I, was, uh, I, I maintained a calm demeanor and calm tone of voice. Uh, I, I tried to reason it out with him. If, if this guy still took away my bonuses after all that, can you imagine what they thought that they wanted to do after this guy, after they talked to him and he was lying to them and being obnoxious. So of course they, they took it away from him. Why? Because they can. And they knew it was justifiable because he really did pull shenanigans. So the conclusion, don't be that guy. Number one, don't try to pull bonus shenanigans on Bovada. It's going to end badly. The days of pulling that are long over, especially for a hundred dollars. That's what's so funny. He lost, he lost 4,700 bucks because he tried to pull a hundred dollar shenanigan. How stupid is that? Uh, number two, know that uh, Bovada just makes their own decisions and gives you a big fat middle finger if you don't like it. So if they have like even what looks like a semi-okay reason, even if it doesn't completely stand to scrutiny, they're just going to do it. So be careful. Just just basically really be really careful playing on there. Don't try to pull anything. Don't go, ah, I'm getting them here. Ah, they don't know I'm pulling this here. Don't do that because if they find it, they're going to close your account and take your money and then uh, you're going to be screwed. And they don't care all that much what people say about them on 2 plus 2 at social media. They care a little bit, but not that much. They can't be shamed that much. So that's you got to be careful and, and don't be that guy. But before I end this segment, I want to read to you some very concerning rules they have regarding clearing bonuses, which I feel are unethical. So I will say one thing about the story is it did unearth something I didn't know about with Bovada rules that are – I don't know how recent they are, but they haven't always been there. 
it's uh, pretty obnoxious stuff. Someone found on 2 plus 2, and you guys should know about if you're ever going to have bonuses there. I'm talking about bonuses you get legitimately, not your wife's bonuses. So let me explain again about the aggressive strategy to clear bonuses so you understand what I'm about to talk about here. Bonuses have what's known as a playthrough, which means that you have to play a certain amount before that bonus can actually be withdrawable cash. Because if it's not withdrawable cash, it's useless. You can't do anything with it. And sometimes these bonuses are only good in the casino, so you can't even dump them to other players. So sometimes really the only way to get the bonus money off the site is to clear it. If you don't clear it, then there is zero way to get the money off the site. The playthrough is often uh, pretty high. It's a multiple of whatever your bonus is, and then your playthrough is only given like 30% credit if you're doing it at a game like Blackjack. So if you were to slots where your odds are terrible, then they'll give you 100% credit, which I'll explain shortly for uh, for the playthrough. But if it's like a, a game that has better odds for the player like Blackjack, they'll give you like 30%. And when I say what percent you're getting, I mean they'll say like 40 times playthrough required. So okay – that means you have to bet 40 times whatever the bonus is. So if you got a $1,000 bonus, you need to have wagered $40,000 worth before you can withdraw anything. But if you're only getting 30% credit for playing something like Blackjack, that would mean you have to play more than three times that in Blackjack in order to withdraw it, which would mean it would be more than 120 times playthrough. So what happens when you try to play it through? Well, the fact that these are negative EV games usually grinds you down to zero. So if, let's say, you have a $1,000 bonus and you say, okay, I'll just play this through, I'll play $50 a hand. $50 a hand will not lose $1,000 for a while, but after enough hands, usually you will go to zero. It is very hard to clear, like, 120 times playthrough doing just $50 bets. Number one, it'll take an eternity because, look, you have to wager over $120,000. So think of how many bets that is. That if you're going $50 each and a, a very large number of bets that's going to take an eternity to do even online and second, even if you want to put the time into it you're going to bust before you clear the bonus because you only have $1,000 of it and if you go on a downswing where you lose uh, more than the, you're down more than 1000 overall it's gone, and since it's a negative expectation game, that's very likely to happen so the the Negative EV of the game plus variance is going to kill you, and you're very rarely ever going to be able to grind it through. So what's the only way you can grind it through? The way you can grind it through is by betting aggressively, where you run up a, a much higher amount by, uh, instead of betting like uh, $50, you start off betting uh, $400, $300, something like that, of the 1000 and then if you start winning, you, you, you kick it up even more. Why? Because you're clearing the playthrough much, much faster and building a bankroll much faster. So you no longer have to worry about being down to 1,000 because if you build up the 1,000 to uh, 30,000, say, then a bad streak won't kill you as badly. Also, there becomes a point where once you have built up enough of a bankroll by getting lucky on this, and of course you do have to get lucky. I'm not saying this is like free money. I'm saying that... Uh, this is the only way to be able to clear bonuses, period, with having any money left. Once you build it up high enough, then you can slow down because then if you grind, 
even if you don't run very well, you're not, like you're not going to lose. Like let's say you build up thirty thousand. If if you want to bring it back down to to fifty, you bet hundred per bet. You're not going to lose thirty thousand in, in what you need to clear. So even if you lose from that point, you're still going to finish with money and probably good money. So so that's the dual purpose of this. Is one, it it, it clears it a lot faster, and two. It uh, allows you to go back to a slower, less variance clearing strategy once you've built the bankroll high enough. Now, there's nothing unethical or wrong about this. It's a strategy. They're giving you a thousand bonus dollars, and they're saying you've got to clear it with this much playthrough. And whatever way you choose to do this should be fine. There shouldn't be restrictions on the playthrough. It should be whatever way you want. If you want to try the high variance way, where most of the time it's not going to work. Fine, but they should let you try it. And if you were to be creating tons of accounts, like I described earlier, to keep getting bonus, 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 till you you do it enough till you finally get lucky and strike lightning in a bottle and clear one of them for a lot of money, there I see their complaint, and there I see why they they get pissed and confiscate your money if they catch you doing it. But if this is a bonus you legitimately got on your own account, the way you clear it should be up to you. But it's not anymore. They've decided that not only don't they want these betting syndicates doing it the way I described before, but they don't want anyone doing it. Listen to this. Prohibited play. Prohibited play is considered bonus abuse and is not permitted on the site. Prohibited prohibited play can include, but is not limited to, low-margin betting, equal betting, zero-risk bets, or hedge betting. These are considered prohibited play when done purposely to exploit bonuses. In addition, the following types of play are considered prohibited play. Increasing the balance and then changing your gaming pattern significantly, bet game type, bet structure, or other, than, or other pattern of betting to complete any wagering requirements of any bonus. Well, th- that's it right there I just described. Uh, moving from a low-weighted game, table games, to high-weighted games, slots, or specialty games. So they're not even letting you uh, move from uh, blackjack to slots if, if, you're, if your attempt to clear it has almost failed. They don't even want you to take it over to slots as a last-ditch attempt to hit a jackpot. So let's say you try to clear it at blackjack and you get down to $50 in your bonus, and that's all you have left. You go, okay, I, I don't think with $50 I'm going to be able to clear this, so I'm just going to spend the last 50 on slots and hope I get super lucky and hit the, hit the jackpot, so then this way I'll have a bankroll. You, you can't even do that anymore. Uh, two-tier betting, where large bets are placed on high-variance outcomes before switching to normal Various outcomes to clear wagering requirements. Again, just what I talked about there, where you bet aggressively at the beginning, get a big bonus bankroll, and then go back to uh, low-variance betting to clear the rest of it. Can't do that anymore either. Increasing your balance after playing, after placing various high-value bets and thereafter proceeding to place bets of less than half the prior bet value in order to meet bonusing wa- wagering requirements. So basically saying the same thing would be more specific, that you, you cannot lower your bet by more than 50% at any point when trying to clear wagering requirements. This is ridiculous. Uh, Using any betting system or placing even money bets on a game of chance and or using the double up or gamble feature within a game to increase win values. You can't even use double up features on on certain games. Uh, Wagering on games that do not contribute towards wagering requirements or games with a 0% wagering weight applied to them as specified in specific bonus landing page terms. I, I don't understand how that would help if you can't clear your bonus, but whatever. Uh, wagering on games with bonus money to build up value, lose the bonus, and then cash out on the built-up value with a secondary deposit. Okay. I understand the last one. I'm not sure what they mean by a secondary deposit, but I, I think I, I think I understand what they're saying, that, that 
you're not allowed to only wager with bonus money and then just cash out the regular money without doing anything else. That that's totally reasonable on their part. That's that's that is like standard bonus whoring stuff and if they want to prevent that that's ethical for them to do. But everything else here is absurd. Basically they're saying anything you could possibly do to realistically clear any bonus we give you, you can't do. That any bonus clearing strategy which has a possibility of resulting with you clearing the bonus is prohibited. So really, I think the only way you could possibly clear a bonus there is go play slots, which may even still be a violation if you haven't played slots before that. But assuming you can play slots without getting them mad, just play slots and then have the slots hit a jackpot. And then spin the rest on slots and, and, and uh, I- until you clear it. I think that's the only – unless you hit a slot jackpot, I can't see possibly how you can clear these bonuses without violating the terms of service. So th- this is really, really going too far. I don't know if they enforce it to this standard. They may just put this so they can take people's bankrolls in the case they suspect this type of bonus hustling or angle shooting. But that's really crappy to actually put in writing like this. It's really crappy to make these official rules that you can't bet in this way. So, so basically, Bovada bonuses are useless. Now, if they're poker bonuses where you have to clear whatever number of raked hands to get money, that's fine. But any kind of casino bonus now is useless. It's actually useless. So you see, like, oh, de- deposit in our casino. First of all, you shouldn't be playing their casino. You, you, it could be rigged. You, you, you never know. You should never play online casinos. But any kind of casino bonus you get for something else, sometimes you get casino bonuses for making a, a deposit for sports or a deposit for poker. There will be a casino bonus, or you can trade in your points for a casino bonus. Don't. This has made casino bonuses completely useless on Bovada. I haven't looked at conditions terms. They could be different. But I have to imagine they probably operate in a pretty similar fashion. So really, I would suggest just forget casino bonuses on Bovada and Ignition completely. Just don't even take them. Don't even try to get them. And if you can get anything else, even like a tournament ticket for a tournament you don't want to play, just take the tournament ticket. Because any realistic way of clearing the bonus, they're going to find a way to take it from you. So that that's really lousy. And anyone who got their bankroll taken from them as a result of, quote, abusing this, that, I would say, is outrageous. Unless it is one of these betting syndicates or people trying to angle them with uh, multiple accounts, that there it's reasonable for them to take the, ba- the bankroll. But someone who gets a legitimate bonus on their own account and then tries to bet in this way to run up the bonus, for them to take that would be awful. This is really like an overcorrection to a big vulnerability they had. See, you never want to overcorrect. And I'm afraid that's what Bovada is doing here. I, I don't even think Bovada is like thinking, oh, wow, this is a way we can confiscate people's money. I think they realized that they were being abused this way with their bonuses. And now they're so obsessed with preventing even one incident of anyone running the bonus up in this way even if it's just someone innocently using a strategy they've determined is best. So that that's the one little point where I agree, but that doesn't apply to this guy who wasn't even doing it anyway, from what I could tell. And they didn't say he was doing it. But yeah, don't screw around with Bovada and don't bother with casino bonuses. That's the, that's the takeaway here. That's the grand takeaway. Okay, here's another grand takeaway that you should get before we go on to talk about the coronavirus. It's only 1.30 a.m., no big deal. And that is, don't play Phil Galfond at Heads Up PLO. Definitely don't play him at Heads Up PLO on his own site. But 
probably just don't play him heads up heel because he's really good. I would say that at this point, it, it appears he's very, very tough to beat at heads up PLO, especially since he modified his strategy to go back to what worked for him previously. Stop trying to adjust too much, and that seems to be working. He played Bill Perkins a little bit so far, as I mentioned last week, but they have an irregular schedule because Perkins said, I'm not going to play on a set schedule. If you want to play me, you're going to do it on my schedule whenever I say I feel like it. And Galfon's like, okay, you're dead money. Okay. But everybody else, Galfon demanded do a, a set schedule. So the next regularly scheduled group of matches are taking place. Uh, it's between him and Action Freak. And again, this is taking place on Run It Once. Now, Action Freak was considered the toughest of all his opponents because Action Freak is supposed to be one of the best heads-up PLO players in the world. At least online he is. And uh, he's the only one who didn't get odds for the side bet versus uh, Galfond. I I think this actually hasn't been worked out as far as Jungle Man yet, but everybody else, Galfond uh, had to give odds to them for the side bet as to who finishes ahead. But Action Freak did not get odds, and Venny Vitti got 2-1 to one to show you the difference. So the assumption was that Action Freak was better than Venny Vitti, hence the reason he didn't even get odds. And Galfon thought he was so good that the, the best he'd give him is an even money side bet. So when Venny Vitti was crushing Phil, people said, well, if Venny Vitti is beating Phil this badly, imagine how badly he's going to get stomped on by Action Freak. Then Phil came back, and people said, okay, well, Venny Vitti wasn't as good as we thought, but Action Freak, he's supposed to be the better player, so wait till Phil plays this guy. Well, he did start playing him, and so far it is not going well for Action Freak. So after just uh, three sessions they've had, the first one being kind of a, a break-even-ish type of session, now Phil Galfond is up over 400,000 euros Over Action Freak. Galfond won 310,000 euros on April 30th. I think this is his best single-day result in this challenge. I don't think he beat Venny Vitti for this amount on any day. And then 113,000 euro the following day, May 1st. That's a pretty big beatdown. They only played 2671 hands. The challenge is for more than five times that. 15,000 hands. So Action Freak, uh, he could end it at any time and just pay the side bet. Otherwise, he's on the hook for more than 12,000 more hands. They've only played 2671 hands out of 15,000, and Galfon's already up 416,000 on him. So I don't know what to say. (laughs) I don't know if Galfon's really this good, if he's just been on on a real hot streak, if there's some shenanigans on the site that uh, nobody wants to discuss or even acknowledge as possible. I don't know. I know if I were the next opponent after this, I would say, Galfond, you have a great reputation. Everyone says you're a great guy. You seem very nice. You're very good for poker. Nothing against you. But let's play on party like you're doing with Perkins. Let's play on poker stars. Anywhere else but your site. Nothing against you, but just, you know, after watching these two just get stomped on, uh, I'd like to do it somewhere else. That's what I would say if I was one of the next people up. Now, as far as the next people up, there aren't all that many. Uh, Jungle Man has not uh, officially agreed to any terms yet. He's going to do it, but and they're going to play like a mini-match or something, but 
Uh, as far as the full match, they haven't agreed to terms yet. Bill Perkins is already starting to play, but that's on party. Brandon Adams is going to play him live whenever they can play live. The plan was for this summer, but that's not going to happen. Chance Cornuth agreed to play on the site, to my knowledge, on Run It Once Poker. So Chance and maybe Jungle Man will be the only two, but I think they should reconsider. I would ask for a neutral platform in a polite way. And Phil shouldn't be offended because, like, I wouldn't be. If I was doing this challenge on my own site, I wouldn't be offended. I would not be offended at all. I wouldn't say, what? You think I'm cheating you? I'd say, yeah, I, I see why you'd want to do that. It's, it's a conflict of interest. Yeah, let's go play on a neutral site. Totally makes sense. Wouldn't be the slightest bit insulted. In fact, I would think you were a gullible fool for playing against me on my own site. I really would. Even if I knew I was not cheating you, which I would not be, by the way, but even knowing that I am not cheating you, even if I had full control of the software where I knew nobody else working for me could be rigging it in my favor, I still would say this person is a fool to trust me because I could be, and they would have no way to know. So that's the way one should look at it, especially for this type of money. It is very possible, and in fact likely, that there is nothing shady going on here. So I want people to understand that. This is not a conspiracy theory, and I'm not accusing Phil of anything. I think it's likely this is all fine, and that nothing is happening out of the ordinary, and that Phil is either just running really well, or is just so good at heads-up PLO that even after years off and the game changing a lot, that he just can't be beaten long-term. And that's possible. Yeah, he there's a lot of respect out there for his poker play, so I'm not going to say that uh, he lacks the ability. But these players have a lot of ability themselves. Uh, Venny Vitti and uh, an action freak who've been crushing online for several years now at high stakes. Now, there's a little bit more known about action freak than was about Venny Vitti. Venny Vitti was a huge mystery. Like, basically nothing was known about him other than him being in Europe. I don't even know what part of Europe he is from. Nobody knows who he is. Action Freak, nobody has his name, but uh, he has a Twitter account you can look at. A Twitter account that wasn't created for this. It has been around for eight years. And the Twitter is Crackling, and then the number one. The word Crackling and number one. C-R-A-C-K-L-I-N-G, number one. Crackling one. Created February 2012. He does not tweet all that much, but he has tweeted before, and especially since this uh, match started, he's been uh, tweeting more. But prior to all this, really all he did was retweet, and he was retweeting primarily left-wing political stuff, mostly about the U.S., even though he's in Greece. It says he's from Greece, which I believe... And he's been mostly tweeting about U.S. political matters. And from a very left-wing standpoint, he did retweet something about Greece. But most of it is about uh, U.S. political matters. And uh, he's been retweeting a lot of things bashing conservative figures, both those in conservative media, such as Ben Shapiro and, of course, Trump. Uh, Other conservative politicians just... Anything he runs into that he likes that from a left-wing perspective, uh, he 
tends to retweet without comment. He also appears to be a vegetarian. Um, so he's one of uh, I don't see. I don't know much about him. So I don't, I don't want to try to draw too many conclusions from him. But uh, I have a feeling he's one of these young, kind of guilty poker players who feels they shouldn't be, kind of feels deep down they shouldn't be making the money they're making for just playing a game. And they counter this by being very left-wing politically because they feel like at least they're standing up for the little guy. At least they're being sensitive to the plight of those who don't have what they have. And this is often what happens in Hollywood, too. This is why there's a a very, very big uh, left-wing contingent in Hollywood. And uh, that's why you see this a lot of, among a lot of uh, poker players who are very successful. And uh, some are more outspoken than others. But Action Freak seems to be one of them, except he's not really being outspoken himself. He's mainly just retweeting outspoken stuff he runs into. And uh, as I said, he's not even in the U.S. He is in Greece. So that's that's all I know about him. I don't know how old he is. Though I do know he's been on Twitter for eight years, but that doesn't say much. He could have been on since he was a teenager. So maybe we'll learn more one day. So that's what's going on so far. And uh, I assume it's not going to go very well for Action Freak. Maybe he'll come back and win. Maybe the comeback will be the other way this time, and Action Freak will come back and crush him. But right now it just looks looks like Phil can't do anything wrong. Like when was the last time Phil had a, like a real big beatdown? Like, has he had any since the since he came back from that break? Where I, I've seen it where he's been way ahead and chunked most of that off in the same session, but have, has there been, like, a terrible session he's had since he's come back from the break? I don't think so. So that's where that stands. I, I didn't think I would be talking about this subject in this way back in uh, February when I was discussing the Galphon Challenge and how badly it was going for Phil. I, I thought uh, this was going to be an epic fail and he was going to lose a ton of money and lose a ton of investor money and just everything would be going wrong. And No, <laughs> it's, uh, it's going quite well. So that's the story there. Okay, let's do a, a check on Traderuski and Vintage One before I take a break here. Are you guys going to make it past the break or uh, am I going to have to do the coronavirus material myself? I'm going to make it till the break. Well, the break's now, so that's that's it. Uh, so, what about you, Vintage One? Yeah, I think I'm dead, Jeff. That's what I thought. Vintage One, what about you? You're still awake? You even still with us at all? Uh-oh. See, he... Oh, I know we just lost him completely. He's just off. He just disappeared. Well, looks like I will be doing the coronavirus talk myself. I thank Vintage One for his... Uh, contribution to the show tonight. Thank you, Trader Ruski, as always. And uh, thank you for being here with us every week. I do appreciate your consistency. I appreciate your $40 you gave. Uh, we, we actually, I've, well, after I, I texted you about the money, see, I, I texted Trader Ruski tonight. I said, what, what, how should I pay you? I was going through, the reason I found this is I go going through old uh, unclaimed money from free rolls. And uh, I, I wasn't trying to pressure him to donate tonight or anything. I was like, okay, well, I, I had forgotten that Trader Ruski hasn't been paid. So I said, well, how should I send you your $40? And he said, donate it. I said, oh, well, thank you. And uh, then I said, that was enough to make push it for over 50 In fact, we went to 60 tonight because of that. 
And then after that, I found another $22 owed to him from uh, December. So at Trade Risky, you, you can claim some of your money. You don't have to uh, give it all away. No, but that's all right. Throw that in, too, for next week. Oh, thank There's you. There's another 22 There's another 22 from December, yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, put that in next week. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Trader Risky, for your generosity here. And, uh, you know, every week I, I can count on Trader Risky being here at this show. He's been so many consecutive shows here, even as we've moved around the schedule, even as we, we do it late. And uh, and I know he doesn't stay up as late as I do or nearly as late as I do. So I, I appreciate that very much. And uh, and thank you for being here. And uh, And we will have you on next week, as always. Okay, draft. Have a good week and be safe, everyone. Okay, you too. Shalom. Shalom. Okay, so that's the end of my co-hosts. You can call me after the break if you like. Don't call me now. I'm not going to take the call. I, I feel like I need a break. We've been doing the show for uh, five hours now, and we haven't gotten to the coronavirus stuff yet. So it's going to be a long show again. And uh, I need to take a break. need to rest my voice a little bit. And I'm going to play my usual Eric Benzamokin ad, who tried to offer money tonight, which I refused for the moment. Though next week, if we don't have enough money for the free roll, I probably won't refuse. <laughs> but uh, definitely, if you need any of these services mentioned in the ad, or even things not mentioned in the ad, you should definitely email him. And uh, he will respond to you. And I appreciate that. He listens to every show, by the way. He takes some days to get it done, as many of you do. But he listens to every show. Some people have turned this into like a daily show. I've done so much material, they can listen to more than an hour a day. And it can be a daily show. Like, including weekends. Like, you can really listen to more than one hour per day, every day, including weekends. And you will have new material. Until the next show comes. So some people have been doing that. And that's fine. That's also kind of sobering to me that I'm doing the equivalent of a full week with no break daily show for over an hour every week. And you know, when it's become radio day, it actually does eat up a lot of the day. Because uh, it's not just the eight plus hours I'm doing the show. I also have to take time to prepare for the show, which requires learning about the topics I'm going to talk about. I, I don't just come on and talk about things I don't know about. And, and, and also searching for things to talk about. It's, it, it's just, just land in my lap. I, I have to find what is worthy to discuss out here every week. And I edit the show at the end so it, it doesn't sound terrible. And I, uh, you know, I have to eat and sleep too. So I really don't do very much on the day of the show other than do this show. So anyway, we're going to take a break here. And we will come back, do all the coronavirus stuff, then finish off with the Bart Hansen topic. So stay tuned. I will be right back. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money, 
or if they think you owe them money. He's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally. And he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar. And he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Always remember that you can text me anytime, 775-FRAUD55, that's 775-372-8355. Text me before, after, or during the show. Just mention that you don't want me to read the text on the air. At the the very beginning of the text, if you want to make sure I don't read it on the air. Otherwise, I might. Here's a text from the 702. This person wrote, Good evening, Todd Hope. All is well. I have something to add about the FBI and federal officers in general. I live in Las Vegas and have worked closely with many federal agencies when I owned co-location centers in Las Vegas. The takedowns thing is dead on about leaving stuff up. This is referring to Kevin Davis's story about how the FBI told him not to have Google take down any of the videos on YouTube that were threatening him. Uh, Google is a bitch about giving deleted data to anyone other than themselves. Also, my ex is a federal law enforcement officer, which is how we found where Christopher Mitchell lived. I won't say which agency it is, as uh, it's a small one, and there are very few officers with her agency, even overall in Vegas, and even smaller uh, who are female and single, LOL. My ex works 60-plus hours a week, and she's only able to work about 20% of the cases she's assigned. She used to be at another agency, postal inspector, but don't mention it, and she said it was far worse with the other agency. When I owned the data centers and colo facilities, we had four officers assigned, all for fraud, child, violence, and other online violators in the Texas area on the federal side. You would be floored to know how many data centers are in Texas. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Um, my point about it, and I think maybe Kevin Davis's point about it, was... That uh, why does it have to stay up on Google? Now, maybe there's some legality I don't know about, but my belief would be once a federal agent 
saw the video and then could capture the video for themselves and enter it into evidence, it wouldn't have to remain up there. That uh, I don't think that uh, the defendant could ever claim that uh, this was not taken from YouTube. I mean, obviously the guy recorded the video himself, so he, he put it up there. Like, I can't see that ever being a legal argument made in defense of, oh, I didn't do this video. I didn't post it up there. Like, it, it should be pretty clear. And, the, and they could go through some sort of uh, procedure to where they would be able to prove that what they are saving came from YouTube on that date even with witnesses or whatever. So I don't see why it would have to remain up there until they arrest the person. It, uh, I, I could see where they'd instruct him, hey, don't make sure he doesn't take it down until we uh, give you the okay. That would make sense. But just don't have them remove it doesn't make any sense. Maybe they tried to say that and weren't clear about it. By the way, speaking of the Kevin Davis interview, I got a text just now from the 516. Kevin Davis' interview went about as well as I could have expected. Amazing how much of an archetype we can create just from knowing uh, Phil's opponent. Uh, he's a Greek vegetarian that seems to be a big fan of liberal policies. Now he's referring to the thing about uh, about uh, Action Freak, which Greece has not done a, a great job pr- proving to work out too well. He's got to be kicking himself for not asking a neutral for, for a neutral field with Galfond. Wouldn't be surprised if he does... Uh, mid-challenge. Great show. Thanks for the content. Oh, that's from Jeff Dime. Okay. Yeah, uh, as I was saying, I thought maybe Action Freak was going to ask out of the Run It Once uh, play before they even began, after seeing what happened to Vanny Vitti. That's what I would have done. But maybe he will consider it now. Jeff Dime is the one who brought the whole story of Christopher Mitchell to us in the first place. Uh, This is from uh, 702. Can you ask him why he's being a bully to Christopher Mitchell? No one will go on air to, to even say they almost bought it because it's not true. Kevin hasn't persuaded anyone, just a big hater. I, I hope that's a joke. This is someone who's texted me before. And uh, I, I don't know how you could say that. Um, actually, it's a new. It's someone who's, who's texted me as of uh, two weeks ago, so they are kind of a new listener. Yeah, they had texted me actually on Friday, and they were, they were criticizing Kevin. But look, whatever you think of Kevin, I, I want to tell this person. Everything Kevin says is right on regarding Christopher Mitchell. Like I, I haven't watched any of Christopher uh, of, of Kevin's videos and thought, "Wow, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think this is correct. I think he's being unfair to Christopher." Like uh, never once. The the only thing I initially didn't agree with was about the money, the fifty thousand he flashes at the beginning. I was saying, "No, no, I think he probably does have that fifty thousand. It may not be his. It may be borrowed, but." I think it's a real 50000 but but since then I've come around to thinking, no, there's a good chance it is fake. I'm not quite as convinced as Kevin is about it, but I, I have come around more to Kevin's way of thinking. But that was the only thing that I didn't fully agree with Kevin about in all of his videos about Christopher Mitchell. So even if you don't like Kevin's tactics or 
the language he uses in his videos or whatever, um, the message he's putting out is correct, and the points he's making are correct, and he hasn't been unfair towards uh, Christopher Mitchell at all. In fact, uh, a lot of times he'll put out exactly what I'm thinking as I watch Christopher Mitchell's video. Like I'll I'll watch the Christopher I'll watch the Christopher video. And I'll think, oh, wow, I wonder if Kevin's going to mention this because I noticed this and that flaw. And then sure enough, that's out there. And when I say flaws, I mean like obvious lies or things that don't make sense or things that contradict previous videos or just statements he makes which can't be true. I I think he has made it pretty clear. If you watch all those videos and still trust Christopher Mitchell, then something's wrong with you. Then you're you're trying not to believe the videos. Regardless of what you think of Kevin himself, you, you can hate Kevin and, and, and think he's a piece of crap. That doesn't mean he's wrong about Christopher Mitchell. And by the way, I'm not saying he's a piece of crap. I'm saying that even if you think that, that doesn't mean he's wrong. And in fact, I've had situations before in my life where someone I don't like says something derogatory about another person and... I will still consider maybe they're right. Just because you don't like someone doesn't mean that they're wrong. That doesn't mean they're always wrong. It just means that you don't like them. And I have had it before where I agree with things that are said by people I don't like, sometimes about people I do like. Sometimes I'll go, crap, you know, I, I'll think to myself, I don't want to say anything publicly, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with this guy who I really dislike about someone I, I kind of do like. That'll happen. It doesn't mean that people you dislike have to always be wrong. So I, I don't understand that criticism. If you'd like to explain it further, you can. But you say, why is he being a bully to Christopher Mitchell? Um, I don't think he's being a bully. I think he's just confronting him very aggressively about lies and what appears to be an obvious scam. You can't, you can't be a bully that way. I, I've been accused of being a bully before, like, uh, even when, back when I chatted in chat rooms, I would call out some fake account, and people would say, why are you bullying that person? i go, I'm not bullying them. I, I think they're a liar. I think they're not who they, they're, they're claiming to be. I don't even think the gender they're claiming to be is correct. That's not, a, that's not bullying. That's, that's calling out someone I think is being dishonest. So calling out the truth, and I don't mean, like, the insulting truth, like, uh, Oh, you're fat, or you're ugly, like that. That that's bullying. But I mean, the truth about somebody's actions—that they're being dishonest. Calling that out is never ever bullying. Calling out the truth is never bullying. Even if you are saying unpleasant things about the person while you're calling them out, it's still not bullying if you are calling them out for actual dishonest and reprehensible behavior. Even if you throw in while you're doing it derogatory statements about them. It's still not bullying. Bullying is just when you pick on someone for no good reason because you're getting an enjoyment out of picking on them when they haven't done anything wrong. You pick on someone the way they look. You pick on someone for their sexual preference. You pick on someone um, for, for some mannerisms they have. But they haven't done anything to deserve it. They just are different. That's bullying. But if there's a scammer who also has attributes about him that you can pick on, that's a different story. As long as the person really is a scammer. If you're falsely accusing him of scamming, that's, then it is bullying again. But if you, if you are legitimately accusing someone of wrongdoing and also mentioning unflattering things about them personally, that's not bullying. 
And that's something we have to be aware of in these times where there's a, a very strong... Uh, there, there's been a lot of attempts to stop bullying in general in the schools, online. And some of that's fine. Some of that's good. But you have to make sure you don't go too far and interfere with people who are rightfully calling out those that have done wrong. You don't want to ever stop that. You don't want to ever prevent discussion of people who are misrepresenting themselves or ripping others off. That should always be open for discussion, even if it includes some derogatory terms. But you're welcome to come on and discuss this with me. This person in 702. I don't know if you're texting me from a real number or from just some fake 702 number. If you really are a new listener and you enjoy this show, I'm happy you found it. I know we don't have to agree on everything, but I just can't understand how, hearing everything you heard, that you're still thinking that this is bullying against Christopher Mitchell. It's not. And believe me, I wouldn't have had Kevin on here if all he could do was talk about... uh, Christopher Mitchell was in gay porn and, and is bald or whatever. Like I, I, I wouldn't put him on to say things like that if, if Christopher hadn't done anything wrong. I, I put him on here because I believe Christopher Mitchell is ripping people off with a gambling system that doesn't work, and he charges them to learn about the system. And I think he knows what he's doing, and I think that's wrong. I think people should be aware of it, and I think the story is interesting. That's, that's why I'm putting it out here. That's why I'm having Kevin Davis on this show. <laughs> 516 said, uh, I think the 702 texter may be his wife, Stacy. You know, that that may not be wrong. Because the, uh, the person who was texting me, they said they listened starting two weeks ago, which is when I started talking about Christopher Mitchell. And, uh, and they seem kind of pro-Christopher and anti-Kevin without, like, directly saying it. And, you know, it is kind of a female writing style. Maybe now I'm just kind of working myself into believing this, but, like, like reading this, I can kind of now see, like, a female writing this. And there there are different writing styles between the genders. It's, It's not something you can totally be sure of. There are women who write more like men and men who write more like women, but... You get to kind of notice it, especially if you spent as much time online as I have for over the past 30 years. Yeah, it might be a female. I'm, I'm curious about this person now. <laughs> if it is Stacy, I'd love for her to come on here and explain her story. I've been curious about her. Like, I'm, I'm so curious if she is aware of what's going on, if she really knows that Christopher isn't being honest about all this stuff and just doesn't mind as long as they have a roof over their heads or or if she's been bamboozled into believing it. Like, I, I really wonder what she really thinks. Not that she'd tell me, but I wonder that too. But seriously, I, I will treat Christopher Mitchell very fairly if he comes on here. I'm not going to be insulting. I will give him every chance that he wants to talk. I will keep... Uh, Kevin Davis and other people off the phone. I I can just make it me and him so there's no other people who can call in and give him a hard time. I I will allow this. And Vintage One even offered that if he can convince the forum that more than 50% that he's legit and the system's legit that uh, he'll put 
Christopher Mitchell's logo on the refrigerator of a major Hollywood show, which, which he will. He has the power to do it. I, I know what Vintage One does, and he actually does have the power to do that. So uh, that's a great offer if it's legitimate. Uh, he wasn't joking about this. So, yeah, whoever the 702 texture that's been bashing Kevin Davis, uh, please let me know further why you're having such a hard time being convinced of this. I, I think I laid out a pretty clear case of it. And as you can tell, I'm not a hater. I'm not someone who's just uh, trying to go after him because I'm jealous or I hate him or anything like that. It's not, it's, I never do it like that. I do tons of these. Over, over the last eight-plus years, I've, I've covered so many different people accused of scamming or unethical behavior. Christopher's is one of so many. And I, I don't take any personal interest in these stories unless they personally affect me. Some will be more interesting to me to cover than others, but not. Uh, it's nothing that I think about a lot or is very important to me. It's just another one of these to cover. And that's, that's the way I'm treating this. And I, I want to be fair. I want to be fair to everybody. I really, I'm not just saying this. I, I really want to be fair to everybody. I want transparency. I want anyone who wants to come on and defend themselves to do so. If they're nervous about being on the radio, they can post on the forum. They can craft a response on the forum that uh, takes them a while to think about what they want to say, collect their thoughts, whatever. To respond anywhere, I will leave it up. And I will direct people to go read your response on the next show. I, I'm trying to give the other side as much chance as they want to respond to this. Because I always want the truth to come out. Not one side's truth, but the actual truth. Now, if the actual truth is that you're a scammer and you're tricking people and ripping them off, then there's not much you can do. Because uh, if that's the truth, it's going to be hard for you to dodge it, and I, I will see through that. But I will always give you a chance to explain yourself. And as much of where I can make up my mind in one direction in these types of situations, if I hear something compelling from the other side, I can change my mind. I can and I have before. I'll give you an example. This wasn't about scams, but when the Jacqueline Moscow thing first happened, I, I had a very different impression of her and her accusations than at the end. It went from thinking this girl's crazy and this stuff couldn't be true and there's a bunch of holes in the story and this sounds just nuts and I think this is some attempt to extort Poker Night in America to, okay, I I, I think this was actually a misunderstanding. That was where I landed on it when I was all done. I actually moved my opinion to say I, I think that both sides uh, did some things wrong here and that uh, what she's claiming happened did happen, but uh, that Nolan didn't see it that way as it was happening and that he didn't mean any harm, but he did do some things he probably shouldn't have done. And, uh, and then it kind of just escalated way past where it should have that everyone should have been more reasonable the whole way. And that's what my impression was of it. And I, and I walked away from the, that whole thing after a while, it took a while, but after the whole thing was done, I walked away thinking, you know what? I, I always liked Nolan. I still like Nolan. And I like Jacqueline, actually. I actually like her too. After I got to know her. And, and it was actually possible to like them both and actually possible to believe that uh, neither were bad people that both just kind of got into a misunderstanding, which kept escalating. And that's what I really thought happened. This is one of the few cases where it really is just a misunderstanding. That's what I really think occurred when that was all done. And I, I could have easily gone 
with my original belief on that, especially because I, I have friends who would have been very happy if that's the conclusion I came to, because they were close to Nolan, and they would have been very happy if I just believed that uh, Jacqueline was a crazy woman who's completely full of crap. But after looking into the whole thing, I said, you know what? I don't think either side's bad here. And that evolved. That wasn't what I thought at first. I'll admit my initial impression of it was wrong. So maybe my initial impression of Christopher is wrong. I don't think it is, but it could be. I'm open to be convinced of this because I'm not emotionally attached to any conclusion here. I, I've never given Christopher Mitchell a dollar. I never will. I was never considering it. So I was not victimized in any way, nor was anybody close to me. So believe me, I have no emotional attachment to this. So for this person from 702 listening, even if you think Kevin Davis is an obsessed hater, whatever you think of him, I'm sure listening to me, you can tell that I'm just approaching this from a logical standpoint. And that's all I wanted to do with this and everything else I discuss on the show. Okay, so thank you for your text. You guys can feel free to text me anytime. If you're listening to the archives, you want to say something before you forget it, go ahead and text me. It doesn't matter what time of night or day it is. You can text me anytime, 775-372-8355. Okay, let's talk about the coronavirus. So uh, I was going through the stats of the coronavirus the other day. And I found something that I kind of knew, but I, I got to learn better from actually really digging into the death stats for each state in the U.S. And it really made me understand more that the problem's far worse in some areas than others. And you may say, oh, yeah, well, that's news. Yeah, we know about it. We know New York and New Jersey are terrible. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying here. I've said that for a while. It's that it's not just those two. It's that most of the deaths, and when I say most, I don't just mean 50%. I mean like 75%. I'm just estimating here. Are in the top 10 problem states and territories. I say territories is one of them, D.C. So considering the 52 states and major territories, meaning the 50 states plus Puerto Rico and D.C., 36 of the 52 do not have that bad of a problem. 36 of the 52 are actually comparable to some of the best countries in the world as far as the deaths per 1 million of the coronavirus. The reason I'm going by deaths is because that's the only reliable metric right now. We can't say cases because the testing has really not been done anywhere extensively. Really not anywhere. So forget tests right now. Forget cases. That's unimportant. Until we have the real information, it's unimportant. Deaths are deaths. Now, there's ways those can be wrong too because they can be miscounted. In fact, I, I found that one death near me was actually a drug addiction death where the person was also COVID-19 positive, so they counted it as a COVID death, which is BS because they weren't even asserting that because of COVID he overdosed. Just he overdosed and he happened to be COVID positive, so they, they have to classify it a COVID death, which is crap. Like they, they have to stop things like that. Now, yes, I know it's canceled out by some who died early on to this and were not properly classified as COVID deaths, 
So it might still be undercounted, the deaths, but it, it could be overcounted because of things like that. I don't know. I'm kind of believing it kind of cancels each other out, and we've got a rough estimate of, of actual deaths. So anyway, getting back to my point, 16 of the 52 major states and territories have been contributing to most of the problem, especially the top 10. The other 36, each of these 36, each of the other 36 states or territories have had less than 0.01% of the population die so far. Now, this is so far, but still. Fewer than 0.01% of the population in those 36 states, including California, by the way, including Texas, by the way, have died of COVID-19. That's fewer than 1 in 10,000 people. Now, of course... As more people die, that number will go up everywhere because the dead don't come back to life. But still, by, comp- by comparison, New York, I'm talking about New York State, not even New York City. The state of New York has had 0.123% of the population die, which is more than 12 times as high. And compared to some of the really lesser hit areas, their death rate is like 30 times or more of other major states. I'm not talking about tiny states where it's hard to really get a, a grip on what the, the statistics, what that really means, but like at lar- compared to large states. Like last I looked there, they had like a 27 times death rate over California. The worst 10 death rates by percentage of population, I'm saying of population of the states, not of the U.S. population. Number one, New York. That's not a surprise because they have New York City. Number two, New Jersey. Again, not a surprise because a lot of the people who live there work in New York City. Number three, Connecticut. Same reason as New Jersey. Number four, Massachusetts. Number five, Louisiana. Number six, Michigan. Number seven, D.C. Number eight, Rhode Island. Number nine, Pennsylvania. Number 10, Maryland. Now, what's a pattern you immediately see there? Every single one of these is in the eastern U.S. And most are in the northeast. Everything there is Northeast except for Michigan, D.C., and Maryland. And, and you could even maybe include D.C. and Maryland in those. And, and Pennsylvania. No, Pennsylvania counts too. They're, they're Northeast also. So really, it's a, I don't know where you draw the line for what's considered Northeast. Uh, definitely Louisiana's not. But except for Louisiana, Michigan, uh, and then maybe D.C. and Maryland. Everything else is Northeast. And the top three are all states that are part of the greater New York City area. The reason this is important is because when deciding whether we open up, we do have to consider the hard-hit areas and the not-as-hard-hit areas as to how dangerous they are. These top ten states, it's actually nine states in one territory, have... 47,851 of the 65,776 deaths as of May 1st. I know there's more deaths because now we're a day later, but as of the end of May 1st, there were almost 66,000 deaths and close to 48,000 of those were in those 10 areas, those 10 uh, states and territories. That's crazy. It's not like we're talking about all the small population states that are not in that list. Look Look who's not in that list. California is not in that list. Texas is not in that list. Illinois isn't, but they're close. They don't. They have a 
sort of bad problem, but they don't make that list. They're in the top 16, though. Uh, Florida is not. That's another high-population state. So, so you have these states that are not doing badly, and then you have those top 10 and then to some degree the top 16 that are really contributing to it. So if you take those top 10 out, the death rate goes way, way down, and it starts to look like the U.S. is actually doing pretty well as far as deaths per million people. Now, of course, you can do that with any kind of statistical situation where you you take out the the worst portions and then uh, everything looks good. You could take a student who took 10 tests in his math class, and if you take out the worst three results, he gets an A in the class. If you have the worst three results in there, he gets a C in the class. So you can't say he's an A student if you just take out those three tests because those three tests still count. So you can't just say New York doesn't count, New Jersey doesn't count, but – what you can say is that the U.S. is a big country geographically and that this is something that is different depending upon where you are. And it makes sense why it's so bad in the New York City area because of not only the close proximity, but also because of the public transportation, which still runs to this day. And I'm wondering when they're going to finally address that. It's one of the things that's been ignored the most when it shouldn't be, and that's the public transportation in New York City. That for some reason, that's just being looked over. It's just being glossed over. So that's something that uh, needs to be looked at here, is uh, do we t- have a different plan for the parts of the country that aren't as hard hit versus the ones that are? And that might be reasonable. Now, you do have the problem that people have a right to free movement, And that people, if they start seeing other states opening up, might say, well, screw this. I'm not going to stay in a state where everything's closed. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go over to one of these states where everything's open. And then they'll bring the coronavirus with them. However, as long as that's not happening in mass number, and as long as uh, the conditions which cause it to spread so badly, like the public transportation, uh, are not the situation where they're going – then it probably still won't get as bad, even if we end up importing some people from some bad-hit areas. So I, I really think that it shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all solution. I think leaving it up to each individual state is actually the right thing to do because it tends to vary so much from state to state. And I was just floored that about 75% of the deaths are all in those those top 10 states and territories. That's pretty uh, concerning. Now, I do want to remind you again, it's not just about deaths. So anyone who says this is just the flu because we have a lot of people who were never diagnosed of officially having it who didn't die, which is true. A lot of people never got tested. A lot of people had it and never had symptoms. So you add all these people in, the death rate goes way down. It's no, no longer near 1% or whatever was assumed to be the death rate. It goes way down. Maybe the death rate's actually... 0.2, maybe it's 0.3, maybe it's 0.1, but the flu death rate is 0.1, so how can we be treating this so more seriously than the flu if the death rate, even if it's double, you know, do, do we really, why why have no panic at all for the flu and this major panic for this, even if the death rate's only double? And that's a good question, but it's because the flu, because it's not just about the death, it's about the major symptoms which have no death. It's about the permanent damage that it's doing to people's lungs and other organs. 
the permanent psychological damage it's doing to people. And this can't be ignored. You can't just say, well, if you die, he didn't die, then you're okay. That's true with the flu usually. I know there's exceptions where the flu actually does damage but doesn't kill you, but for the most part, people who get the flu don't have a hellish experience and they recover and it's as if they never had it. It's just like an unpleasant thing to have that has a very small chance of killing you unless you're in one of the high-risk groups. That's what the flu is. COVID-19 is different. COVID-19, there's a decent chance, and in fact a good chance if you're over 45, that you're going to have a horrible experience with it that you'll never forget and that may do permanent damage to your lungs or other organs. So you can't just talk about deaths. It's, it's more than just deaths. But at the same time, it all goes hand in hand. And the, country, the, the states that are much harder hit should be treating this differently. And go take a look. If you go to worldometers.info slash coronavirus, you can see this. And uh, the numbers, by the way, what they consider today and yesterday, it, it updates at 5 p.m. Pacific because they're doing it by GMT. So every day at 5 p.m. Pacific is when the day ends. So when you look at yesterday's numbers, what they really mean is the previous day from 5 p.m. until 5 p.m. today. That's what uh, that's what they mean by today and yesterday. So if you if you go on at like 6 p.m. Pacific and see there's barely any deaths today, you go, oh, wow, great day. We had like two people die. Well, that's because they end the day at 5 p.m. But, but check that out, and you can click on the U.S. numbers and then see it state by state. It's, it's a very interesting thing to, to read, and it's just hard numbers. There's no editorializing or conclusions drawn. You draw your own conclusions. Okay, so now I want to get to something else, and that is about what I believe is happening. I think the government is suppressing a lot of things from us. And not, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist here. You guys know that's not me. You guys know I'm not one of these conspiracy guys. But I do believe that this whole way the government has not been telling us everything that they know or that they believe will happen going forward. Okay, And this is bothering me because this has been a disturbing trend in news even before the coronavirus started, that it has been decided that it's better for the people not to know certain things that are going to make them behave the wrong way or think the wrong way. So if something you're going to report is going to give people the wrong idea or lead them to the wrong behavior, maybe it's better not to report it at all. That That's actually the way the media has treated a lot of things prior to this I'm talking about, and in some cases the way the government will treat things. Better not to have the information if it's going to make you either not behave well or think something they don't want you to think. Simple example, um, let's say there's a story of two gay parents who do something very bad to their children, and it's a fact that it really happened. The media doesn't like reporting that. They don't like reporting there that the parents are gay. They, they try very hard not to have you read that story because they know there's going to be certain people that are going to read it and say, oh, there's the proof. That's why gay people should not be parents. That's why gay parents should not have kids. They shouldn't be allowed to adopt kids. Gay parents are terrible and evil. And, and that's exactly why it should only be heterosexual parents. Only heterosexual families should 
be allowed to have kids. There will be people who read that story and think that because they read an outlier story like that of two gay parents uh, abusing or, or hurting or killing their kids. And the media is afraid to put out that story very prominently or to make it clear that it's gay parents because they don't want certain people thinking that. So they say, let's just suppress the information or let's just suppress some of the details because we don't want certain people thinking this stuff. And I think that's terrible. I think all of the information needs to come out and then we all decide what we think of it. Each individual decides what they think of it. You can have editorial pages that uh, tell us how they think we should think about it, but they need to be clearly labeled as editorials. But they should, be, should, they should not be suppressing any news because of fear of how people are going to react to it or how it's going to make them think. Even if it will cause people to think uh, bigoted thoughts. Tough luck. That's a, you have to report the facts, and what people think is what people think. And when you get into the game of... Well, the people can't think this or they're going to start uh, believing this or believing that or they're going to behave this way we don't want. That's bad. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have national secrets. We should. We have to. But I'm talking about newsworthy items that are suppressed for the purpose of controlling the way the population thinks. That is very, very bad. And in fact, that starts to border on fascism. Shouldn't happen. So I see some of this happening regarding the coronavirus and it's bothering me it's bothering me because i think some things are being suppressed for what is perceived to be the public good now this is something where there shouldn't be any secrets this isn't like uh, stories which could cause a problem if uh, our enemies found out uh, our, our national defense secrets we're talking about a pandemic we're talking about information that the public should know the public should know all information related to the pandemic We should have every bit of information that is known so we can best adjust our lives to it and keep ourselves safe and also realize when we don't have to do certain things to keep ourselves safe, if certain things aren't a danger or if certain people aren't in danger. The problem is, I believe that, number one, the government doesn't want to alarm people and and. To some degree, the media doesn't want to alarm people. They, they don't want people going into a panic. And, and here's the different ways panic can happen. Number one, the belief there's just going to be massive, massive, massive death beyond what people are assuming. So you throw out a number like 300,000 total deaths are projected from this, and one million isn't even out of the question. If they say that, it could cause massive panic. But you know what? That's probably the truth. But what if they say that people in their 20s and even early 30s are not that likely to have very severe symptoms? That they'll feel sick. Some of them won't feel anything at all. Some will feel mild sickness. Some will feel kind of like the flu. But it won't be terrible or all that memorable for them. It's not something for them personally to really fear. Yeah, a small percentage will get really unlucky and have a bad version of it. An even smaller percentage will die. But for the average 20-something or early 30-something-year-old, it's probably going to be pretty mild. I think that's true. I think they don't want to say that. How many reports do you see of these 26-year-old healthy people who are now on a ventilator? So watch out, 26-year-olds. It can get you too. Well, yeah, they can find outliers in all cases. But I think for the average person who is an adult under 35, the danger 
of severe symptoms, and I'm, I'm talking about severe that don't even put you on a ventilator or hospitalize you. I'm talking about just severe symptoms that make it really, really terrible for you and, and then cause you permanent damage. I think the chance of that is pretty low if you're under 35. And I think they don't want to say that because if they say that, if they say, hey, everybody under 35, the chance of this really harming you or being all that bad for you is pretty low. What will everybody under 35 do? They'll say, oh, well, okay, cool. All right, well, screw social distancing. I'm going to go out. I'm going to hang out with my friends. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to be careful because I'm going to be fine. So maybe I'll get a little bit sick. No big deal. I'm not really in danger. And I'll, I'll take the chance that I'm one of those really, really, really unlucky people who doesn't have a pre-existing condition and, and has something very severe from it or die. Like I, I think that's so unlikely. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to live my normal life. And I'm not even going to try too hard to social distance or even to not spread the disease. I'm, I'm just going to live my life the way I feel like it because very little consequence to me if I get it. Ha, 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 ha. They're afraid that's the way young people are going to take it, especially because young people can be irresponsible, young people can be impulsive, and they are afraid if there's not entire buy-in from everybody in the public that they're all in massive danger, that the social distancing is not going to work. So the only way to accomplish that is to suppress the truth and make everyone feel like they are in danger. And keep in mind, I'm not one of these crazy people saying we should reopen everything and this is just the flu. I just told you the opposite. Also, I will say that I believe I am personally in danger, and I will explain this shortly, why I'm not under 35. So I I will explain shortly why I think people in my age group are in more danger than they are saying. So I think some people, the danger is being escalated by the government and media, that is for the young people. But then I think for the people who are middle-aged, the danger is being not uh, communicated as to what it really is. And I think there's a reason for that, too. So they also have to think about the economy. They also have to think about we have to open all this back up. In fact, there's talk about this right now. We've talked about that on the show. And if people who are over 45, which makes up a large portion of the population, because there's a lot of people over 45 that are alive in the U.S. right now. I'm one of them. If people over 45 who are also not elderly feel that it's going to cause a lot of damage to them, permanent damage, and leave them sicker than they've ever been, and leave them thinking at one moment that the, at some moments that they're going to die and actually possibly kill them. But even if they don't die, that they're going to have a horrendous experience they'll never forget and may traumatize them. Well, when it becomes time to open up, then you're going to have the middle-aged people going, ah, ah, ah. I do not want to get this. This sounds horrible. And when it comes time to send kids back to school, they're going to go, "Uh uh-uh, we can't send them to school if we don't have a vaccine. That sounds horrible. My kid's going to catch it there and bring it home to me and be asymptomatic. I won't even know that they had it. Then I'll get it, and I'm going to have these horrible, horrible symptoms. So they don't want people in the middle age group to fear it too much. They want you to fear it enough to stay home, but not fear it enough to return before a vaccine is available. So they can't be honest about the real danger to people who are middle-aged. And the only one we're really hearing the truth about, I think, are the elderly and those who are immunocompromised. That 
those people are really in danger because they're not just in danger of severe symptoms, they are in danger of dying and that they should stay home. So they're willing to put that out there because that's very, very important. They, they don't want the elderly going out and dying. They don't want the immunocompromised going out and dying. They don't want the elderly and immunocompromised especially go out and dying. So they're saying, hey, if you're in these vulnerable groups to death, stay home and really, really be careful. And if you're not, still stay home so we can flatten the curve and bring the numbers down and 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 be able to beat this thing. But they want to be able to tell these people to return when it's time to return. And you can't tell them that if a very large portion of the population who would be returning has to be terrified of it. So for that reason, we're not getting a lot of information. Look at what they say about what is an underlying condition. Do you know? You may say, oh, I know, like if you have existing cancer or a heart problem or asthma or uh, diabetes. Go, okay, what about high blood pressure? Is that an underlying condition? Is it? You you don't know, do you? What about people who uh, have autoimmune disorders? Are, Are they considered having an underlying condition? Keep in mind, there's a lot of people out there with autoimmune disorders. I'm not one of them. I don't have an autoimmune disorder, but... There are a lot of people who otherwise appear healthy that live their lives normally that have an autoimmune disorder and aren't either on some kind of medication for it or in some cases not. Are they considered underlying conditions? We don't know. What about people who who have a BMI of 30 or more that are technically considered obese, but you'd never look at one of them and say obese because 30 is not that high? You look at someone who's got a BMI of 30 and say they're kind of fat, but you, they, they don't look obese. They look overweight to you. They won't look obese. So what about people with a BMI of 30 or more? Is that an underlying condition? So I tried to find this, and, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find what defines an underlying condition. And I'm talking about like if people die of COVID-19. It's reported, you know, this many had underlying conditions. Okay, well, what does that mean? And we don't know, and I think it's on purpose. I think they don't want us to know this. Again, because I think that probably major underlying conditions really... Well, it's one of two things. I don't know which one it is. It's either that major underlying conditions really are the reason most people are dying, that or old age, and that if you have neither one, that uh, you're unlikely to die from this. And that they, again, want the public's buy-in with social distancing, so they don't want to admit that there aren't that many deaths of people who don't have a major underlying condition and or are very old. Or it could be something else. It could be the reverse. That It could be something like high blood pressure, which a lot of Americans have. I've read that somewhere between a quarter and a half of all Americans have it. If you take out kids, probably uh, it's probably closer to half. And uh, maybe high blood pressure is a big factor. And they don't want to scare everybody to return. Again, they, they don't want to admit that, well, it's underlying conditions, but one of them is blood pressure. And I know like tons of people have high blood pressure. So yeah, you're going to get it pretty badly if you catch COVID-19. They don't discuss the blood pressure thing. They don't say whether that counts as an underlying condition or not. I went to the CDC website. It has a warning for people with underlying conditions. And the one they list, the ones they list are ones you'd expect. Severe obesity, like over 40 BMI, uh, diabetes, asthma, cancer, totally ones you'd guess. 
They don't mention high blood pressure at all. But then I see other things that say that high blood pressure counts. This is of interest to me because, as you guys know, I have high blood pressure. So they should just be honest and open about all this stuff and forget about who's going to buy into the social distancing, who's going to be afraid to return when it's time to return and restart the economy. Just be honest with what is really going on. What are the real stats? What is the real danger? What is an underlying condition for this particular situation? Why don't we know these things months into it? Why is this being suppressed? And if you think I'm being conspiratorial and it's not being suppressed, go find me the answers to this and text it to me at 775-372-8355. You won't find it. Why has there been such little discussion of the difference between the type of symptoms you are likely to get if you're between 45 and 50 versus if you're between 30 and 35? That's not a tremendous age difference. That's like a 15-year difference in age. Neither person in this scenario is elderly. You have one that's in their early 30s. You have one that's in their late 40s like me. Why is it not being discussed how likely it is that you're going to get severe symptoms that are not going to kill you? I think it is far, far, far more likely in late middle age to get severe symptoms from this than it is in your early 30s. I don't think just a little more likely, which they'll admit. I think far more likely. I, In fact, I actually think that's where the big difference is. I think if we were to plot this on a graph, I think you'd see that the chance of getting severe symptoms, and again, severe being defined as ones that, uh, um, let's say severe non-deadly symptoms, okay? That if you plotted these on a graph, there would be almost zero for people who are kids and teenagers, then it would slowly move up into the 20s and 30s. And then when you get to about 35, you'd watch it spike. You'd watch it spike way up as every year passes past 35 through about probably 50. And then it would probably level off to where it only slowly increases. And if you were to look at deaths, that we can look at because they give you the stats on age. And you'll see that it's it, the spike happens more around uh, 60 and then a really sharp spike around 70. And up to that, it's, it's the death rate's pretty low. But death rate versus severe symptoms without death is a very different thing. Even if you want to say death versus severe t- symptoms of any type, either ones that lead to death or don't lead to death. I think the chance to have severe symptoms rockets up from 35 to 50. And then kind of stays flat. Not completely flat, but mostly flat. So I think the chance of me having the severe symptoms at age 48 and a 63-year-old, 15 years older than me, I think it's not that much different. Where I do have the big difference is I have a much lower chance of dying once I get these severe symptoms than the guy who's 63. But as far as having the severe symptoms at all, I think we're pretty close in likelihood of getting them. But if we go down 15 years the other way to 33, I think it's much, much lower than me to get severe symptoms. And I think they don't want to admit this because they don't want to scare the middle-aged people who don't want the permanent lug damage, who don't want the hellish symptoms, who don't want it getting so bad that they wonder if they're going to be the one of the ones that die. So I think that this is being suppressed on purpose. I, I think it's not a coincidence this isn't being discussed. And again, if you think this is being discussed, find it. Find it where it's being discussed the severe symptoms by age group 
that don't require hospitalization. And how likely it is to get this in your early 30s versus, say, late 40s. And then how likely it is at late 40s versus early 60s. I still have not spoken to one person over 45 years old who has had COVID-19 and hasn't had an absolutely horrendous experience with it. Not one. Not one person said to me, yeah, it's kind of like the flu wasn't that bad. Not one. I've spoken to plenty of people under 35 who've told me that. Including Drawing Dead, who most recently got it. The last he said, he just has a no taste and uh, he's got some fatigue. That's it so far for him. May get worse, but that's all he's got so far. Another member of our site, Sloppy Joe, he said he definitely had it, but uh, it was pretty mild for him. Wasn't pleasant, wasn't fun, but wasn't all that terrible. So there's been others I've spoken to. There's been others I've just observed on Twitter who are in the poker community. I forget who they were, but... So many people, I mean, David Doc Sands is one of them, who, who just had it kind of mildly. They had it, but they had it kind of mildly. Even Elkie, who's 39, is, is, has very mild, he's actually asymptomatic. He's as mild as you can get. Now, I know he's not under 35, but he's not far from it. How come I, I don't know anybody over 45 in the whole poker community or any community I'm part of? How come not one person over 45 has said they've had it and they, it wasn't that bad? You think I, I've just, I just, have this curse where anyone I know has really bad luck with it? Or you think it's uh, maybe there's something to this, that people in uh, late middle age and above are probably going to get pretty severe symptoms. Just most of them aren't going to be hospitalized. Most of them will get over it after just a, a terrible two to three weeks. And it'll damage their lungs. So I think when the truth comes out, it's going to be found that there's those two curves. There's the the curve for severe symptoms, which rapidly rises after 35 and kind of slows down a lot around 50. And then there's the death curve, which we already know, which increases rapidly after 60 and then really rapidly after 70. And those are two different curves. That's going to be two totally different things when you die and when you have terrible symptoms that damage you. But you don't die. And this is why I have been putting out so much effort to keep coronavirus out of this house. Because if, if it comes in the house, then then, then everyone, will, everyone will probably gets it. But that is why I, I have tried so hard to keep uh, any visits to, you know, no visits to stores, no visits to anything. The, the only visit I've made is to the vet. Because I got a 15-year-old dog who has uh, a need to go to the vet. I hate doing also, but uh, that's the, the only thing I've done. Because I want to avoid this until there's either a vaccine or a treatment. Maybe a long time, maybe a pain in the ass, but I don't want this from everything I've heard of it. If I was 33, totally different attitude I would have about this. But why are they suppressing this information? They should have it available by this point. And when I say they... I don't necessarily mean Donald Trump, though he's part of it. I don't necessarily mean the Republicans, though they're part of it. I don't necessarily mean the Democrats, but they're part of it. I don't necessarily mean the media, but they're part of it. I really believe that there's kind of a, a, a with all the disagreement about there's this kind of agreement like these are, these are things we just shouldn't say. No, notice that the mainstream media, even 
in the very negative coverage of Trump and Republicans trying to reopen the economy, what they don't want to say is that they think 300,000 people are going to die. How come we're not hearing that? How come we're not hearing about projected deaths of this whole thing? Uh, Whether we open or don't open, how how come we're just not hearing about like an eye-popping number of projected deaths? I, I think this is just something they don't want to say. I think they don't want to create panic. I think they don't want to destroy people, social distancing, uh, and, and and tell the young people the truth, that they're not that vulnerable. So th- these are uh, things that are concerning me. I'd like if just everything's put out there and we draw our own conclusions. And then we can also get appropriate uh, public reaction to whatever our politicians want to do, then we can see if what our politicians want to do is insane or if it's correct or somewhere in between. And you know what? Reopening the economy, it might be about the younger people who are less uh, likely to uh, have major issues from it, for them to return, for them to go to these jobs, for them to take the risks because the risk is not very high with them. And the people who are middle-aged and older to stay away. That, that might be some of the strategy. For example, you're looking at the casinos. Well, I'm not saying ban people who are older than 35 from coming in, but maybe start marketing to younger people. And uh, um, if younger people could understand that they're not that likely to have severe symptoms, then it's not that bad for them to come back. Now, I know there's the argument if they get it, then they're going to spread it around. But at, at some point, we have to open the economy and we have to do it with the right information and, and the correct information and do it in a sensible manner, which can only be done if it's really understood what's going on. And you can say, well, maybe the leaders will just make these decisions without really disclosing these things to us at this time. That's not good. The public should know what's coming into these decisions being made. I, I'm so unhappy with the suppression of information. I was already unhappy with it before the coronavirus, but at least it was stuff that didn't really affect my life that much. It was just stuff I found annoying. Uh, Now it does affect my life. Why why can't I find out how much more in danger I am of having severe symptoms than someone who's 15 years younger than me? Why can't I find that out? Why can't I find out whether high blood pressure is considered an underlying condition? If I died tomorrow of COVID-19, would that be in the underlying condition column or the healthy column? I don't know. I really don't know. So if I'm wrong, give me the answers to these questions. I'd be happy to be wrong here because I want to know. It's bothering me because I actually want to know and I I can't figure it out and I can't find it. Now, before I move on to the next coronavirus topic, there's also the matter of the projected deaths and I've made a few references to that already. I don't know why they're talking about models with 74,000 deaths. They said this uh, a few days ago when we were at around 61,000. And I'm going, are you insane? 74,000 deaths total for the entire time that we have the coronavirus in this country? When we're at 61 already with a steady 2,000 dying a day? Where are you getting 74? How, How does that make any sense? That was being reported. Very few were questioning it. Even like Ben Shapiro, who I've been watching a lot more of recently, and I'll tell you why I've been watching a lot more of Ben Shapiro. Uh, I used to not like him. 
not really from anything he said, but his, his broadcast presence kind of annoyed me, but I got used to it. And then I decided, I decided, yeah, he does a pretty good show. But uh, one thing I like about watching him is he really just tells it like it is and, and will criticize response to the coronavirus and, and information about the coronavirus and plans for the coronavirus, even if it's coming from the Republicans, even though he's a conservative. Uh, he will bash the Republicans on this and not from the right. He'll actually bash Republicans uh, like you know, from the center. And, uh, of course, he'll, he'll bash the left and more happily do so. But, but I do see him criticizing everything. And I respect that because I feel the same way. But even he has not called into question the death numbers. I heard him quoting the 74,000 and saying nothing about it. And this is a really, really smart guy. And I'm like, how is Ben Shapiro not even seeing this? 74,000 is absurd. We're getting 2,000 a day. And somehow we're still stuck at the, at the 74,000 death model. How come we're not hearing anyone say 300,000? That's what I think it's going to be. How come we're not? I think 300,000 is the proper guess at the moment. And a million is not unreasonable to believe might happen. I'm not predicting a million, but if a million happened, I won't be shocked. I'd be far more shocked at 100,000 total deaths than a million. Let me say that. We're already up to 67-something, so we're not that far from 100. We're still getting 2K a day dying. It doesn't seem to be going down. We've been doing social distancing a while. I think some of it's the mistake they're making in New York, but still, I think this is going to last a long time. I think 300,000 is the number we're going to be looking at. And more if they end up counting people who die of it long-term because of uh, lung damage they get from this that kills them you know, 10, 20 years from now which we won't know until that happens a long time from now, but that's something to consider too. But even ignoring that, I think 300,000 is the right number for the information we have at the moment, with a million being something not surprising. Why aren't we hearing that? Why Why even from the left who wants everything to be just locked down and the government, government just keeps supporting us, even though the ones making that absurd argument, how come they don't say that? Why are we not hearing about the death rate and what we really should expect to die at this point? Because I, we should have a much better idea at this point than we did a few months ago. And I said 300,000 a while ago. Then I actually kind of got talked into this by the media to believing that, that that was a crazy estimate. And now I'm back to 300,000. And, and no one else is saying it. So it's not that I want to be right, but I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to be right. But wh- why are we getting... Estimates of 74,000. So what, how could anyone sane say that when we're at 67, 8 right now and, and it's 2K a day? How can they say 74,000 total? How do we still have people saying that we're going to be down to zero deaths on June 1st when we still have 2,000 on May 2nd? Anyone? Why aren't we getting the truth about that? Why, why are the models so bad? Why is the are the people doing these models morons? Did they not graduate statistics one hundred and one, or is is there some agenda? Here? I don't know. It's weird. How about the mask thing? Oh, don't wear masks. Don't wear masks. Masks don't help you. Masks may hurt you. Masks masks are not good. It's only for healthcare workers. Don't wear them. Don't wear them. Don't wear them. Mistake. 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 Then oh, actually, we need to have masks. I'll take this call in a second, but I know that's you mumbles, but hang on a okay. second. So, so, yeah, yeah. so, so I, I'm like, 
for so long it's suppressed about the masks that, that we're told that, that uh, we shouldn't be getting them. Then finally they admit it. Okay, yeah, you should wear masks. And yeah, we didn't tell you that before because we needed them for the healthcare workers. So we, we told a lie, but it was an important lie. And I go, oh my God, that's terrible. I, I, knew, I knew it when it was happening, but I go, oh, but this is terrible that they're doing this. And, and I'm afraid that's what's going on with everything else. And we just need to know the truth. So go ahead and tell me what, what you'd like to say. Yeah, I guess my question to you, just give me a, keep talking for a minute. I got to get inside my truck for Why? <laughs> okay. So you were outside your truck, so now you're climbing in? Yeah, I'm just walking. I'm walking back in from, from inside. Okay. Got a little bit of insomnia, and I wake up, and I hear the show still going on. I figured, oh, my God, what's going on? Oh, so you were sleeping. You, you were you were trying to sleep in your truck, and then you you woke up, and you saw the show still going? Yeah, I slept about five or six hours, and I woke up, and I'm like, okay, time to hit the loo. And uh, the show's still going? Yeah, yeah. It's still going. All right, so so what, what do you want to say? Um, I would like for you to clarify which media sources are you're talking about when you say. What about they're this? not projecting a lot of deaths. Oh, I, all of them. I haven't heard any. I, there may be a few real fringe ones that are saying otherwise, but I, every media support source I've seen from both the left and the right, even though it benefits the left for some of the points they're trying to make, I, I have seen. I have not seen any of them discuss seventy-four thousand is absurd. We, we're probably looking at three hundred thousand. I have. I've looked at. The, I've looked at them saying if we if we return to a reopening, we may have hundreds of thousands. I haven't looked at anyone saying no matter what we do at this point. We're probably getting three hundred thousand. I haven't seen anyone say that yet. Why not? Okay, the reason I the reason I say this is because I remember a month or so ago when Trump was giving a press conference and he actually mentioned an estimate of one hundred to two hundred fifty thousand deaths. Yeah. <laughs> but that went away. Well, they reduced it went it. away from who? What, what happened was they were bas- basing this on some estimate. And then not too long after that, it was widely reported, good news, the models that we were using p- to predict deaths didn't take the social distancing into account. And since we're all doing such a great job social distancing, the new mod- modified expected deaths is around 60,000 and, and probably at worst uh, 120, but we're looking at probably 60. Well, we, we're already past 60. Okay, now. because I remember re- hearing that absent social distancing, the deaths could be as high as you know, could be as high as it could be as high as a million. Yeah, I, right. That, but that was a long time ago. See, that this is all changing very quickly. And 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 after we started the social distancing and we did it for a little bit, then it's like, okay, great job, everybody. We're probably looking at sixty thousand, maybe eighty thousand. That that's what we saw. And then and and then, uh, but but the sixty thousand was the standing estimate to where it was actually a news story about a week ago, less than a week ago, that they've revised the estimate from sixty to seventy four. And I go, what? Okay, now now the question I have to ask you is this. There is not one sort of uniform pool of epidemiologists who are in a room and then issue a prediction. So using the word they to update to some lower number is very vague and mysterious. If you're talking about a particular organization, like an arm of the government... Yeah, no, there was, there was one... There was one 
uh, estimate one that I, I don't know. I forgot which one it was. There's been a number of them named. I forget one of them that they've been trusting the most that that named it uh, that that they're the ones claiming the 74 right now. But forget them. Take it's not like they say 74 and someone else says 300. You're not seeing any of them say 300 now. You're not seeing any of them say close to 300. I don't know why. But but we're not getting that from anyone, and it, it defies common sense, especially now that we see the death rate the way it is, that it's not slowing down at the moment. I don't think it's going to be 2,000 for all of eternity every day, but I think we're going to be sitting for – we've been sitting for almost a month at, at, at 2,000 a day. I, I think it's time to assume that it's not uh, – the deaths aren't flattening at the rate they thought they would, and that – and not only that, we haven't seen – real significant progress to where a breakthrough is right around the corner. There's been some stories of possibilities, but but it's something where I don't think we're believing it's likely that on July 1st there's going to be a game-changing breakthrough that we can all uh, say, wow, we're, we're almost past this. Uh, so given that this is going to stay relatively the same for, for months now, I don't see how they can't see uh, a massive increase in deaths over what they were predicting and and we can see with the level of social distancing we've been doing it hasn't been going down and, and we're, now we're going to reopen things to make it happen further I, I think it's just all insane and defies common sense and I don't understand it they're not explaining the, the thought behind this and I'm not seeing this questioned enough and, and, and I'm not seeing the questions asked of the, the questions I just brought up here how come nobody else I, I, I can find is asking these specific questions uh and the few that are don't have enough influence to get an answer out of those who could give it. And and I think it's intentionally being suppressed in what is being deemed as the public's own good. I don't think it's a, a nasty conspiracy to do harm. I think it's a, 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 a suppression for the public's own good for, for various reasons, like I stated. That's that's what I think is happening here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess something that I am sort of, maybe seeing from the way you're reacting to this like lately is I do agree that a lot of the details about what kind of underlying symptoms, you know, are like, uh, you know, most likely to lead to severe, you know, illness or death. That stuff is just not being widely disseminated by the popular press. Now it may be in the, scientific literature or studies well, I but it, find it's it. not getting out to like you know the stuff that's just broadcast I, you know, I, for, I, for public consumption i wasn't looking for main main broadcast media though i was looking at everything and and i couldn't find it in my searches and that's why i'm serious i'm not being sarcastic like show me if i'm wrong i'm i'm serious show yeah. me if you have this information because i want to see it i want to know it and and no i i, I don't I'm, i don't i don't have that information but i i, I think part of the problem is you know, if there is somebody studying this thing, the last thing these scientists want to do in terms of their reputations is to come out and say, hey, it's this. It's this particular set of symptoms. Give me the Nobel Prize. They're not going to want to jump the gun in making a definitive statement about that. Well, I think you have and a point. I think you have a point that... that and it's, it... and it's going to be only speculation. So if the, at the current time to avoid making fools out of themselves in their colleagues' eyes, they're just going to say underlying symptoms to the popular press who are interviewing them. Yeah, that and so many other you know, things. I'm, yeah, I, th- I think you have a point. Unless you have some... access to the scientific journals, you know, the working papers and stuff, you know, yeah, I, I think, in the dark. I, I think some people don't want to put things out because they don't want their name attached to something that ends up very wrong. Uh, so right. yeah, I, I think there's that too. I think there's also the government, like the thing with the masks, where they just decide for the public good, we're going to tell a lie. And I'm afraid there's a lot of that going on, and it bothers me. I've always been very 
pro putting it all out there. This is even why before all this happened, I would actually uh, sometimes watch uh, left wing videos and read left wing uh, political articles just so I could see if I wasn't missing anything of something, especially if I started if I'd read a story on a right wing site and say, you know what, I think there may be some details missing. I want to see if the, what the other side has to say. And so I, I always want to see all the information and, and here we're not getting it. And, and forget the politics of right. the whole thing. I, th- I think I, I I, I don't see one political side doing this. I see there's a lot of questions that should be asked here, and neither side's asking it, and, and even those who are not terribly political are not asking it, at least not those who have a lot of influence or power. So, like, I can ask this on here, but it's not going to make any impact on the U.S. This is a, a, a small show. So uh, that's it, it's very bothersome to me. And, and uh, so i got to move on to other topics, but th- thanks for the call. No, well, I do, I, do wanna, I, I do want to say one thing before I go. I, re- I what I really hear in your voice is you're very concerned that you could get really damaged from getting this thing and it would affect the quality of your life going forward for some significant period of time. And I understand that concern. Well, and, yes, um, that's, that's my I'm personal hope, concern. I'm hoping that regardless of whether they can give us information on it or not, that you can find some way to kind of chill a little and, well, I, I you know, can't. Just kind of relax a bit. I, I can't, know? unfortunately. This is. I just. I want to know. I, I want to know what I'm really dealing with here, and I can't. And yes, yeah. Of course, of course, the a concern of how this affects me. Yes, that's that's the strongest uh, driving force that's that's bothering me about this. But I would be calling this out and unhappy about it, even if this was stuff that wasn't affecting me. Even if I was 30 years old. I would be unhappy about this. In fact, I'd also be unhappy if I was 30. if I was 30. I'd also be pissed because they're not letting me. Uh, uh, decide for myself what my own danger is and, and, and trying to exaggerate it because, I th- again, I think that people under 35 have little danger and they're just worried about them spreading it, so they're trying to trick them. And I think that's crappy too. And that, of course, doesn't affect me. I'll never be under 35 again. So that's that's something else. I just I just don't like the way this this the data about this and the information about this is being handled. And I, I just – I've never been one of the government should have no secrets guys, but I, I am the – uh, anything newsworthy that the public should know should always be brought out, and it shouldn't. You shouldn't try to guess how the public's going to react to it, as to whether or not you put it out there. So, so that's uh, uh, that's what I have to say about that. And, and thanks for the call. All right, man. Thank you. Well. I hung up on him a bit prematurely, but that's okay. He got his message out. Yeah, and I, I know I sound stressed about this, and I am, and. Uh, this hasn't brought back like my old psychological problems from a year and a half ago, in case you're worried about that. But what very well might is if I get it. Especially not knowing what I'm going to be facing. And I, I can never know for sure what I'm going to be facing, but I, I would love to know. Even if it's bad news, tell me the bad news. Tell me that tell me, hey, yeah, if you're you're at the age where you're you're highly likely to have uh, major symptoms, but they probably won't kill you. Okay, then I know. Then I can adjust what I do according to that. Now, I know there's some things they just don't know yet, like how many people are asymptomatic. But go based on what you know so far. I mean, just, it's pissing me off. And that's uh, a, a lot of things about this are pissing me off from a lot of different sides. Let me say that. And uh, I, I see a lot of stupid things happening. And uh, I hate the political... The politicizing of this, 
I hate the suppression of information and the lying. I just want the truth. I know we're getting more truth here than they are in China, but that doesn't mean we're getting the truth. Okay, moving on here. I'll try to be a little less pissed as we continue this. I want to talk about, uh, I already referenced to it, before, made reference before, but I, I want to f- finish up about the, the Great Age Divide. I, I just want to reiterate what I was saying there. I, I think I'll not make a whole topic out of this one because it's after three in the morning and two because I, I pretty much said what I need to say about it. But yeah, I, I really think 45 is kind of a major, a magic number for likely to have major symptoms. That doesn't mean you're going to be much more vulnerable on your 45th birthday, whereas you weren't the day before. But I mean that uh, that's kind of the point where you, you can really believe that your chance of getting major symptoms from this uh, is pretty high. And that between 40 and 45, it's kind of uh, middle high. And before 40, between 35 and 40, it's kind of middle low. And below below 45, it's low. That's what I think. That's just my impression. Maybe wrong, but that's my impression. And and that matters because it's not just about death. It's not just about death. You, it, there's quality of life. There's quality of life now, quality of life going forward. Uh, there's the traumatic experience you can have if this is as bad as it has been for some people I know. So it's not just about if you die at the end. It's not just about that. When I had my psychological issues a year and a half ago, I knew I wasn't going to die from it. I knew it wasn't going to kill me. Didn't make me feel any better. I had no quality of life. So it's there's a big quality of life issue that one has to consider. And by the way, there's also a quality of life issue to not reopening things and leaving everything shut down and making everyone be hermits in their house. There is a quality of life issue to that too, especially if it's more than just very short term, and that has to be considered as well. So by the way, with all this panic about uh, if you're over 45, you might be screwed if you get it. Even with that said, I'm not in the camp that we should just not open everything up. Well, no, I am in the camp on that, but I'm not in the camp that we should continue the way we are. I think there does need to be uh, a slow and careful opening of what makes sense and see how it goes. With, of course, uh, those who are uh, concerned about what's going to happen to them uh, staying home and not being part of all that. I want to talk about the vaccine situation because that's that has gotten discussion recently and some of it has some of it's been positive and some of it has been negative. Okay, so. The vaccine, uh, good news, is that in the UK, they are, uh, they're, they're doing some kind of uh, study on a vaccine along with a, a Chinese firm, and they are doing this on uh, macaque monkeys, and apparently they gave this vaccine, which already existed in a different form for another coronavirus, so they're already kind of ahead of the curve with that. They gave this vaccine to the monkeys and then injected them with a high amount of uh, of COVID-19, and all of them recovered quickly. Like, they didn't really show noticeable symptoms of it. So the body fought it off very quickly and very well. Now, these are monkeys, not people, but uh, that is a good sign. There's a lot more to learn, and this was just six monkeys, by the way. This was not like a thousand monkeys, so... Number one, it's only monkeys. And number two, 
it's uh, only six monkeys. But uh, it's promising in that way. And they are already ahead of the curve with the development, as I said, because it's an existing vaccine that they already had for another coronavirus and they were able to adapt so that uh, not only cut down the development time, it can cut some of the testing time because this was already deemed safe. A similar version of it was already uh, deemed safe previously for, for when it was used before. So uh, so the, there's a belief that possibly they could get this fully tested and approved by September which would be amazing because vaccines have never come out this fast. I think the fastest vaccine they've ever had for anything is like four years. So can you imagine if they do this in fewer than one year? That'd be crazy. It's a good kind of crazy. So there's that as the promising news with the vaccine. Now, there's a matter of distribution. Just because they have it doesn't mean that they'll have... uh, 330 million doses of it to distribute in September and even the government admits that that is not going to happen and that what uh, would happen is they would distribute it between September and uh, they'd hope they can get uh, most Americans by the end of the year which I still think is probably not realistic and I'm guessing if this were to happen and it was ready in September I think they would first give it to the most vulnerable and then go down from there and I actually think the last ones to get it would probably be kids because they need it the least. When I was talking about this with Benjamin, he said, I bet I'm going to be last, which he might not be wrong. He's nine. So he's, he's really in like uh, probably the very best age as far as lack of vulnerability to the coronavirus. So it really could be like like kids from uh, five to ten get it last. That's, that's the order I would do it. But uh, this is uh, Sinovac Biotech which uh, actually, I'm not sure where it is. It's it's a privately held Beijing-based company, but then I heard something about the UK, so I, I think this might be a, a cooperative. But uh, anyway, it, it doesn't matter where it is. It, uh, But yeah, they gave this, uh, as I said, to six monkeys, and they found that they all controlled the infection. They said the results give us a lot of confidence the vaccine will work in humans. So we will see. I, I've heard so many times about promising treatments that go nowhere. I mean, I remember on Facebook seven years ago, someone posted a, an article about an Israeli company that has uh, found what looks like the cure for cancer. So how's that going seven years later? <laughs> I over the years I've read about so many miracle treatments and and cures. I've I've read about so many of these things that are so promising at first and then just don't happen. So I, I tend not to trust any of these things until they really look like they're making progress and really look like it's going to be reality. So we will see. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is that there are some who believe the other side that we're never going to have a vaccine or we won't have one for four years because that's been the fastest they've ever developed one. So that we're going to have to just learn to live with this without a vaccine for years to come and maybe by the time they can develop one, this will this will be a moot point anyway. It'll be gone or mostly gone. So that a vaccine 
may either never come or take a very, very long time, way more than the 18-month projection. And furthermore, that even if there is a vaccine, that it may not be that effective, or that year after year we have to keep developing new ones because the old ones won't work anymore, which means you'll be vulnerable again until you take the new vaccine, and then maybe some years it won't work that great. Kind of like the flu. The flu vaccine, one criticism of it for a long time is that you can still get the flu because of the mutations. You can still get the flu. And some people it just isn't effective with. I didn't worry about this too much because I was not someone in a risk category for the flu. I was not even getting a flu shot except in 2010 when my son Benjamin was about to be born. It was important for me not to have the flu because I can kill babies. So I got it in 2010 and that was it. I never got it again. By the time uh, the next flu season came around, he was already one. And uh, at that point, he was actually much less vulnerable. And uh, I got one flu shot ever in my life in 2010. And the truth is, I hardly get the flu. I get a lot of colds, hardly get the flu. And when I've had it, it wasn't terrible. It was unpleasant. But it was never like something super memorable that I dread ever having to go through again. But I knew that the flu vaccine was not even fully effective, so I'm like, screw it, I, I don't want to bother. I wasn't in a vulnerable age group, and I, I just don't want to bother. I also had shingles in 2010, of which I somewhat blamed vaccines. And I don't want to sound like an anti-vaxxer, because I'm not. I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all. But... Uh, I had just gotten over a cold. You're not supposed to take any vaccines when you have a cold. You're supposed to wait for the cold to resolve. So the cold had just resolved, and I was out of time. I had to, I had to quickly take these vaccines because the baby was coming soon. And I, I, so I got the flu shot, and I got a uh, DPT booster. I had a bad reaction to the DPT booster. I had a very, very painful arm, way more than it usually is, like a terribly painful arm for about a week. And then I developed shingles on the day Benjamin was born, two and a half weeks later. And uh, I actually found some discussions online of people, mostly pregnant women, because they would take it and then uh, they got the they would get the shot and then found it. They had shingles. But I found a lot of people talking about two to three weeks after they got the DPT shot, they got shingles. Never medically... Uh, researched, so I can't prove it, but I, I really think that shot did it, especially with my bad reaction to it. But the flu shot could have been part of it, because I got that too. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> I don't feel like it's necessary. If I get the flu now, I get the flu. When I get old, I'll start taking the flu, vaccation, the flu vaccine, but I, I'm not old enough yet. Now, obviously, the coronavirus vaccine is a different story. As soon as, soon as that is available and safe, I, and I can get it, I will get it. No question. If I have to get it every year, I will get it, because this I do not want. This I am afraid of, as you can tell. But who knows? It's it's not something you can count on yet. You can't count on a vaccine being here in 2020. You can't count on a vaccine being here in 2021. You can't count on it being here in 2022 or 2023. And you also can't count on there being no vaccine all that time. It's really all still up in the air, and anyone who says otherwise doesn't know what they're talking about. So there's good vaccine news, bad vaccine news. We don't know yet. 
but prepare for the worst that we just don't have it. All right. So moving to the next uh, topic we have on our agenda, another coronavirus topic. I want to talk about the remdesivir treatment because uh, there's been some news about that. And it's supposed to be good news, but I don't think it's that good. It's, it's, fu- it's funny when you get good news and you go, oh, that's the good news? Never mind, that's not very good news. <laughs> It'd be like uh, after I play the World Series of Poker and uh, I play some 1500 event there in this alternate universe where I can still play the World Series of Poker. And and then uh, someone – so then I tell someone my results – and someone else asks that person, and they go, how'd Todd do? And they go, great news, he did great! And they go, wow, did he win another bracelet? No. Did he make the final table? No. What did he do? Well, he min-cashed. Well, how's that great news? <laughs> like, min-cashing's fine, it's, it's better than not cashing, but that's not anything to be excited about. Well, similarly, with Remdesivir, some news came out that is good, but by no means great. This is made by a Gilead Sciences. We've heard about it for a while. It's been touted for a long time as a possible COVID-19 treatment. And they put out some news that was that sounded pretty good. That uh, it went from 15 days to 11 days as the average recovery time. This is their own study, by the way. So take that with a grain of salt, though some are saying they wouldn't lie in their own study because it just has to be uh, restudied independently to get approval this way. So like, it's not going to be validated until it's independently studied. So who cares if they, like it's, it's unlikely they're going to make this up, which, which that part I'll agree with. But they say that uh, in a study of more than a thousand hospitalized patients, that those receiving remdesivir averaged 11 uh, day recovery time. And those who got a placebo 15 day recovery time showing that this cut down the recovery time from eleven from 15 days to 11. Okay, good. You know, like if I had it, I'd much rather suffer through it for 11 days instead of 15. If every day seems like it's a month to you because of how terrible the day is with how you're feeling and uh, you're getting better four days early, yeah, that's good. I'm happy to take that if that will do that for me if I have uh, COVID-19 and I have... Uh, uh, severe symptoms, but is this a game changer? No. So it, it, this did not significantly reduce fatality rates and time to recovery. Like, what does that really mean? So you, you get better four days faster. Okay. But that doesn't mean you can use it to stop the symptoms from getting bad. That doesn't mean you can use it to stop the symptoms from killing you. It just means if you're going to recover, on average, it's going to be 11 days instead of 15 days. Good, but not great. Game changer, no, not even close. The game changer treatment would be either one that stops it from getting to the point that it puts people on ventilators, where it can get severe, but uh, but not to ventilator point. That would be game changer number one. Game changer number two, which would be even better, is if you took it early that it could prevent it from getting severe, even if it's not severe to the point of hospitalization. The, the thing I'm afraid of. If you could just take the remdesivir 
or whatever treatment works for that. And then you, you could expect that the symptoms aren't going to be terrible. That would be a major, major game changer. That's not what this does. Even the company that makes remdesivir is not claiming that's what it does. They're saying, yeah, you, if, if you're going to get better, it's going to be in 11 days instead of 15 on average. So that's, that's not to, anything to be that excited about. That's not something we say, okay, good, we got a treatment. No, we don't. We have a minor treatment that reduces recovery time. That's it. That is it. So, so beware of that. And be, it's very clear that right now we do not have a reliable treatment. Nothing. There is not one thing you can do if you are destined to have severe symptoms then it's probably going to happen. If you're destined to be on a ventilator, it's probably going to happen. If you're destined to die, it's probably going to happen. There hasn't been anything that has been found to reliably stop any of those three things. And that's a problem. We're, we're really not much closer on that right now than we were a few months ago. And that's what's making me feel kind of pessimistic right now. We're not, it's not like they said, hey, we found this treatment. It, it's making everyone recover and the symptoms never get severe, but we haven't tested it enough yet. We're not sure. That would be encouraging. That would be you can't take this yet. We can't uh, uh, we can't give this to you, but maybe soon we can. And it's very promising. After after we do more study, we'll let you know for sure. We're not seeing that with anything. Not hydrochloroquine. Not remdesivir. Nothing. So that's why you should just avoid getting this. If you think this is going to be a big problem for you. So I wanted to clear that up about the remdesivir and the supposed breakthrough from the study they did. It's not a breakthrough. Okay, so now this part is weird. I'll tell you, the year 2020 is so strange. Imagine on January 1st, if I told you a few things. Number one, one of Los Angeles' greatest strengths is the fact that it has very bad public transportation. You'd say, you're insane. And I'd say, okay, how about this one? It is most healthy to be a shut-in and to not see anyone that's your friend or your family, even your immediate family, unless they already live with you. Don't see anybody outside your house. The healthiest thing you can do is stay in your house like a shut-in. What would you say to that? You'd say, again, you're crazy. What if I said that smoking is healthy for you? You'd say, come on, that's been studied for decades. You're crazy. Well, smoking isn't healthy for you, but there's something weird that was found involving smoking and COVID-19. Now, initially, they had said that Smoking is one of these pre-existing conditions that if you're a smoker, you have a a much higher chance of dying of COVID-19 because uh, it's it affects your lungs, and that's the last thing you want with uh, an illness that affects your lungs. But something weird has been found among smokers that people who are heavy smokers seem to be suffering from severe symptoms of COVID-19 much less than those who don't smoke.
This is from a recently published study out of France saying that uh, daily smokers accounted for 4.4 to 5.3 of all COVID infections that they diagnosed. Now, keep in mind, the people who are being tested and they're diagnosed are the ones coming in to be tested because they think they have it. So uh, people who are – they're not just randomly testing people. So these are really people who have pretty severe symptoms most likely who are coming in to be tested. So only 4.4 to 5.3% of the people who were tested positive of COVID-19 in France – were smokers, whereas they have a 25.4% smoking rate in France. It's not like the U.S. where smoking has gone out of style because of health per, uh, health, condi- uh, health concerns. Like uh, smoking every year is decreasing in the U.S., and that's good, I think, but uh, not for the coronavirus apparently because in France they haven't stopped smoking. They have more than a quarter of the population smoking every day, and somehow only – of them have been testing positive for COVID-19. And uh, now they did say that with severe illness, there was an increase in proportion of smokers. It wasn't 5% with severe illness, but 5% of those coming in to get tested and that tested positive were smokers. And remember, people are only coming in to get tested if if they think they haven't. So there's a question. How could this be? How could this be that uh, with a quarter of the country smoking that only uh, one in 20 are testing – that test positive are daily smokers? So there is some belief that smoking results in an increased production of nitric oxide within the nas- nasal passages and that nitric oxide cleans and filters air prior to it being pulled down into the lungs. Basically, uh, the smoking, your body is responding. Your, your body's not understanding that you're smoking voluntarily. So the body's saying, oh, look at the smoke coming in. Well, I, we, we better filter more coming into the lungs so you're, that, you're, that you have more of this uh, nitric oxide in the nasal passages to help uh, stop the smoke from coming in. And that uh, there's a theory that the extra nitric oxide is blocking COVID-19 from entering the cells and also preventing the virus to replicate even once it's inside the cells. Now, it has been acknowledged that probably once the infection ensues that uh, the effects on the body from smoking all that time could actually make it worse for you as far as it getting bad, but there's a belief that uh, you originally have a lot more protection against uh, getting the virus if you're a daily smoker than if you're not. Now, this hasn't been proven yet, but this is what one study out of France is saying. So imagine if that's true. Imagine if smoking is actually prote- protecting you from having the symptom for having the virus being able to really infect your whole body that you can catch it but it's gonna, it's going to never going to get anywhere because the nitric oxide is going to clean it and it it can't replicate enough to to infect your body so that is pretty interesting i'm not suggesting you go out and start smoking but they've been saying the whole time Oh, if you smoke, you're really in trouble. Well, maybe not. <laughs> That's maybe it's actually preventing you from 
really getting the disease at all. So they are still looking into this, if this is correct. It's possible that uh, this is incorrect, and if anyone starts smoking to prevent COVID-19, they could get a rude surprise that they've developed a smoking habit and it turns out it doesn't protect you. Or it could turn out that even if it does protect you, that the, that the damage the smoking causes still makes it not worth it. But still, that would be rather interesting. So what if they find out it's true? Then what do you do? Do you start smoking? Like if you knew this really brings down your chance of, of getting the coronavirus by a factor of five, uh, would you start smoking every day? Even if you have no desire to smoke? I don't know. I, I don't know if I could bring myself to do it. If I knew that smoking would completely stop it, where I just I wouldn't get the coronavirus at all, I would try to start smoking every day with the plan to quit as hard as it is. I know it's addictive, but with the plan that as soon as this is passed to quit. But I know it's not easy to do, but I think that's what I would do if I knew this would completely stop it. But one study out of France isn't convincing enough. And there's just, I just, even if it wasn't for the different ailments you can get from smoking, that's the other problem is you can bring on other problems that are definite, definite real problems from smoking, such as uh, cancer, heart disease, emphysema. These are all real dangers of smoking. Now, smoking short term, probably not. Like if I were to smoke for a year, I think I wouldn't really have much long-term damage. The problem is starting for a year and stopping and never starting again. It's not easy. But if you're a smoker, that's one thing that maybe you can be happy about. Uh, You can say, well, I've made a mistake all these years smoking, but I happen to be getting one benefit from it. Similar to Los Angeles never developing any kind of real public transportation. Oh, look, we actually did something good by doing something bad. <laughs> not ex- I'm not suggesting any change in behavior, though. Just mentioning it to you. Well, here's a change of behavior that you might be forced into. You might be forced into becoming a vegetarian soon. There might be a meat shortage soon in the United States because these meatpacking plants have been ravaged by the coronavirus and a lot of people can't continue to work. This is no longer just an if, but more of a matter of when and how severe the uh, coronavirus has hit these meat packing plants very badly. A lot of people have been out with coronavirus and cannot work. They cannot simply replace them with other workers because it's a skilled job. You can't just pull people off the street and say, okay, your turn to work now. Uh, no matter how well you pay people, they just don't have the skills. So they just can't operate some of these and or, or they have to really lower capacity. And yet there's still a lot of meat being consumed in the United States. And soon you're going to have a difficult time buying it. It's not clear how severe this is going to be. It's possible you will be able to get meat. It's just going to be a lot more expensive. But it's also possible you're going to have a hard time getting much meat at all. Right now, the prediction is you will be able to get meat, but it's going to be expensive and it'll be much less variety. And uh, what's expected to be hard hit is pork and ground beef. You're going to have a hard time getting both of those because those are both very popular products. So bacon, ground beef, uh, anything like that that a lot of Americans consume – 
uh, you're going to have a hard time getting it, and when you can get it, it's going to be very expensive. Uh, this is expected to hit within the next one to two weeks, so it's coming soon. And some people are already getting chest freezers to buy and freeze meat in anticipation not only of the current shortage, but perhaps of a worsening shortage going forward, that they're going to buy all the meat they can and put it in the freezer so they're not forced to become vegetarians. When this all first started, I already had the experience of, of being into a of being a forced vegetarian because we simply couldn't find meat anywhere because it was being hoarded, not because of a shortage, but because people were just uh, irrationally grabbing a lot of things. And then people started grabbing because everyone else was grabbing. Uh, so the toilet paper, is, of course, is very well known. The bottled water was happening for a while, but that has stopped. I've actually been able to buy bottled water at any quantity now at regular stores. That's that, that's people. I never understood the bottled water. The toilet paper totally made sense. The toilet paper, you don't want to be without toilet paper, and if everyone else is buying it, you've got to buy it. So you can't even just say, oh, "I'm not going to be part of the hoarding." You have to be part of the hoarding, otherwise you're going to have no toilet paper. Because if you're not hoarding, you go out to buy it; it's not there. But the bottled water, I didn't understand because that's not a necessity; that's a luxury. You may like to have it, but it's it's not a necessity. It's not something like, oh my God, what will I do with that bottle of water? Okay, well, you drink from the tap, which is clean, or drink other beverages, which are not water. But but even if you just want water, the, the, the tap is fine. So I don't understand uh, why the panic about bottled water. In fact, bottled water was not even that common back in the 80s. Hardly anyone drank bottled water back then. So uh, that's, that's more of a newer phenomenon in the last uh, 20 years. So that that's cooled down, the bottled water part of it. And, and the meat part had cooled down too, where people weren't hoarding the meat so much anymore. You, you could once again get meat fairly easy, easily in the store. Not quite what it was before, but you, you could still get it and there's a wide variety. But now we've got a different challenge here of the meat shortage, which is well publicized. And I'm afraid the hoarding is going to start all over again on top of the existing shortage. So that's why people are buying these uh, these chest freezers. And they're they're looking to freeze as much meat as they can. Now, as crazy as that sounds, it's actually not crazy. And this is something that must be understood about hoarding. Don't feel guilty doing it. Do not feel now. Do not hoard for profit. Do not hoard and then try to sell the stuff and gouge people. That's that's a dick thing to do. But if you are hoarding, so you can just feed your own family and have enough because others are hoarding. Then that's a very valid response. You, as I just said before, with the toilet paper, you can't just take the attitude of "Oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be part of this. I'm not going to be stupid. I will buy it as I need it." While these others are hoarding, well, then when you need it, it just won't be there. So if others are hoarding, you have to hoard too, and no, your individual behavior will change nothing. You could convince all of your friends and family to not hoard, and it wouldn't make even the tiniest impact on the problem. So. Don't bother. Just uh, if you feel the need to hoard, do it within reason. This is one case where you might as well think of yourself because you're not going to affect anything by yourself. And the argument of, well, what if everyone did this doesn't matter because everyone is doing it and you stopping it is not going to change everyone doing it. You're not going to influence anybody. So it really is just going to be you if you stop. So you might as well not stop. So just be reasonable. If, if, if you see that something is coming up that you need a lot of, get it. Don't 
get into this high-minded thing. I'm not going to hoard. I don't want to cause the problem. You're not going to cause the problem. Soon the problem is going to be there, and then you're not going to be able to get it. And you're going to feel like a fool. So make sure to think of your own supplies and what you need, and then be reasonable. And do what you need to do. Hopefully the meat shortage doesn't last very long because I, I know when I went without meat for about two weeks, uh, I hated it. <laughs> I was going, you know, I'm getting by, I'm eating. Uh, oddly, I wasn't losing weight. I don't know how that wasn't happening, but uh, like I was eating less, but I, I just, I wasn't eating very high calorie things. I wasn't losing weight. Now I'm losing weight. Some, somehow it was like a delay. My body was fighting the weight loss at first, which happens. But then it finally is, is, is kicked in. And now I'm actually putting an effort into it. That's that's something else, by the way. I just want to mention personally. I have actually been on a diet. While everybody else is gaining weight during this pandemic, I am losing weight. Because uh, a change in diet that involuntarily occurred here because of unavailable th- unavailability of things and I, can't, I don't go out for fast food anymore. And there's just some dietary changes that just got brought on by this and at first, I got frustrated that I wasn't losing weight when I thought I should be. Stopped weighing myself. Then I weighed myself. and I'm like, oh, wow, look, I've lost some weight. So I've decided to push it along further by being careful what I eat late at night and really not eat much outside of meals. And in fact, I really only have one big meal of the day. And then I have no other meals. And I have very small snacks. And I try just not to eat unless I feel like I really have to. It's hard, trust me. But I have been losing weight. When this uh, lockdown started, I was 231 pounds. I am now 220 pounds. And I'm trying to go down to the high 200s, 209, 208, something like that. Not high 200s, like 290, but like 208, 209. I'd like to get back to 200, but I don't, I don't think I can. I've seen from previous weight loss attempts that my body seems to fight it around 210. It really tries to fight not going under 210. And in 2013, I tried and I tried. I could not get it under 208. I tried and tried and tried. And my body just wouldn't go under 208. So I finally just said, screw it. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm motivated to do this actually by the coronavirus because of the studies that obesity affects how badly it gets you. And while I'm not obese, I do need to lose some weight. So I said, okay, well, it's healthy to lose it anyway. And if I can bring down the effects of the coronavirus by dropping this weight, that's motivation. So whenever I just want to pig out late at night, which happens, believe me, you you don't know how much I wish I could eat late at night. I would go crazy if I could. Like if I... If I knew I could just eat with no consequence, you've seen me on Life of the Bike. Like I would, I would just, I would really, really be eating a lot. But uh, I am controlling myself very much, and I'm going to continue. I've got the coronavirus motivating me, so I, I, I it's not going to drop the weight it was at the rate it was when I was having the anxiety problems a year and a half ago and, and I had a, an artificially high metabolism making that happen. But uh, I don't want it to drop at that rate because it's not healthy to lose weight at that rate. But yeah, I, I, I could drop like two pounds a week now consistently. 
I'll be happy with that. Then about uh, six weeks, I'll be where I want to be. So anyway, that's that's what's going on with me personally. And uh, as far as the meat shortage, I guess that might help a little bit. <laughs> now we're getting meat again. And it, boy, did it feel good to eat meat after after I couldn't eat for two and a half weeks. I think the first thing I got was a Costco chicken. And uh, boy, that chicken tasted good. Better than it ever tasted before because I that was the first meat I had in like two weeks. But now I've been eating meat again, so I'm used to it again. And it's going to suck to give it up. I, I can get by, but I know I'm going to miss it. I see. I, it's funny, like the the vegans and the vegetarians, like they make all the points about how the animals don't get treated well. There's a lot of cruelty involved, and I go, yeah, yeah, you're actually kind of right. Like a, a lot of the points you guys are raising are true. Some of the stuff you're saying is not true. Some of it's exaggerated, and if you say that to them, they go crazy. So I try not to say it much, but there is some exaggeration and some things that are being said that. It's not really accurate, but a lot of what they're saying is accurate. And and I do think about the animals sometimes and feel bad. And uh, I know me eating meat individually doesn't really mean very much. If if I stopped eating meat, it would really have no impact on the meat industry or on these animals that are being slaughtered. But there is such a thing of just saying, I'm going to take a moral stand. I'm not going to be part of it. And I've considered that. I have before. I've considered it. But I'm just such a meat lover and my body just wants to eat meat so badly I can't help it. So I continue. And I, I say, look, I I kind of understand this. And I see some of your points and some of it I can't even argue with, but it's just very hard for me to stop eating meat. And if if a really convincing substitute and I know they're making progress with this. If a really convincing substitute came out which tasted just like meat that wasn't meat, I would totally do it. Even if it was more money, I'd totally do it. And I think I've told the vegetarians and the vegans this and they get pissed off, but I say, you know, I know you guys think your activism is going to change the world, but it's not. You're being tuned out by almost everybody. What's going to change is technology. What's going to change is eventually meat-like products can be produced that taste the same that do not require killing animals and do not require uh, it, it actually be cheaper to do and easier and won't involve slaughtering animals and society will shift to that and then eventually everyone will look back on this time and think we were barbaric to eat animals and that's it's going to be that that's going to be the solution it's not going to be everyone deciding that you're right and we just shouldn't do it and they get very mad when I say that but that's the truth that, that's the way it's going to end that's the way we're going to stop eating animals and, it, you know, it, it's very possible in like 50 years, no one's going to be eating animals anymore. It's very possible it'll be that type of stuff. I think 50 is a bit too soon, maybe 100. I don't think it'll be allowed, alive to see when that day comes. But I think Benjamin might. Okay, last coronavirus topic and second to last topic overall. I want to talk about the cruise industry and why you may not be on a cruise for a very long time. So I've been thinking a lot about the cruise industry for a few reasons. First of all, I've taken a lot of cruises in my life. In fact, I was taking one every year from 2013 to 2017. 
I didn't go in 2018 only because of my psychological problems. And in 2019, I just kind of didn't do it. In 2020, you know why I'm not doing it. I actually like cruising. It's got its flaws, but I've developed workarounds to those in my experience that I've gained from doing so. I've always said that cruising is what you make of it and what you understand of it. And that sounds trite, but it's the truth that you need to understand what a cruise is, what a cruise isn't, what it's going to bring you, what it's not going to bring you, what the advantages are, what the disadvantages are, what the smart things to do and what the dumb things are to do. And if you don't understand all that stuff when you go into a cruise, you're going to waste a lot of money and not have a very good time. If you know exactly what to expect and know how to use it best to your advantage for your own needs, then you will have a good time and won't spend much money. So it's all about how you do it. And I've tried to explain this to people, but a lot of times it falls on deaf ears. So overall, I like cruising. I'd like to go on a cruise again at some point. Not anytime soon, but I'd like to go on one at some point. And it's disappointing that this has happened to the industry. But there are some big problems. So I'm, I've am i been observing it just being a frequent cruiser and having an interest in the industry. I've been observing this as a potential investor who might want to either short cruise line stock or buy it at bargain prices. I think right now it's going to be the former. At first, I, my, my plan at first was just to let it fall like really low and then buy it with the intention to hold it for a long time and then sell it when the industry recovers. But from observing things, I, I'm changing my mind. I'm thinking to wait for, uh, it may have already happened. It actually popped like, for example, Norwegian Cruise Line, which got as low as 8 at one point from 60, uh, got back to 17 this past week. And now is like at 14, I think is where it closed on Friday. But something like that, uh, shorted at that point, because I, I've uh, I've come to some conclusions that aren't very good about the future of cruising. So first of all, the cruise lines are, are basically acknowledging that they can only last for a matter of months before they're going to go under, that they can't just have no cruises go and be okay, and that they can't just wait like 18 months before going again. So the idea that they can just wait for a vaccine and start up again, that's not realistic. They're not going to be able to last that long, and cruise lines are going to start to fail. The problem is it's one of the most dangerous things to do as far as catching the coronavirus, both from the standpoint of infectious diseases going around on these cruise ships very easily, and that's been known for years. And the fact that once they're going around, there's a very tough situation as far as handling them. And that's what I've thought more about this week. And when I came to the conclusion that we probably won't be cruising for a long time, because there is a problem that's not being discussed that much. It's, it's been discussed a little bit, but not as much as it should be. A problem with cruising that this has exposed that we hadn't thought about before. So the thing we haven't thought about before is what if the entire ship gets sick and what if it's very serious? What if it's more than just something that, that will uh, resolve itself after a few days? What can they do? Because they have a small medical ward on there. They, they can't have a giant hospital on the cruise ship able to accommodate a large number of passengers. They just don't have room for it. It's not practical. So, and, and since a lot of people will get the same illness on a cruise, especially one very contagious like the coronavirus, 
So what happens if that occurs, if a serious and dangerous illness goes around on the ship and most people on board get it? What can they do with like one doctor on board, two nurses and a very small medical facility with, with, with very little equipment? What can they do? Well, this has been thought of before. And the conclusion has always been, if this occurs, go to the nearest port and that port will accept the patients and treat them in a land-based hospital. So all we have to do is get back to a port and it'll be fine. And that has been what they have been banking on all this time, what they can do if something like this occurs. But guess what they learned in 2020? That does not work. Why? Because if you have an infectious, dangerous disease on board, the ports do not want you because then you're going to infect their citizens and bring this uh, disease onto land. And they don't want this. So they turn the ship away. And you go to the next port and get turned away. You go to the next short port and get turned away. Well, soon enough, you can't go anywhere. The ship is stuck on the ocean and has to float, 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 float for possibly months until they can finally get accepted somewhere. You can't even count on the home country of most of the passengers, such as the U.S., to accept these ships because it's not even just all Americans on the board. On board, there are foreigners on board, and that complicates things. They, they may not want to take on the foreign passengers that will bring additional disease into the country. So this went on where American ports did not want to take these ships. Foreign ports did not want to take these ships. Some of these ships were stuck around the world for a very long time. I'm not even sure if they're all back yet. And they're stuck floating, 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 floating. And the worst thing is that the people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. They're not on ventilators. They're not being treated in hospitals. They're stuck for the most part in their rooms, promised the doctor's going to come see them. And the doctor never shows up. And even when he does, there's not much he can do. Imagine the feeling of being trapped like that, that you can't get off the ship. You're actually stuck there. You can't get off. You're told to stay in your room. You're being quarantined in your room. And you're getting no medical treatment. And they don't have the capacity to treat you. They don't have the ability to treat you. And you know you're dying. And no one will take you. And you can't get off. And you're just stuck. Imagine that. That was the reality in 2020 on these ships. And it affected the crew, affected the passengers. And no one thought of this before. Everyone just thought, hey, we'll go to a port. The port will accept you and they'll treat you. Uh Uh-uh. They don't want to take the infection onto land. So what's the solution? Is there one? It's a solution they're going to have to come up with, which right now there really has been no progress in doing so. This is complicated by the fact that these ships are flagged to very small countries that treat them favorably from a tax standpoint. None of them are U.S. flagged. None of them are flagged to any first world country. So you can't even say they have to go where they're flagged. Like, for example, Norwegians flagged in the Bahamas. The Bahamas told them, we're not going to take you. We don't have the capacity to do it. We don't, we can't take that many people here. We're a small island. We can't take on, uh, thousands of coronavirus patients. We can't, sorry, not doing it. Goodbye. That, that's what they were told now, not even like 
in the past or a few months ago, they were told this now going forward. Like, if you think you're going to start up again and bring all the patients here, if they get the coronavirus, think again. You're not. So far, there is no solution to this, and there is no easy way to do it. Even if you say, okay, well, maybe these ships just have to start U.S. flagging if they want to serve the U.S. market, and same with every other market that maybe they have to flag in, in uh, first world markets where they, most of their passengers come from. Still, what do they do about the foreign passengers? Do they, will the U.S. take on the responsibility of taking on foreign passengers? That, let's, let's say it only is foreign passengers with the disease. Let's, uh, let's say a new infectious disease that's very dangerous shows up on one of these ships. But the only people with the disease so far are ones who are not American. Will they take these people on land or will they say, no, screw that. We're not bringing this into our country. Or might they even say, sorry, we can't take you in. We can't risk the health of the entire country just to save you guys. Uh, tough luck. Is it possible that these ships just will never be accepted next time this happens? If the disease is not thought of being here yet. When these ships were accepted in the U.S. is after the coronavirus had spread around the U.S. already. But what if it hadn't? Who would take these ships? Who would take passengers onto their land and into their hospitals for an infectious disease that has not plagued the country yet? Especially after everything everyone would have gone through with the coronavirus. I could see these ships just not being taken and everyone would be left to die. This isn't just a concern that you should have as a cruiser. This is something the whole industry has to solve before they will go again. Why? Well, because the cruise lines want to start again before the coronavirus is gone. So when they start again, they are going to have to have some kind of protocol of what do we do if we have another coronavirus outbreak? Now, the good news is they're not going to be bringing anything new anywhere because the coronavirus is everywhere in the world now. But the bad news is that you still have to treat these people. You still have to find a place that will treat them. And which ports will be willing to take them? And that has to be solved. And you can't just say the U.S. because the U.S. then would have to commit to taking the foreign passengers too. And they may not want that. I'm not saying there won't eventually be a solution. I'm saying this is a tough thing to solve, which has not been hashed out yet. And it has to be hashed out because, I believe me, the government is not going to allow cruising to start again when there's a situation where ships can just be stuck for weeks or months with everyone on board sick and can't get treatment. There's no way. There's no way this will be something that's allowed. There has to be a protocol in place for when the next infection breakout occurs. The other problem is an infection breakout is likely and probably will happen. They may have to shut down the industry again even if they start. Now, Trader Ruski suggested maybe they should have COVID-19 cruises only <laughs> where you have to prove you've had it already or have the antibodies to be able to get on board. You may have to show some kind of positive antibody test. And that may be what they have to do. The problem is it's mostly old people who cruise. 
It's not all old people, but a lot of them are old. And a lot of them that have had it don't survive. <laughs> See, And a lot of them that haven't had it are very careful not to get it because they're afraid they won't survive. So how many old people are going to get on board there that have already had it? I don't know. And if you've gone through it, do you really feel that confident? Like, like Once you've gone through it, you're probably not going to want to have it again. So there may be people who are afraid they can get it again in some way or just are afraid of any kind of scenario with another disease that they can get. They, they may just be done with cruising. That's another big problem. I just don't see cruises realistically starting anytime soon. Norwegian announced that they're not going to have any cruises at least till July 1st, but they said on July 1st we're starting sailing again. Well, they said that about May 15th. They said that about June 1st. Now they're up to July 1st. We're going to start sailing again on X date just means please spend money and buy these cruises just in case we can. But it doesn't mean they really expect they're going to sail. There's no way they're going to sail on July 1st. I think cruise ships are going to be among the last that are allowed to sail until we have a vaccine or until we have a treatment that is very reliable, not a remdesivir that brings the recovery time down. I mean a real reliable treatment to where they can give it to people on board and stop their symptoms from getting bad very reliably to where it's going to work for just about everybody. Short of that, I don't see cruising. Unless, like what Trader Ruski said, there's some way they can have like already had COVID-19 cruises. And that's the requirement to get on. But how much market is for that? <laughs> you have to want to cruise and already have the antibodies that you can prove you had. Like how much market is there going to be to fill up cruise ships with those requirements? I don't think very much. Also, keep in mind, if that's the case, then everybody going on the cruise with you has to have it. So if you've had it, your wife hasn't, that she can't come on board with you under such a policy. So what I think is going to really happen is I think these cruise lines are going to crash. I think they're going to go under. And I think when this is all over, new companies will rise from the ashes and buy those ships and start up again. And they'll have to address all these problems for the future and close some holes that have been found such uh, for example, I read an article about how they've been treating their crew. And it's interesting about the discussions with a cruise line crew. I agree with some of the criticism and I disagree with some. What, this has brought to light the fact that there's a lot of, well, not a lot, but most of the people working on cruise lines, the vast majority, are people from third world countries who work extremely long hours. The job is pretty tough. And they are paid very little, way less than U.S. minimum wage. And the required hours to work are very long, seven days a week. And people look at this and say, wait a minute, we, we ended these conditions in the U.S. Uh, nearly 100 years ago. How can this still be going on in 2020 just because it's third world people? Should we just not care? Should we just say, hey, it's okay to have uh, abusive working conditions uh, just because they're not from our country? How can we have such an industry? This is cruel. Well, you have to look at it a different way. These jobs are very, very coveted. And I'm talking about pre-coronavirus, by the way. But prior to this, 
this was the type of job that a lot of people wanted in these third world countries. And not because they were tricked into it, not because they were misled, knowing full well exactly what's going to be expected of them, they wanted it. Why? Because, I know this is a shocking thing to hear, I know this is a newsflash for some of you, but in third world countries, almost everybody is poor and the living conditions suck. That might be why it's called a third world country. So, the opportunity to work on a cruise ship for less than U.S. minimum wage with long seven-day-a-week working hours, that is actually a real opportunity, especially because while you're working there, you don't have to pay rent and you don't have to pay for food. The cruise line takes care of most of your basic needs. So what can you do with that money? Well, if you're young, you just bank it. If you have a family, you send it back home. And you're making more money than you were making at home by a wide margin in many cases, even though it's less than U.S. minimum wage, and your family lives a lot better. Yeah, it sucks that you don't see your family for many months at a time. But... These are still highly coveted jobs. There's a huge waiting list to get these jobs. And as I said, everybody taking these jobs knows exactly what they're getting into. And they want it because it's way better than what they have going where they live. Way better than anything you could get where they live. The jobs they have where they live also suck, but pay much less. So if this is something that the residents of third world countries overwhelmingly see as a positive. They don't think they're being exploited. They think this is an opportunity for themselves. This helps their family. This helps them. They know exactly what they're getting into. They don't feel abused. Then what's wrong with it? Answer, nothing. Answer, you've got to think about it from their standpoint, not your standpoint. Not whether you'd want this job, but whether they would want this job. Not whether this would be something that would be good for you, but whether this is actually helping them. And it is helping them. This is a positive for them. So from that standpoint, it's fine. I'm fine if that whole thing continues. The only thing I wasn't fine with was the lie about the tips, how the the cruise lines steal the tips that people think they're giving. The the mandatory gratuities are actually being pocketed by the cruise line. That's crappy, okay? And that needs to change. But aside from that, the job itself and the pay is fine. And it's actually very desirable for people who take those jobs. But there is some fair criticism of the industry and how they treat these workers. And that is, if you are going to take these workers and basically have them be like servants on the ship for low pay by uh, U.S. standards, very low pay. And you're expecting them to devote their entire lives to their jobs on the ship, which is what the, literally what they're doing. They are leaving home. They're living on the ship. They're barely ever getting off. They are working 12-hour days or longer, seven days a week. And they're getting paid less than minimum wage. 
If you're going to do that, if they're going to dedicate their lives to this ship for little pay, then you also need to take kind of a parental role with them and take care of them. And that goes beyond just giving them free room and board. You need to take care of them in times of crisis. And this was not done very well here, and there's been a lot of horror stories about how they've treated the crew and how they haven't been honest with the crew about the coronavirus uh, outbreak on these ships and people dying and people getting sick and that uh, they've had to – all the crew members have had to go through the rumor mill to figure out what the situation was. Many of them started getting scared that they were their lives were in danger and wanted to quit, but they weren't sure if they were making the right decision because they uh, they weren't getting the full information. Like you've got to be honest with them, you've got to take care of them, you've got to have a plan to take care of them if a lot of them get sick. Uh, you've got to have a plan to pay them if they get sick and can't work. Basically, you've got to say, you're going to give your life here. We're going to take care of you in case the unusual happens. And that has to be part of it, too. And there's been a criticism of the cruise lines on how they've handled this for the employees. And I agree with that criticism. And it's it's been pretty awful. And I'm very sad for these people when I read these reports. That is something that needs to change. You need to look at, are people getting what they are expecting? And that's always a litmus test I use whether something someone's getting screwed or not is is this happen happening as was said to you and as you were expecting or did you come in expecting something else and you got something much worse and if that's true then should you have known and if you shouldn't have known if you had no way to know or if it's unlikely you'd know then you're getting screwed and that's in general that's not about this situation this situation too but it's not just about this situation So I've said that you can tell you're being scammed or ripped off or not treated fairly if you didn't get what's expected and no one reasonable could have expected it. Then you have a right to complain. And definitely the cruise workers have a right to complain here, but they do not have a right to complain about their pay or how it compares to U.S. minimum wage or anything like that. They don't have a right to complain about that. Uh, Prior to all this, these cruise ship jobs were helping a lot of lives of people in the third world and helping a lot of families and everyone wanted these jobs. So definitely was not abuse. Okay. Final topic, Bart Hansen, nothing to do with the coronavirus. Hopefully Bart Hansen doesn't get the coronavirus. I know he listens to this show. So hello to you, Bart. Bart Hansen has his own show. Crush Live Poker, which is his training site, CrushLivePoker.com. The technical work of CrushLivePoker.com, by the way, is done by someone you guys all know, Calwatt. But CrushLivePoker.com is a longstanding training site that is exactly what it would sound like from the name. It's a, a training site aimed at teaching you how to play better cash poker, and not just No Limit Hold'em. They have a lot of different courses on there. It has a good reputation uh, even people who have come and said, I don't like Bart personally, which there aren't that many people. There, most people like Bart, but there's been, there's been a few who have said, hey, I don't like Bart for this or that reason. And I say, okay, well, what about his training course? Do you think that sucks? Well, no, I haven't heard that. Like, like, like no one's ever said his training course sucks. So since I've never heard anyone say his training course sucks, I have to imagine it must be good. So um, crushlifepoker.com is his training site. And a lot of the stuff Bart Hansen does on social media is is promoting Crush Life Poker in some way. So he has a show where people can call in 
and discuss hands with him. But he got an unusual call that he has since uh, published on YouTube that I wanted to discuss, where someone called in and admitted that they were an angle shooter, but uh, they, they kind of just did it to get an advice on the advice on the hand. It wasn't so much like they were calling in because they felt guilty about it. So the, a caller on Bart's show called in and he said that he was playing twenty five fifty, but not twenty five fifty dollars. He was playing twenty five fifty pesos. What is twenty five fifty Mexican pesos? That is one dollar, two dollar US. So it's really a one two game. But technically twenty five fifty because it's twenty five fifty pesos. So when he talks about the amount he was betting, it, it's all in pesos, and you have to divide it by 25 to get to the dollar equivalent. So the guy called in and for about seven minutes told a pretty boring story about a hand, which I'm not going to replay here. In fact, when I'm watching this, I'm going, why did Bart put this up here? Because the first seven minutes are incredibly boring. Not Bart's fault, but the guy just – he had a monotone voice. It was kind of hard to understand him because he had an accent, and the, the way he told the story about the hand kind of dragged – so I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I can watch more, much more of this, but I assumed it was going to get good. I knew Bart wasn't a fool and wasn't going to post this video if there wasn't something interesting about it. So uh, the payoff started to come after the seven-minute mark, where I'm going to start it for you. So I'm going to give you the background before the seven-minute mark so you can be caught up. So this guy on the phone is a Mexican poker player playing in a Mexican poker game, 2550 pesos, no limit hold'em. And he had seven, eight of clubs and tried to isolate a limper pre-flop. And then the flop came deuce, deuce, four. And basically from that point, he tried to run the limper off despite never connecting with the board himself. So it went deuce, deuce, four, rainbow, then queen, then uh, like a six blank on the river. So he had eight high the whole way with no draw. And he just get betting more and more, including a flop over bet that Bart commented correctly was way too big, even if he's bluffing. And uh, so the guy didn't play the hand very well. And his opponent wasn't buying it either. So basically what happened is the guy barreled the whole way with eight high and no draw, shoved the blank river, still got called, and then tried to pull an angle. He tried to say that he had aces without showing his hand, hoping the other guy would muck. So he had eight high, and he tried to say that he had aces. <laughs> so, I've had people try to pull this crap on me at Commerce before. They'll say straight, and then you look, and no, they missed the straight draw. Oh, oh, I thought I hit it. Wow. Yeah, they're hoping I'm going to muck. And then they get to keep the pot. So that's a common angle that's been pulled. So this guy tried to pull it. He tried to just say aces when he really had eight high. And he admits that. And uh, listen to this. Listen to the rest. I'll stop it and comment. I've got about nine more minutes in the video. So he throws a single chip into the pot to call. And then what do you do? He asked me right away, get pennies. What do you have? Uh-huh. And I'm on tilt, you know, basically since the turn. And I respond aces. So he throws a single. Goes, so so he throws a single chip into the pot, and he says, "What do you have?" Right. And you say aces, 
And then what happens? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then he throws his cards face down right away. So you he say aces, and he throws his cards face down. So he throws okay. his hand away. Okay. And the edge of one card touches the mark. So the, the hand, I mean, his hand is dead, and the, the dealer awarded me the pot. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. First of all, just because part of the can touches the muck, in almost all cases, hands are retrievable. It's one of the biggest misnomers in poker. So you say aces. The guy throws his hand away. So the dealer awards you the pot. Did anybody ask to see your hand? No, actually, nobody asked to see my hand. Actually, I mean, people do a lot of wild things when they're on tilt. I turned over my hand, actually. And the whole table saw my whole cards. So you turned your hand over? Yes, I did. Did you take the money? Uh, the pot was pushed in my direction. I mean, I cashed it out. <laughs> you cashed it out? It out? Dude. Yeah, and not, you... a, not right away. I mean, I saved <laughs> my whole session. You know. but, oh, um, man. Do you, you don't feel any type of, like, remorse or anything like that? I mean, you lied about your hand. So why can't you do that in every single situation, say the wrong hand? Like, why don't you just always say well, the wrong hand? Everybody that knows me, you know, they would tell you I'm a quiet person, I'm a quiet player. I don't talk a lot during hands. Uh, I don't do this. But, I mean, uh, this scenario came up. Uh, it's what happened. Mm, I mean, don't you know anybody that, that does... Well, things that they shouldn't do when they're on tilt. But, well, um, listen, I don't, I mean, I, I can't, <laughs> I don't think that tilt is going to excuse this. I mean, I, uh, you emailed no, no, this no. in, you emailed this in and I, I, first of all, I think it is the absolute, there's a couple things going on here. So when you turned your hand over, what did the other guy think? What did he say? Well, actually, uh, I believe he, he was the least critical out of all the players. I mean, the whole table obviously had an opinion, and they were making comments and other things. But uh, he he made one comment. But I even I even played next to him in another uh, tournament the next day, and he didn't really criticize me that much. Was this is a cash game, though, right? Yes, the hand was a cash game. Like, but it, I mean, here's the thing: like, this is this is in first of all. I don't know what what's up with this guy, like how he's letting you basically take that pot when you lie and you cause him basically to fold his hand. But if you turn your hand over and the guy basically mocked his hand, but it's retrievable, it's the absolute worst decision in the world by the casino to not award that guy the pot. This is where I have a really, really strong feeling about where the floors should have discretion and everything is not black and white. I understand with tournament rules that they have to have black and white decisions and tournament rules. But this is a really good example of this, like your situation, okay? You say you have aces, yes. okay? Your mm-hmm. hand gets tabled at 7-8 suited, okay? And the guy basically mucks his hand. And then someone can say, well, you know, you could you could have accidentally misread your hand. No, this is where the floor comes in with discretion and obviously makes a judgment 
call and says, no, you were intentionally trying to deceive the other player. It's not like you said you had pocket eights and there was a there was a possibility you actually might have misread your hand. You said aces, you have seven, eight suited. That's where the floor is supposed to come in. That pot should absolutely should absolutely have been awarded to the other player. Absolutely should have been awarded to the other player. And I got to be honest with you. I don't know what your name is. I didn't catch it. But I'm not going to say your name even if I see it in the email because I'm going to lay into you. If I were you and I did that and I was on tilt and I said aces and, and the guy folded his hand, you better fucking believe that I would have said no – I don't have aces, and I would have given the guy the pot. I mean, do you go down the street and uh, steal someone's wallet that's sitting on top of, like, the table at a restaurant just because you can? I mean, that's basically what you did. That's exactly the same thing as what you did. That's a huge, huge angle. The guy folded his hand because you said you had aces. I don't understand how you can't give the money to the guy. Like, that's unbelievable. This is the type of stuff that we're supposed to be policing against. I mean, do you feel bad about what, what was done? Did you feel like you needed to make it up or anything like that to the guy? Well, I've had a lot of time to think about it. Uh, I believe that's why I'm calling you today. But, um, I mean, these type of things, because uh, I'm told that, like, programs, I'm not saying that, that uh, I should have done it or it's an excuse. But, I mean, you know, things happen at live card rooms, such as deals, exposed cards. Uh, when people are on tilt, I mean, anything can happen, I guess. But, I um, think that you think that this you, you somehow, you are somehow, that it's that it's not that bad because you were on tilt, okay? Now, people, no, 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 of course, of course. People tilt in different ways. Okay, you were on tilt. Um, Obviously, you play with this guy because you saw him the next day. Did it ever cross your mind that maybe you should have given the money back to the guy afterwards when you weren't on tilt? Well, I've never been in that situation and, uh, you know, doing that. And honestly, I didn't know how to handle it, honestly. I would, I, I mean, I can tell you, you can rectify it right away. I don't know what's up with this guy. You rectify it by giving the guy the money back in the pot. You could still rectify it. I mean, maybe not now, um, you know, right the second because of the COVID crisis. But I don't know, man, that's pretty fucking scummy. To do that. So obviously yeah, you want to find out or what my opinion is on it. That's my opinion. I think that you should make it right on the guy. And uh, I, I can't believe he's not putting out more of a stink. Put yourself in that situation and you were the other player and you mocked your hand because somebody lied about their hand and then they tabled it and it wasn't what they said and it was obvious 100% that they were trying to deceive you, there was no possibility that the hand could have been misread. How would you feel in that spot? Would you feel that the pot should be awarded to that guy? Right. No, well, I know. I mean, uh, I've been on the other end where uh, somebody has lied about their hand or some something happened and uh, I was, you know, not awarded the pot where I felt it was, it was mine. But I mean... That's what I expose myself to when I when I go into a courtroom. Uh, that you expose you know, yourself to that you expose yourself to angling. So does so if you think that somebody is so you are expected sometimes basically to be cheated, and you're basically say it just comes with the territory. In a way, but uh, that, for me, that's not my excuse. Um, 
I'm saying that I was never in that situation, so, uh, you know, I've never done it before, and I wouldn't do it again. So I just didn't know how to handle it at that time. But uh, I, 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 I mean, I still think that you can make it right if you see the guy exactly. around. Exactly. I, I mean, I think you should make it right mm-hmm. if you see the guy around. I mean, I, I'm telling you what I would have done at the time. First of all, I would never – if I did that, I would have – expected the guy to basically turn his hand over. If I said, oh, I have aces, I would have expected the guy, if he, if the guy actually ended up mocking and the dealer awarded me the pot, I would not have let that go around because you can basically just take a free shot and a free roll at anyone. But I, I hope you learn your lesson and I hope you make the, I, I really hope you make it, you, you make that guy whole because that's, that's ridiculous and that's, that's the stuff that we don't want to see really. Um, in Hi. poker. Thanks for the call. If you- All right. So you got the gist of it here. I, I just let uh, Bart talk there for a while. I think he summed it up pretty well. Uh, pretty amazing that the guy's just like admitting he did it. Doesn't have any remorse to say, hey, you know, that's just the way it works in card rooms. People angle all the time. So they angle me. I angle them. That's the way it goes. And Bart's like, hey, uh, are you going to make it right for this guy when you see him? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, maybe I will. <laughs> no chance. No chance this guy makes it right for anybody. Now, it's possible in Mexico that this really is very common where people are just really trying to angle each other. I don't know. I've never played in Mexico before, but it's possible in these games which are not at licensed card rooms, it's possible that these are just situations where people are always trying to get over on one another. I like how the guy tried to say that he's kind of like mild-mannered and, and then just people don't say much. So he, he even took advantage of that, the fact that he kind of isn't seen as an angler. So people just kind of let it go. But he did, he also said that people were angrier about this than the guy he did this to. I think the guy he did this to is probably just embarrassed. I think that guy was kind of afraid to protest for himself because he felt like such a fool. He kind of just wanted to have the whole thing be over with rather than have everyone laugh at him for being angled like this. But I've never heard a call before like that where the person just calls up and brags about what they did there. Usually anglers do this and keep the money and keep quiet about it and they just want everyone to think they're great poker players, not that they are uh, the anglers. Usually anglers are not open about being anglers. They just want the money from being an angler. But this guy was different. And this guy told Bart about it very willingly. And Bart was not happy at all about it. He was trying to tell the guy, no, this is unethical and you, you shouldn't do this. And he, he raised a good point. He said, what, you, you're going to say this every every time you lose a hand, you're going to lie about what you have? Because if, if you say it's okay to do once, it's okay to do every time. So what about a guy who just lies about it every time? What about someone every time at the end of the hand, they say they have something different and then turn over the cards? Imagine how annoying that would be. That what the guy says is, is, is never what he really has. And you always have to go look at his hand. What did he really have? And it, it's just, it would be so annoying to play with a person like that. So just saying it's okay because they do it once in a while, it's not. You shouldn't do it. It's unethical to do. It's different than bluffing. Bluffing's a very different story. Um, now, what's not unethical, uh, and I've seen this move pulled before, not all the time, but I've seen it where somebody bets and you raise and they just muck their hand when you have nothing and then you don't show yours. That's fine. That's a strategy. That's where you're bluffing them and then and then they muck. Of course, then there's a, a, even 
a, a version of this that is even more tricky, where somebody bets into you, and you call, and then they muck. I've seen that done before, where you're actually calling, thinking they're going to muck and not show if uh, <laughs> if you call. And that's different than this. That's not angling. You're not saying you have anything. They bet, you call, and they muck. And I've seen people actually make calls for that reason, thinking, if I call this, I bet they're going to believe that their hand's no good, and they'll just muck it. So if they're bluffing me, even though I can't beat them with my seven-high draw that missed, I'm going to call this anyway, because if they're bluffing with ace-high, they're probably just going to lay it down. And I've seen that happen before. I've seen it work. I wouldn't suggest it. It's, it's, most people are going to kind of sheepishly turn it over, but or at least just say what they have, and then see if you turn over, and if they're not going to muck unless you show them better. But uh, occasionally I've seen someone just muck, and then it turns out they mucked, and the person actually had a worse hand. But that's that's a strategy. What's not a strategy is lying about what's in your hand after the hand's over to try to get them to muck. So Bart was right. Okay, at the end of the show, we will be back next Saturday, May 9th. We should be back every Saturday for the foreseeable future. Not guaranteeing that won't change. We just kind of drift throughout the week. We run Wednesday, then Thursday, then Friday, then Saturday. We just kind of drift, and then we just land on a day for a while. Well, I think that's enough for tonight. We've done about seven and a half hours. Not quite eight, like we've done the last two weeks, but it's close. It's still a very, very long show. I want to thank our co-hosts for tonight, Trey Daruski and Vintage One, who hung in there as long as they could before their heads hit the pillow or the desk, wherever they were sitting when they were attempting to do the show with me. I want to thank Kevin Davis, who came on and gave over two hours of his time to tell his story and to explain what he's been doing with the YouTube gambling scammers that he's been encountering. That was a very interesting segment. For those of you that are sick of the Christopher Mitchell story, we're going to cover a lot less of that going forward. I think we've covered about all we need to on this show for now. I'll give you updates as they come if something unusual or interesting happens with that. But for the most part, we're not going to talk about it that much anymore. Some people love the Christopher Mitchell stories and some people don't like them. That's what I've seen from the text we've received. But more positive than negative. So I have no regrets. Where I might have some regrets is after I wake up. When I go to sleep, I'll feel fine. And then I'm going to wake up with something that doesn't feel right. The last two weeks, I've been waking up with chest pain. Not like I'm having a heart attack, but like my lungs hurt. But it's not the coronavirus. It's actually from talking for eight hours straight. And last week when it happened, I wasn't even alarmed. The week before, I was kind of alarmed. But last week, I said, well, I know what that is. It's right after radio and I did an eight-hour show. So these things take a lot out of me, but, you know, I make so much money here with all these sponsors that you hear that I have, and it's just, it's worth it in the end. It's worth it for all the income it brings and all the accolades I get. So that's why I come back every week to do this show for you for eight hours or sometimes only seven and a half. I hope that you appreciate it. That is all. We'll be back a week from now, May 29th. Sorry, not May 29th. May 9th. Maybe May 29th, too. Good night and shalom. <laughs>